Chapter 18 Part 3 Remus slipped his hand into Sirius's under the table and gripped it tightly. Their eyes found each other before Remus answered the barman. His fingers were shaking, but when he spoke, his voice was quite steady. Do we know each other? Remus asked cautiously, staring into the barman's dark eyes. Well, I'm sure you don't remember me, laddie, but I remember you. They've been waiting for you, Remus. Hoping you'd return, he said, dabbing his black eyes with the corner of the rag that hung from his trouser pocket. Course, I've not seen ya since you were a wee bairn. Could fit in the palm of me hand, you could. And a bonnier child I've never seen. Glowed, you kin, like the moon on the sea. And you still do. Just like your mother. Sirius watched Remus as he listened to the barman and saw the wistful, dreamy look that crossed his face as the topic turned to hope. Did you know her? Remus asked, his voice tinged with a quiet eagerness. I, the man answered. A bit. Knew Lyle better though. Where is Hope? Is she with you? Remus hesitated and swallowed. Sirius squeezed his hand, and Remus squeezed it back, an unspoken language of love and reassurance. No, sir, Remus said quietly. I'm sorry to tell you, she's, she passed on. Dead. The barman said, his voice breaking, and Remus nodded. When? How? She was but a young thing. She's been gone twenty years, now. She was. Remus hesitated and caught Sirius's eye for the briefest moment before answering. She was murdered. No. The man wailed, pressing a hand to his heart, and shaking his head sorrowfully. Oh, laddie, I'm very sorry to hear it. She was a beauty, inside and out. Thank you. Remus replied. What's your name? Rubius Hagrid. The barman said in his deep, growling voice. He turned his gaze to Sirius, Regulus, and James in turn. Whereas he looked warmly upon Remus, the barman eyed Sirius and his brother with cold suspicion. And I recognize you lads, too, he said shortly. Blacks, I'd wager. Yes, sir. Orion's sons, Sirius said with a polite nod. Hagrid's eyes narrowed, but Sirius did not waver. He was used to being met with distrust, especially outside his county. The black name was synonymous with darkness and sin. I'm Sirius, this is my brother Regulus, and his husband, James Potter Black. Regulus nodded reservedly, but James smiled and stuck out a jovial hand. How do you do, sir? James said, and Sirius watched Hagrid's surprised disarmed reaction to James's contagious friendliness. His iciness melted as he took James's hand. No one could dislike James Potter for long. Fleabunt's boy, Hagrid asked, and James nodded. He was a few years ahead of me at Hogwarts. Good man, your dad. Yes, sir, he is. James agreed. I'll tell him you said hello. Is this your place, then? Aye, Hagrid replied. I'm the keeper of this tavern and the lighthouse on the cliff. He turned back to Remus. And I'm a bit of an unofficial guard for your mother's folk, he said in an undertone. Remus leaned forward and dropped his own voice in imitation of Hagrid's apparent caution. Do they live here in the village? He asked, his eyes wide and eager. No, you'll not find them here, Hagrid said, shaking his head and looking around the pub, as though nervous to be overheard. The two fishermen caught Hagrid's eye, and one of them pounded his hand flat against the table. Oi! 
We asked you for another ale fifteen minutes ago, man. We've got to get back to the ship. He called from across the pub. For Merlin's sake, keep your kilt on. Hagrid snapped at them. He turned back to Remus and spoke quietly again. Will you be staying overnight? If you have rooms for us, yes, please, Remus said, and Hagrid nodded. Aye, he said. How many will you be made in? Two, if it's no trouble, Remus replied, and Hagrid looked knowingly between Sirius and Remus with a small smile. None at all, laddie, Hagrid replied. He pulled his wand from his pocket, waved it once, and two skeleton keys flew into his hand from a hook behind the bar. He handed one to Remus and one to James. Rooms one and two, Hagrid said, pointing toward the dark staircase at the back of the pub. Straight up the stairs. Go put your bags away and settle in. I'll clear out these two. Hagrid gestured to the impatient sailors who were still watching them with annoyance. Give me a half hour, he continued. Then I'll lock the front door, and we can talk. Thank you, Remus said. I'd love any help you can give us. Happy to. I'll have supper for Yard too, if you'd like. That's very kind of you, and would be much appreciated, Remus said, standing up and shouldering his rucksack. The other three did the same and followed him up the narrow wooden stairs and along the upper corridor until they arrived at their rooms. James opened one of the doors with his key, and Regulus nodded them all inside with a purposeful look and shut the door behind them. The room was sparse but clean, with dark, wood-paneled walls, a bed with a brass frame, two straight-backed wooden chairs, and a table with a porcelain jug of water, basin, and clean towels for washing. A window was sheer, pale yellow curtains faced the slate-gray ocean, which met the sky in a dark line as the sun set. James hung their rucksacks on two iron hooks on the back of the door, and Regulus turned to Remus with his arms folded across his chest. Do we trust him? He asked matter-of-factly. We need to decide now before we go back down there. I do. Remus nodded, looking straight into Regulus's eyes. How can you be sure? Regulus asked, but Remus only shrugged. I don't think you can ever be sure, really, Remus said. You just have to make up your mind and decide. He's obviously a half-breed, Regulus said. Sirius wanted to slap him for using the derogatory turn of phrase. It might as well be Bella talking, but Remus didn't flinch. Sir, am I? He said steadily. But you didn't tell him about your lycanthropy, Regulus said. A statement. An observation. Regulus was shrewd and cutting. Again, though, Remus didn't falter. No, I didn't, nor will I. Trusting him to give me his information is different than trusting him with mine, Remus said, and Sirius marveled at this cool logic. Regulus apparently agreed, because he nodded, looking a bit relieved to know that Remus wasn't blindly trusting a stranger. All right, Regulus said. Meet you in the corridor in a half hour. We'll all go down together. Yes, Remus said, and he and Sirius left James and Regulus to go into their own room. Sirius shut the door behind them, and when he turned back around, Remus folded himself into his arms pressing his face into his chest with a tired little sound from the back of his throat. As always, Sirius felt Remus's tense body relax and soften into him immediately. Sirius kissed the top of his head, breathed in the fresh, salt-air scent of his silvery-gold curls, and ran his hand across Remus's shoulders. Are you all right, darling? 
he asked. Umhem, Remus replied, sighing softly. I just can't believe we've been here only a few minutes, and I've already met someone who knew my mother. I feel a little overwhelmed by it. I don't blame you, Sirius said. It's quite a lot to take in. Remus pulled away, took Sirius's hand in his, and they silently sat on the edge of the bed together. Remus played with Sirius's fingers for a moment before speaking again. Do you think I'm foolish to trust Hagrid? He asked. No. Sirius reassured him. As you said, you're not trusting him with your secrets. You're gathering information and making a judgment call about how to use it. For what it's worth, I trust him, too. He recognized you right away. And if he's friendly with Fleamont Potter, that automatically puts him in my good graces. Thank you, Remus said. You're very good at reading people, Remus, Sirius said. Trust yourself. I do trust myself, most of the time, Remus replied. I've met so many people over the years, from all over the world, because of the shop. Traveling, haggling, buying, selling. I can usually tell when someone is lying about where they got an object or how much they paid for it. So many people try to sell stolen goods or trick us into buying counterfeit items. But objects carry stories, like I told you when we first met, and people carry the truth in their eyes, whether they realize it or not. Why are you doubting yourself, then? Sirius asked. The stakes are a bit higher now, aren't they? Remus replied, running his thumb across Sirius's fingers. There's a lot more to lose than if I was just dealing with a bloke who's trying to convince me that his piece of tin is goblin-made silver. I'm gambling the most important thing on earth. What's that? Sirius asked, and a sharp thread of worry tugged at his heart. You, Remus said simply, looking up at him with wide, sincere eyes, and Sirius felt his heart crack open even more than he ever thought it could. Oh, Remus, Sirius breathed, and Remus looked down at his lap. Perhaps I should have come alone, Remus said quietly. My darling, Sirius said, putting a gentle finger under Remus's chin and lifting it so they were looking at each other. You're not gambling me. We're doing this together. We're a team now. You and me. Where you go, I go. For better or worse. Isn't that what muggles say during their wedding ceremonies? Remus laughed, wrapping his slender fingers around Sirius's wrist on the hand that was holding his chin. It is, Sirius said, laughing too. But sometimes muggles know what they're talking about, I suppose. It's not a bad thing to promise, is it? No, it's not. Remus agreed. Then I promise it to you. Sirius told him, and it felt easy. The easiest thing on earth. Today and forever. Remus looked into his eyes, and shook his head and laughed softly, as though amazed. It's a bit strange, Remus confessed. I've lived my whole life alone. But now I can't imagine a life without you in it. You feel like my other half. Like a piece of myself I didn't know was missing until I found it. Sirius knew exactly what he meant. It was magic beyond explanation, this thing between them, something he'd never felt before with anyone else. He could scarcely even imagine anyone else anymore, although he'd had more people in his bed than he cared to, or could, count. But they were only distant memories now, like shadows of someone else's life. You've not left my mind or my heart from the moment I saw you, Sirius said, and you never will. Then I am truly the luckiest soul, Remus replied, to belong to you. And he did.
He belonged to Sirius, and had done since their eyes met and their fingers brushed together that first day in Remus's shop. Remus was glowing and beautiful, a wonder of the world, and the thought of this perfect, miraculous creature being his, of them belonging to each other, suddenly felt like more than Sirius's heart could bear. He wound his arms around Remus's waist and pulled him into a kiss that overflowed with joy and love. How could every kiss feel this way? Like so much more than their bodies touching. Like their souls mingling and sparking magic into the ether, too. They were lost in it and each other for a long time, their hands roving and grasping, as though they couldn't get close enough, until a sharp rap on their door reluctantly pulled them apart and back to earth. Sirius leaned back and saw Remus's face. He looked perfect, love drunk and dazzling, with kiss swollen lips and hazy, heavily lidded eyes. Sirius couldn't stop himself from leaning in for one more kiss against that lovely mouth, even while someone rapped on the door again, harder this time, and more insistent. Put your clothes back on, James called from the hallway. You horny rabbits. Remus tipped his forehead onto Sirius's shoulder, and Sirius felt his embarrassed laughter and the heat of his pink cheeks warming his neck. That Remus could knock Sirius off his axis and send him spinning into the stratosphere with just a kiss and still be so bashful outside the privacy of their little bubble was the most startling thing on earth. Sirius wrapped a hand around the back of Remus's neck and kissed the soft place under his ear before whispering, Come on, you horny rabbit, and getting to his feet. Remus snorted a laugh and stood, too. Sirius opened the door in time to see Regulus's raised fist about to knock again, and James leaning casually against the opposite wall with his hands slung in his pockets and one ankle crossed over the other. Ah, new love, James said looking at their must hair and clothing fondly. Remember when we were like that, Reg? Couldn't keep our hands off each other. I certainly remember, Sirius said, stepping into the hallway. And I've been trying to forget it ever since. I didn't fancy finding you two in broom cupboards and empty classrooms all over Hogwarts. And don't forget that one time in your bed, James said cheerfully, slinging an arm over Sirius's shoulders and planting a wet kiss on his cheek. One time, Sirius said. More like twenty. Yeah, more like twenty. James laughed. Sometimes you just can't make it the extra five feet. You know how it is. And he slapped Sirius's arse and led the way down the stairs. The pub was, indeed, empty, just as Hagrid promised it would be. The light outside was now a deep, dark, dusky blue, and it wouldn't be long before inky blackness spilled across the November sky and the stars glittered into full view. Hagrid was nowhere to be seen, but the small pub smelled wonderful, and the four of them settled in at a table close to the crackling fire. They didn't have to wait long. Within seconds, Hagrid was bustling in from the kitchen, his large body bending through a narrow door on the far end of the bar with a huge tray laden with a steaming supper, dark, spicy haggis, scotch pie filled with venison and surrounded by a flaky crust, mashed potatoes and turnips and a large decanter of amber whiskey. Hope you're hungry, lads, Hagrid said as he thumped across the bar and deposited the tray onto the table in front of him, where it took up nearly the entire tabletop. He turned, picked up another table with one huge hand, and fit it next to theirs to make more space for the food and himself. Sirius wondered how Hagrid didn't collapse the wooden chair as he sat down heavily and started doling out food onto five plates. 
This is wonderful, thank you, Remus said as he accepted one of them. It's no trouble at all, Hagrid replied. He poured five generous measures of whiskey into glasses and handed those out, too. Sirius Haddon had proper Scottish food since he was at Hogwarts, and the rich, gravy-filled meat pies and hearty root vegetables brought him immediately back to the rowdy and lively Great Hall, where he and James regularly regaled the Slytherin and Gryffindor tables with tales of their mischief-making. Sirius remembered Fenrir Grey back from those days, too. He was a cruel, snobbish bully even before he was bitten, and being a Slytherin prefect made him even worse. Sirius and Fenrir had orbited each other in the same aristocratic social circles at home, but Sirius largely steered clear of him while they were in school. Sirius frequently noticed Fenrir shooting nasty looks at him, particularly when he was loud or getting into trouble, as though he was acting in a way that did not befit his status as a pure blood heir. Fenrir's attempts to shoot James away from the Slytherin table were usually met with derision, even from other Slytherins, who couldn't help but be charmed and a little intimidated, by the rambunctious double act of Potter and Black. Everything to your liking, Hagrid asked as they all tucked in. It's delicious, thank you, James said, helping himself to a bit more of the haggis. He did always love the stuff at school, Sirius thought. No, Hagrid said, taking a long swig of whiskey and looking at Remus. What can I help you with? Well, Remus said, everything. Everything. Hagrid repeated. What do you mean? I mean, I don't know much about my mother or her people, Remus admitted. I don't even know how she met my father or why they came to England. All I know was that she was part of a sect that practiced elemental magic. You mean Lyle never told you anything? Hagrid asked, flabbergasted. Sirius felt his own indignation rising again at Lyle Lupin's incredible, years-long deception. Lyle no doubt would have continued it. Two, had Sirius and Remus not found each other. Very little, Remus said. Well, Hagrid said, splashing more whiskey into each of their glasses. I think this calls for a bit of liquid courage on my part. Never dreamed you'd show up here without hope, never mind not knowing anything. Your mother's folk are a bit more than a sect, Remus. They are the daughters of Selene. Sirius, Remus, and James all exchanged confused looks but Regulus stared at Hagrid with his eyebrows furrowed. The daughters of Selene are a myth, Regulus said, and Hagrid laughed. Best not be telling them that, Hagrid said. I assure you, laddie, they are no myth. What are the daughters of Selene? Sirius asked. They're supposedly the descendants of Selene, the titan goddess of the moon, Regulus said. According to legend, she fell in love with a mortal and had fifty daughters. The daughters of Selene were descended from the eldest daughter and destined to carry out the goddess's will on earth, harnessing the creative power of the moon and the five elements. Creative power? James asked. Nature is creative and destructive, Remus said. Everything that lives must die. Everything that blooms must rot. A volcano destroys life but creates new land. It's a cycle, waxing and waning, like the moon itself. Herself, Hagrid corrected. Better get it right before you pay them a visit. Herself, Remus repeated softly, and Sirius put a gentle hand between his shoulder blades. So that means, James said, turning to Remus, wide-eyed, that means you're one of them, too. That you are, Hagrid said, nodding at Remus with something like pride. Born straight from the moon. 
Do they control nature? James asked, but Hagrid shook his head. Not exactly, Hagrid said. More like, protect it and summon it. Sirius and Remus looked at each other, and the memory of every bursting flower, every snaking vine, every honeyed fruit and buzzing bee passed silently between them. Remus's eyes were bright and astonished with the realization as they stared at each other. Regulus laughed. I suppose that explains the orchard, he said, looking at Remus in awe. I suppose so, Remus said. He spoke so quietly that only Sirius could hear him. Remus slid his hand across Sirius's leg under the table and clutched his thigh as though trying to ground himself. Sirius covered Remus's hand with his own, and at his touch, Remus seemed to find his voice again. You said you guard them, Remus said to Hagrid. What do you mean? Oh, nothing too complicated, Hagrid said. I discourage travelers from heading their way and send out warnings when they do. They are very secretive, of course. The balance of nature is a delicate thing, and they guard their magic carefully. They have their own ways of staying hidden, but it can't hurt to have a pair of eyes looking out for them on the outside, too. And they trust you? Remus asked. Well, as much as their folk could trust any outsider, I suppose. Hagrid admitted. I've never been properly inside their glen. Just on the very edge. But they have a natural affinity for people like me. Half-breeds, you know. Anime guy, too. People who have a bit of the beast in him. Hagrid had no way of knowing that he was describing all four of them, and Sirius, Remus, Regulus, and James exchanged weighty looks. Perhaps this would be to their advantage, Sirius thought. But what about my father? Remus asked. You said you knew him better than my mother. Was he one of them, too? Or another outsider? Old Lyle was as much of an outsider as you could get. Hagrid laughed. A good fella your dad. He was a hearty seafaring sort. Crewed on muggle ships to China, India, and the Caribbean, he did. He had a pretty good con going, too. Had those muggle sea captains convinced he was nothing but a simple deck hand when really he was operating off the ship in every port to hunt fur treasure. He traded in what he called antiques, uniques, and oddities. He'd barter in wizarding shops and villages, stash his goods with an undetectable extension charm, and his captains would be none the wiser. He'd be back in his bunk before they even woke up in the morning. How did he meet my mother? Remus asked. He ported here between gigs. Hagrid explained. There aren't many magical port villages, you know, and Bluebell's Glen was a safe base to sell his wares and reorganize a bit before heading back out to sea. Your mother. Hagrid's voice trailed off and he took another swig of whiskey as a small smile and the glimmer of memory passed over his face. Your mother was the bonniest lass I ever saw, Hagrid said. His voice brimmed with affection and his eyes crinkled. Glowed, like I said. Oh, course they all do, but there was something special about Hope. She was bright all over, inside and out. Her hair, her skin, her disposition. Just had life bursting out of her. She'd sneak into the village and wait for the ships to come in, eager, like. She wanted to see the world, she said. Meet new people and have adventures. Always staring out at the horizon. And when she met Lyle, right here in this very pub. Oh, laddie, they were smitten from the jump. He was the kind of adventurer she'd always dreamed of. And Hope, well, how could you not fall in love with Hope? She brought him home to her folk, they had a hand fasting and she was with child before you could say babbity-rabbity. That child was you, 
Of course. He reached across the table to lay a large hand across Remus's small one and gave him a proud smile. Hagrid took another gulp of whiskey, and his expression darkened. They were so happy at first, but something changed, Hagrid said. Lyle came in here one night cursing the full moon and drank himself stupid. I had to let him dry out in one of the rooms upstairs, and when Hope came to find him the next morning, she looked exhausted and scared. She was only weeks away from giving birth, so I put it down to that. When next I saw them, you were with them, and it was just before midnight. You couldn't have been more than two months old. The moon was full again. I remember the way it lit up your face when I held you. Hope had her hair wrapped in a shawl, and they said they were leaving for a while. Lyle pulled me aside, said he might try to convince your mother to come back. But they never did. That was the last time I saw or heard from any of you. Why did they, we, leave? Remus asked, but Hagrid only shook his head. I don't know, Hagrid said. I thought later they must have been fleeing something, but that's only a guess. Putting clues together after the fact. Like your mum's nervousness. Them leaving in the middle of the night. The way she seemed to be hiding herself a bit in that shawl. But a few days later, Hope's mother came round asking for her, trying to find out if I'd seen them. I told her what I knew, but it wasn't much. She was heartbroken, but didn't seem surprised, and told me you might be back someday. Said I might know you by the mark of a five-point star upon your skin. I didn't know if I should believe her. But then I saw you. And I knew. Remus touched the mark on his neck unconsciously. Do they all have this mark? He asked. All of my mother's family? No. Hagrid said. Not that I've ever seen. Hope's mother made out it was special. And her sister after that. They kept checking, you see. Hoping you'd return. Sirius looked at Remus, whose fingers still rested softly upon the star on his neck, and again, Sirius was reminded of his own tattoos, but instead of being drawn in black ink, the star was lined in pure gold. Unbidden and unexpected, Sirius felt an overwhelming urge to kiss the mark, to press his lips to it and feel its glittering warmth against his own body, but he held himself back. They were in a pub with a stranger, for Merlin's sake. As if in answer though, Remus gazed up at him, and a longing, pleading look in his eyes let Sirius know that he wanted it, too. Needed it. Remus tilted his head, and Sirius brushed a soft kiss to his neck, trying not to draw too much attention to them, trying to seem as though this was simply an innocent kiss between lovers. But as soon as his lips touched the mark they both startled as though an electric current of emotion zapped between them. They locked eyes, entranced, bewitched. This was no usual magic, no usual love, Sirius knew, although why he wasn't sure. Regulus's voice cut through his thoughts a second later, and Sirius realized that he, James, and Hagrid were unaware that anything unusual was even happening. How do we get there? Regulus asked, as Sirius tried to bring himself back into the moment. Remus was doing the same catching his breath and clasping Sirius's hand. It'll not be easy, Hagrid warned. You'll have to go on foot, and there'll be obstacles. If they're expecting Remus, why would there be obstacles? James asked. Because none of you call the place home, Hagrid said. Had Hope been with you, that would have been a different story. But now, now you're on your own. There'll be an obstacle for each of you. Something to test your mettle and your worthiness, and you'll have to do it alone. 
If one of you fails, the other three will have to go along without him. He'll be sent back to the edge of the glen with no second chances. And it'll be no use trying to find your way back to the other three. Every rock and tree will be bewitched to look the same, and you'll be doomed to wander in circles until you give up or go mad. Remus listened to Hagrid with a stricken look creasing his eyebrows and tightening his jaw. He turned to the other three and opened his mouth to speak, but Sirius cut him off before he could even get a word out. No, Sirius said firmly, and Remus stared at him defiantly. What? James asked, his eyes darting between them. He wants to go alone, Sirius said, and he was grateful that James and Regulus met this news with vigorous protests that made Remus sigh with defeat. We're with you, Remus, James said, his voice cutting through the din. Always. Love threatened to overwhelm Sirius as James reached across the table to grasp Remus's hand while Regulus nodded along with him. Sirius always feared that his truest nature was that of a dark soul struggling toward light. It was constant work, this fight against the darkness that was embroidered within his heart, and he worried that someday he'd grow weary of the battle and succumb to the evil within. Now, for the first time in his life, though, he realized that he was wrong. He might be reckless and hot-headed, prone to fits of darkness and rage. But his truest self was this, a person who could love and be loved. No matter how many times you say it. Sirius started, but Remus cut him off. I know, Remus said, resting his head on Sirius's shoulder, and Sirius could hear the bemused smile in his voice. For better or worse. That night, in the small brass bed in the tiny tavern room, Remus and Sirius found each other softly and sweetly with careful devotion and slow deliberateness. Sirius had long thought that in being with Remus, he had touched something otherworldly and divine, and now he knew he'd been right. His worship of Remus's body felt like the natural way of things, as though he was but a pilgrim and Remus was his holy sight. That a piece of the heaven sought to worship him, too, was miraculous and beautiful. Sirius worked Remus open tenderly with his fingers and his tongue, taking his time, spreading him wide, preparing his body to take his within it. It was a beautiful thing, to come together like this, for one person to slide inside another, to be as close as two people could be, to live inside each other for a few heavenly moments of heady bliss. Remus climbed on top of Sirius, straddling his hips, raising himself over Sirius's stiff cock, and sank down upon it with a deep and grateful moan. Sirius pushed inside Remus's tight, perfect body, which curved backwards in a graceful arc, his chest, spine, and neck arched over Sirius's legs in a single, lovely line, his head tilted back, exposing his throat to the heavens, his hands gripped Sirius's thighs he pumped up and down, up and down. Sirius held Remus's hips and thrust upward, slow and deep, his thumbs hitched atop Remus's hip bones, his fingers gripping the firm flesh of his arse. Remus lifted himself up and dropped himself down harder and deeper, but just as slow, a kind of torturous and wonderful precision. Sirius angled his hips to drag the tip of his cock inside against the sensitive spot that sent frizzles of pleasure scorching through Remus's body, and within seconds, Remus was crying out, sending his release across Sirius's chest, stomach, and neck without Sirius even putting a hand on him. It painted over Sirius's skin in warm, slippery, dripping ribbons as Remus's body clenched and tightened. 
Sirius felt every pulsing squeeze of Remus's orgasm around his own cock, and it was more than he could take. He emptied, hard and fast, inside Remus, filling him completely. Remus moaned wantonly at the sensation. He loved being full, relished everything Sirius could give him, and moved against him until he couldn't move anymore. They collapsed against each other, and Sirius wrapped Remus in his arms, keeping his softening cock inside him until it slipped out on its own in a messy slide of dripping cum. He reached for his wand to clean them up, but Remus stilled his hand. Wait, he said, burying his face into the crook of Sirius's neck and tightening his thighs around Sirius's hips. I just want to feel you inside me a little longer. And Sirius, never one to deny Remus anything, obliged. Chapter 19 That night, Remus dreamed of a goddess. Her brown scales were heavy in her hand, her face dour, and her eyes covered with thick muslin as she stood upon a windswept hilltop where delicate pink oleander grew through the vapors at her feet. My cousin will trick you, she said with the certainty of a goddess and the grimness of an oracle. You must not let her. But how? Remus asked in that way of dreams with a thick tongue and slow, straining words. Good and evil is but a human concept, she said, holding her scales aloft. Nature knows only balance. You do not believe in good and evil, in right and wrong, Remus asked, affronted, unsure now, whether to trust this divinity. I did not say what I believe, she replied with disdain, and her frown smelled like sulfur from the cracks of the earth. You are thinking like a human. And you ask the wrong questions. What are the right questions? He tried to ask, but his voice caught in his throat as the vapors took shape and engulfed him, wrapping around his chest and squeezing his throat, making him lightheaded and dizzy. Each question will be different, she said, her voice growing fainter as the vapors rose around him, obscuring his vision with thick, white mist, pressing on his ears as though it had real weight, choking him, blinding him. But the answer will be the same. Balance. 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 He awoke drenched in sweat, with a sharp gasp that jolted his body and shook the brass-framed bed in the little tavern by the sea. He groped in the darkness for something to grasp onto, something to remind himself that he belonged to this world and not one of oracles and deities and snaking oleander. Remus, a voice next to him said, deep, steadying and Remus's breathing slowed. Darling, you're all right. Serious. Remus gasped, his eyes half-closed, and his limbs shaking. He felt strong hands pulling him close, warm arms wrapping around him, and the soothing safety of Sirius's broad chest bringing him back to earth. Hush, it was only a dream. Sirius murmured through gentle kisses to his sweaty forehead, but Remus knew that was not true. No. He breathed against Sirius's neck. It was real. Tell me, Sirius said, and Remus felt the vision take true, corporeal shape as he spoke it out loud. Balance, Sirius repeated when Remus finished. I don't know what it means, Remus replied, but his voice was growing heavy with sleep again. We do not need to know what it means just now, my love, Sirius said, running his hand up and down Remus's back. You need sleep. The question shall still be there in the morning. Remus yawned and closed his eyes, melting into Sirius's voice and touched like springtime snow into a warm meadow. 
Everything would be waiting for him on the other side of sleep. All he had to do now was close his eyes. When he next woke, it was to the sound of waves crashing and seabirds singing in the misty morning light. His eyes fluttered open to see Sirius already sitting up in bed with a pillow propped behind him against the brass headboard. He was writing on a sheaf of parchment and wearing wire-framed glasses that Remus had never seen before. He looked handsome and studious, and Remus suddenly had a vision of him twenty years younger, graduating from Hogwarts at the top of his class, the envy of every other student. Good morning, Remus said in a croaky, just awake voice that made Sirius turn to him with soft eyes and a gentle smile. Good morning, darling, Sirius said, putting the parchment and quill onto his lap and leaning over to kiss him. Have you been awake long? Remus asked, looking outside and divining from the sunlight that it was about seven o'clock. Since your dream, Sirius admitted, I could not find sleep again. I'm sorry to have woken you, Remus frowned, but Sirius waved him off. I was glad of it, he said. It gave me a chance to watch over you, and to think. Think, Remus asked, snuggling closer. He laid on his side and curved his body against Sirius's resting his head on Sirius's chest and wrapping his arms around his waist. He peered down at the parchment on Sirius's lap. Regulus may have beaten me in our history of magic exams, but I did manage to scrape and exceeds expectations, Sirius said with a small smile, picking up the parchment so they could read it together. And I remembered a few things about the Titan goddess of justice, Themis, who was said to be an oracle. She's often depicted with her eyes covered, holding scales and sometimes a sword. She dispenses justice blindly, with no bias or prejudice. The goddess was holding scales in my dream, Remus said, looking up at Sirius with wide eyes. And she was surrounded by Oleander. What do you think that means? Sirius asked, knowing Remus's knowledge of plants and healing herbs. For one thing, it's toxic, Remus said. But some divination scholars believe that its chemical effects help oracles see into the future. It was abundant around the temple at Delphi, which... Which Themis built for the oracle there. Sirius finished for him. It must have been her in your dream, then. Yes, it must have been. Remus agreed. And she spoke of her cousin. That must be Selene. But why would Themis want to help us? Balance. Sirius said. Don't you remember fainting in your shop? Remus groaned and pressed his face into Sirius's chest. He was still so embarrassed by such a sign of weakness. How could I forget? He said into the fabric of Sirius's dressing gown. It was so humiliating. No. Why? Sirius said, lifting Remus's face upwards so they were looking at each other. Because the most brilliant and beautiful person I'd ever laid eyes on was standing in front of me, and I desperately wanted to make a good impression, and instead, I swooned and collapsed like a maiden in distress. Remus laughed ruefully. Sirius laughed, too, but drew Remus into a hug. If it makes you feel any better, I certainly wasn't complaining about having an excuse to hold you, he said, and Remus blushed and shook his head. Although you did scare the life out of me. I was so relieved when you woke up. But it also made me realize how much I wanted to look after you, even if I did figure out later that you didn't need looking after. Sirius, Remus said, suddenly solemn. He sat up and took Sirius's hands in his. You said it best that day. I might not need looking after, but it's nice to have anyway, and I'm grateful for it. And I want to look after you too. That's what love is. 
looking after each other because we want to, not because we have to. Letting you help me doesn't mean that I'm helpless. You taught me that. I'm grateful to have you looking after me, too, Sirius said. I couldn't be in more capable hands. Remus drew Sirius's fingers up to kiss them, letting his eyes fall closed when Sirius brushed his thumb over his lower lip. It was always so easy to get lost in his touches, and Remus longed to sink down into the soft bedclothes and wrap himself up in Sirius all day. But they had work to do. Anyhow, Remus said, opening his eyes with a little sigh. Why did you bring up me fainting? Because you had a vision that day, Sirius said, and Remus remembered the misty meadow and long-forgotten melody that swirled through his mind while he was unconscious. It talked about restoring the balance, remember? Remus nodded slowly. Yes, yes, of course, he said. I'd forgotten. You mentioned it only in passing when you told Reg and James about the pendant and your lycanthropy, Sirius said. I didn't realize in the moment that when you fainted you were having a vision, but it makes sense. People unaccustomed to divination are often overcome by it. Being trapped between the present and the future is not a natural state. No, I would think not, Remus said, recalling how weak, sweaty, and lightheaded he felt in the moments before and after, and he felt the same way again after his dream. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Sirius nodded and took his hand, and at their touch, Remus was struck by his own words and overcome with awe and gratitude. His whole life was now filled with things he'd never experienced before, and it was all because of Sirius, this man whose existence was surely the result of the gods showing off. From the moment Sirius had stepped inside Remus's humble little shop, he changed his life, helped him discover truths about the world and himself he couldn't have imagined, flung open the door to adventure, and given him the kind of love that he did not know was possible. Remus looked upon Sirius and found himself unable, just then, to draw a proper breath. Sirius was too stunningly beautiful, with his classically carved face hair that tumbled around his shoulders like silken ebony, quicksilver blue eyes, and roguish smile that never failed to set Remus's heart hammering in his chest. His hands could break bones and draw blood as easily as they could hold Remus gently and coax pleasure out of his body. And to think that of all the people on earth, this magnificent person chose to love him. It was miraculous, and he thanked the gods for such a gift. I've become accustomed to new and unusual things since I met you, Remus said, still staring at Sirius, this glittering embodiment of the stars. Theirs was a divine love, Remus was sure of that now, as sure as he was of the sunrise and sunset. They looked into each other's eyes, gold meeting silver, and a deep well of unspoken and not yet understood truths swirled between them. Remus wondered whether they were thinking the same thing. Sirius nodded slowly his eyes not leaving Remus's. Unusual things have become quite usual for me, too, he said softly, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Remus pushed the parchment and quill aside, climbed into Sirius's lap, straddled his hips, and gently pulled off his glasses. He ran his hands down the back of Sirius's neck and kissed him, slowly at first, then more insistently until their passions overtook them and they came together with Remus's legs wrapped around Sirius's back and their chests pressed against each other. And although they did not know it, the ocean just outside rejoiced at their union, sending sea spray dancing into the air like tiny, 
sharply cut diamonds that caught the early morning sunlight and cast glittery rainbows into the mist above the joyfully leaping waves. I'll take you as far as the edge of their glen, Hagrid offered later as he scooped eggs, beans, sausage, and fried tomatoes onto each of their plates. But from there, you'll have to go on your own. He stood at the table by the fire in the pub, where Sirius, Remus, James, and Regulus were now sitting, their rucksacks at their feet again. James and Regulus had knocked on the other's door only a few minutes after they'd gotten dressed, and they all decided to set out right away to find the daughters of Selene. It was already November and wouldn't be getting any warmer. Hagrid left them to talk alone, and when he disappeared into the kitchen, James put a gentle hand onto Remus's shoulder. How are you feeling? he asked, his voice filled with loving concern. What do you mean? Remus asked, but James and Regulus exchanged confused looks. When James turned back to him it was with a bemused expression that creased his forehead. Mooney, you found out last night that you're descended from a titan goddess, James said. We expected you to have some thoughts on the matter. Oh, Remus said, feeling his cheeks warming under James's and Regulus's gaze. I, I haven't really given it much thought. You haven't? James exclaimed. Merlin, I think I'd be shitting myself if I got that news. Remus wasn't sure why, but finding out the true nature of his mother and her lineage did not feel nearly as shocking or frightening as it should have. He was much more frightened of the prophecy and the prospect of battling Greyback. And most especially of all, he was utterly terrified of Sirius getting hurt. It was a bit of a surprise, Sirius cut in, and Remus gave him a grateful look. But we already knew that there was something special about his mother's family. We just finally found out what it was. I suppose, James conceded. But fuck, Remus, you're part Titan. You're literally related to the moon. You've got to admit, that's pretty fucking incredible. Remus laughed, and so did Sirius. Right, yes. Remus nodded shyly. I suppose it's pretty incredible. Not that I had anything to do with it, but... But nothing, James said. It's amazing. And pads. James looked around conspiratorially and leaned forward before continuing in a low voice. You'll have to tell us what it's like to fuck a god, James finished. James. Regulus cried and slapped him upside the head as Remus squinted his eyes shut in embarrassment and Sirius folded his arms over his chest. It's exactly what you'd imagine it to be like, he said calmly. And if you ask such things again, you'll find out what it's like to have your balls detached from your body. At this James burst into laughter and slapped Remus on the back. Of all the miracles you've worked, Mooney, turning Sirius Black into a modest and discreet gentleman who protects the honor of his beloved is the most staggering thing I've ever witnessed. I tip my hat to you and your magic ass. James, shut up. Regulus cut him off, and James snorted with wicked glee. Hagrid gave them each a compass and loaded up their rucksacks with enough food for a week, along with a reminder that the woods were full of fish and wild game. Sirius, Regulus, and James grew up attending formal hunts with other upper-crust wizarding families and were familiar with such spells, although James shuddered at the thought of shooting a deer. We just had venison last night, Sirius reminded him. You might have, but I didn't, James said. Why do you think I ate my body weight in haggis? 
They followed Hagrid out of the pub and across the bleak, grassy plain until they reached the edge of a dark forest, where ancient pines towered into a thick greenish-black canopy that nearly blotted out the sun, but at least shielded them from the whipping ocean wind. There was a path, but barely, and it was only wide enough for one of them at a time. They hiked single file for hours, picking over huge, bulging roots and scrabbling over boulders. The deeper they walked into the woods, the darker and quieter it became. Sirius insisted on walking behind Remus, and Remus knew it was so he could watch out for him should anything happen on the path. Still, Remus kept his ears sharp for Sirius's footsteps behind his and turned around to check on him every few minutes. I'm fine. Sirius laughed after Remus spun around for about the hundredth time. I just like to check. Remus insisted, and walked backwards for a few steps until Sirius grabbed him by the arm and spun him around, helping him to narrowly miss tripping on a tree branch that had fallen across the path. Just keep your eyes forward, and don't worry about me, Sirius said. I've hiked through much worse. You have, Remus asked, always eager to hear about Sirius's exciting adventures around the world. Ask him about the Curapiras in Brazil, James called from the front and Remus heard Sirius sigh heavily. You met Curapiras, Remus exclaimed, turning around to stare at Sirius. Met, James repeated with a laugh. More like pissed off. They saw him running after me as prongs, and tried to attack him. What? Why? Remus laughed. Curapiras are notoriously protective of the forest and all the creatures in it. They thought Sirius was trying to kill a magical stag, Regulus said. What did they do to you? Remus asked Sirius, and James laughed again. Oh, nothing too terrible, James said, barely able to breathe for laughing. Only hexed him, so his cock was on his face. To teach me to not act like a dickhead, Sirius said, and he, too, was laughing. It reversed after a couple of hours. They realized that their magical stag was really just a magical idiot. Says the person who had a flaccid penis flopping around on his forehead for an afternoon, James said and Remus doubled over laughing, making Sirius bump into him and almost knock him over. Oh you think that's funny do you? Sirius whispered in Remus's ear with a laugh in his voice and a hand on his waist as he helped Remus to steady himself again. Seems to me you like all of my bits exactly where they belong. I'd take them wherever they are, Remus said, leaning up and laughing into a kiss. But I do like them where you have them. They laughed and started to hike again when Hagrid stopped abruptly with his hands in the air. He turned and put a finger over his lips, and they froze silent. Remus could hear the sound of running water nearby. Hagrid took a step forward, pointed in front of him, and nodded his head for them to approach where he stood in a small clearing. They gathered next to him, and Remus gasped. Spread out in front of them was an unseasonably verdant, bright green valley that looked to be about a mile or two in the distance. The forest floor plunged downward in a steep, rocky slope before giving way to the colorful, blooming valley below. Remus could make out a waterfall near its center and a bright blue river cutting through the middle like a shining sapphire snake. Hagrid looked down the cliff and all around, and when he was satisfied that they were alone, he spoke. This is where I leave you lads, he said turning toward them. That valley leads to the entrance of their glen. Find the river and follow it, stick together, and remember, there'll be an obstacle for each of you. You must complete it without help. If one of you gets sent back, use the compass I gave you. Follow where it points. 
It'll lead you right to the pub. You'll be welcome to stay, but I hope not to see you for a while. He shook each of their hands in turn until he got to Remus, whose face he took between his giant palms with a watery expression. Good luck, laddie, Hagrid said, and kissed Remus on the forehead. Make them proud. They'll be so glad to finally see you again. Thank you, Remus replied, and gave him a hug. For everything. Then Hagrid turned and stomped back through the woods, leaving them alone. They watched him go until they couldn't see him any longer, then pulled the tents out of their rucksacks and got to setting up camp. They built a fire as the sun set over the lush valley, which glowed a burnished pink and orange under the evening sky. Sirius conjured wide, comfortable canvas camp chairs while James made a hearty dinner of beef stew, thick bread, cheese, and ale, and after they ate, Remus curled next to Sirius next to the warm fire and dozed on his shoulder while he listened to the other three tell stories of their travels and adventures. It was a cold but beautiful night, and the forest was peaceful and quiet around them. And even though he should have been nervous or afraid, Remus found that he wasn't. Instead, he was more content than he had ever been in his entire life. It had been just over a week since the full moon and still the servants cowered from him and his grotesque injuries as he angrily stalked the halls of Greyback Castle. He'd never taken this long to recover, not even during those terrible first moons so many years ago when he had not yet learned the healing magic that would save him each month. Now, his skin was scabbed and yellow with angry bruises and gashes. His shattered ribs burned and stung with every breath and every movement. He'd summoned a healer from London who did little more than give him a pain potion and her sympathies. It was no use. He'd have to heal like a lesser wizard, or worse, like a fucking muggle. The beautiful and enchanting Remus he more than forgave. His power was stunning to behold, and Fenrir thought of him each time he held Sava's head between his legs. He grasped Sava's hair tightly in his fist and imagined that the sounds of him choking on his cock were coming from that golden throat instead. Yes, he forgave Remus, even relished the bites the boy gave him, the marks he left upon his skin. But Black. Black was another fucking story. Twenty-five years of simmering disdain for that arrogant prick had finally boiled over into blind hatred and white-hot rage. Black had the fucking gall to come into his own house and steal the breath from his lungs, the pendant from around his neck, and the boy he did not deserve. And now, now he would pay. Chapter 20 Sirius woke the next morning to the sound of birds chirping, cool November sunlight streaming in through the enchanted tent window, and the bed empty next to him. He sat up and looked around for Remus who was curled under a wool blanket in an oversized armchair with a huge book open on his lap and his hands wrapped around a steaming cup of tea. Remus looked up at him and smiled. He was resplendent and glowing, brighter than the morning sunshine sparkling through the treetops. You look so handsome when you're just awake, Remus said as Sirius shuffled out of bed and wrapped a dressing gown around his naked body. Remus leaned up for a kiss before Sirius sat down in the chair next to him then reached across to the side table and poured Sirius a cup of tea. Thank you. Sirius yawned as the scent of salon tea mixed with Remus's blend of burnt orange peel and mugwort-infused honey, along with Tulsi for mental clarity and orange thyme for courage. What are you reading? 
The wizard's greenhouse and conservatory, Remus said, partially shutting the book to read from the front cover. Oh, I haven't seen this book in years, Sirius said, looking over Remus's shoulder. The illustrations are amazing, Remus replied, running his hand lightly over the wide parchment page. Indeed, in addition to information about the cultivation of each plant and its magical properties, every illustration provided a moving time-lapse of the plant's germination and life cycle, from seed to maturation. Sirius and Remus watched a watercolor illustration of a monk's hood seed crack open, sprout tiny, snaking white roots downward, and shoot a green tendril up toward the sky that thickened into a stem. Then, Frilled green leaves and delicate blue flowers with petals like butterfly wings blossomed outward, before the whole plant shriveled into winter dormancy and started its entire life cycle again. Monkshood, as deadly as it is beautiful, Remus murmured as he watched the flower bloom and shrink. He flipped through more of the colorful pages and looked up at Sirius. Was this your book, then? No, it was my Uncle Alphard's, Sirius replied. The tents and everything in them belonged to him. Two. He was a governor under the wizarding branch of the East India Company and traveled all around the world. I always wanted to be just like him and have grand adventures before I had to settle down and become the dreaded Lord Black. Sirius looked around the tent and saw his beloved late uncle everywhere, from the layered red Persian rugs on the floor, to the spinning bamboo fan on the ceiling, to the brass octant atop the steamer trunk stacked in the corner, to the four-poster bed draped in gauzy white mosquito netting, to the atlases, maps, and compendiums of botany, anthropology, and astronomy that lined the shelves, to the scent of sandalwood and frankincense that still permeated the tense canvas walls. He looked back at Remus, who watched him dreamily with his chin propped upon the heel of his hand and his elbow resting on the book's dragon hide cover. And that's exactly what you did, Remus said with a smile, and Sirius was reminded of Remus's desire for the very same thing. Sirius hadn't fully realized until that moment that both he and Remus had been predestined for fates that they did not choose. When all of this was over they'd set sail for each and every horizon they could find. It's what I'm still doing, Sirius said, putting out a hand that Remus grasped. Little did I know that love would be the grandest adventure of all. Remus put the book onto the tent's bamboo floor, and Sirius pulled him out of the chair and onto his lap. Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus's waist as he settled across his legs. Grander than the Amazon, grander than China and India and Tahiti, Remus asked, punctuating each far-flung place with a kiss. Grander than all of them combined, Sirius promised. Grander even than the moon herself. Shush, do not let her hear you say that, Remus whispered with a laugh, and wrapped his arms around Sirius's neck drawing him into another kiss before settling his head on Sirius's shoulder. They sat like that for several quiet moments before Sirius asked Remus the question he'd been thinking about for the past two days. Are you afraid? He'd wanted to ask Remus last night but couldn't bring himself to do it, not when Remus looked so content with his head resting on Sirius's shoulder by the fire, and so sleepy and soft tucked up against him in bed. Remus didn't answer right away. Instead, he brought a gentle hand to the back of Sirius's neck and ran his fingers through his hair thoughtfully. Aside from repacking the tents, they were ready to venture down into the valley. They planned to eat breakfast, pack, and set out at nine o'clock sharp. They had just over an hour until then. 
Just over an hour of solitude and calm until their journey began. Yes, Remus said finally. Of certain things. I'm afraid of something happening to James and Regulus, especially since they don't really need to be here. I'm afraid of one of us failing to get past our obstacle and being sent back alone. And I'm absolutely terrified of you getting hurt. But as for myself, I don't think I feel afraid. I feel, I feel calm, like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Have you ever felt that way? Not until I met you, Sirius admitted. But I feel it right now. You do? Remus asked, his eyes wide. Sirius watched real relief wash across his face, and he knew Remus finally, fully realized that Sirius would have sooner stopped his own heart than let Remus do this alone. Yes, Sirius promised. Your soul is my home. Wherever you are is where I am meant to be, in this universe or the next. I've spent twenty years wandering the world, trying to find some scrap of meaning, some fleeting taste of adventure, and now I've found it all, and so much more, in you. Mortal words do not exist for the way I love you. But the heavens understand. I love you, Remus, as the stars love the moon, and I shall follow in your orbit for eternity. Leaving a glittering trail of stardust along the way, as you always do. Remus smiled, and he was radiant, perfect. My beautiful, burning star. I love you. Sirius could still not believe that this stunning creature was real, let alone his. But real he was. Remus's body was warm and solid on top of him, and Sirius ran his hand up Remus's thigh, over his hips, and across his stomach, pushing his dressing gown open to reveal the glowing magnificence underneath. One silk sleeve slipped off Remus's slender shoulder, and his decadent allure called to Sirius as always. Sirius's lips found Remus's throat, that sweet honey hollow just over his collarbone, and he tasted like delicate berries covered in early morning dew. Sirius's fingertips slid and traced along the tracks of his tongue, and he kissed down Remus's neck, across his chest and over his shoulder until Remus took Sirius's face in his hands and pulled it upward impatiently. Sirius kissed his bright cherry lips, hard and insistent, pulling juicy tartness with every swipe of their tongues. Remus let the silken dressing gown fall completely away as he slid off Sirius's lap and onto his knees between his legs. He ran his hands up the soft skin of Sirius's inner thighs and pushed them wide open, licking around the head of Sirius's stiff, dripping cock as though it was a fount of life. He looked otherworldly like this, and Sirius was entranced by the elegant lines of his neck and shoulders, his arching back, the swell of his arse as he knelt before him. Sirius ran his hands through Remus's hair, scraped his fingernails against his scalp, closed the golden strands between his fingers and pulled tugging his head back and making his warm, tight lips slide up his shaft. Remus's moan came from deep inside him as he arched up, before plunging Sirius back down his throat hungrily. Sirius pulled him back again and felt the satisfied sounds from Remus's chest vibrate around him once more. Remus swallowed him again, slippery and deep, as though he couldn't get enough, and Sirius's cock bumped against the back of Remus's throat. More and more, deeper and deeper, the slick, wet heat of Remus's mouth engulfed him, made his head spin. Sirius needed Remus like he needed oxygen. He needed to be buried inside of him. He tightened his grip on Remus's hair and tilted his head back until he could lean forward and capture Remus's lips in a slow, sliding lick of teeth and tongue. 
Sirius, too, slid off the chair onto the floor and turned Remus around so he was on his hands and knees. Remus shivered as the cleaning spell tingled through him, and Sirius leaned forward, spread Remus open wide, and licked against him, swirling his tongue and pressing it inside alongside one, two, three slippery fingers until Remus was bucking backwards against him in hard, pumping thrusts. Remus whined as Sirius pulled away and sat up on his knees. Sirius took his thick, flushed cock in his hand, lined himself up, and pushed inside Remus's tight, vital body in one, long, firm slide until his hips were flush with the muscles of Remus's perfect arse. Remus's back arched with a satisfied cry, and he sat completely backward onto Sirius's thighs as he pressed down against him, driving him as deep as he could get. Sirius nearly spilled right then, but instead— reached around with one hand to stroke Remus's cock and kept the other hand firmly wrapped around Remus's chest. He thrust and pumped in a firm rhythm. Each drag of his cock against Remus's prostate pulled ragged cries from his throat until it reached a shouting crescendo, and Sirius felt warm come coat his hand in powerful spurts. Remus throbbed and tightened around him, and Sirius came with a hand pressed against Remus's stomach and his head bent over his back, as though in prayer. Sirius sat back on his heels and took Remus with him onto his lap, his arms wrapped around Remus's waist. He pressed breathless kisses across the base of his neck, the back of his shoulders, and down his spine. Remus twined their fingers together and rested his full weight against Sirius's body as Sirius softened inside of him. They breathed together, Sirius's chest rising and falling against Remus's back in a slowing rhythm, and Sirius tasted sun-warmed honey in every kiss. He closed his eyes against Remus's neck and breathed in his delicate summer scent, relishing the softness of Remus's silken hair against his face. A crinkle of parchment drew his eyes back open, and Sirius looked up. His eyes widened as the book on the floor swelled slowly and little green shoots tendrilled out from around its edges. The heavy cover creaked upward, flipped open with a little thud, and stems, leaves, flowers, and fruit burst from its pages. Sweet pea and forget-me-nots, roses and camellia twisted toward the ceiling as the illustrations came to bright, vivid life. Sirius felt entranced, enchanted. He reached a hand upward in wonder toward a glowing, delicate blue flower with petals like butterfly wings that swayed hypnotically as though in an invisible breeze. But before he could touch it, Remus grabbed his wrist and yanked it away. Monkshood, Remus whispered urgently, tilting his head back. It's poisonous, Sirius, even to the touch. Of course. Sirius knew that. Remus had told him only minutes before. How could he have forgotten so quickly? They watched the flowers sway around their heads as they held each other, until Remus waved his hand, and every stem shot downward, shrinking back into their illustrations, and the book flipped shut again. Remus pulled his silk dressing gown back on and picked up the book frowning at it. He didn't say anything, but he didn't need to. He and Sirius exchanged an ominous look. The gods, they both knew, did not play fair. We must keep our wits about us, Remus said quietly, at every step, darting now. Forgot your silencing charms this morning, eh, Padfoot? James laughed under his breath as they hiked down the steep ravine an hour later. Pretty sure Hagrid heard that. They had done as instructed and followed the sound of the rushing river, 
tracing its downward plunge toward the lush valley below. Remus and Regulus were ahead of them, picking their way carefully down the rocks and tree roots that protruded from the side of the hill and acted as narrow, uneven steps. Sirius could tell they were deep in conversation, and guessed that they were discussing strategies for whatever obstacles they might face. He looked sideways at James and squashed his first instinct to berate him for being indelicate. He knew that James meant no harm, and he felt more forgiving with Remus out of earshot. Besides, he and James had teased each other like that for twenty-five years. Happened a little too fast for a silencing charm, Sirius admitted. He slowed down to find his footing over a bit of earth that crumbled underfoot as he stepped on it. I respect that. James nodded appreciatively, then laughed. Your brother, on the other hand. Well, we definitely need to be more careful about everything. Sirius said in an undertone, and told James about the monkshood that rose out of the book like a charmed snake, as well as Remus's dream about Themis. So what do you reckon, then? James asked, frowning at him as they walked. That it's already started. Whatever tests they have planned for us. It seems that way, Sirius said. I think it was a warning not to take anything at face value. Listen, Prongs. You and I know each other better than anyone. We need to be a second set of eyes and ears for each other. And for them. He nodded up toward Remus and Regulus. All right. James nodded, suddenly solemn, and Sirius knew that James would rather swallow a bolt of lightning than let any harm come to Regulus. James had always been blessed and cursed with that Gryffindor bravery but deferred to Regulus often. Although let's be fair, they'll be looking out for us just as much, if not more. That's exactly what I'm afraid of, Sirius said. They'll be so concerned about me and you, they'll not give a second thought to themselves. The monk's hood seemed innocent, and tried to hoodwink me when I was least expecting it and the most vulnerable. If it wasn't for Remus, it would have succeeded. We must be on our guard and trust nothing but each other. James gave Sirius a bracing smile and slapped him on the shoulder. We've done that before, James said, and he was right, of course. Sirius and Regulus grew up in a dark, foreboding place where they were forever looking over their shoulders with suspicion at anyone who crossed the threshold, even their own parents. Anyone could be a danger. Mistrust, scheming, backstabbing, and winnipmanship were as common black family traits as high cheekbones and bloodlust. Yet for all of their brotherly bickering and fights, and there were many, Sirius and Regulus fundamentally had each other's backs from the start, even becoming anime guy together to reduce their shared trauma. Sirius knew that if not for the other, neither of them would have made it out of that house in one piece. Adding James to the mix, a Gryffindor who got more than his fair share of shit for being best mates with the Slytherin Black Brothers, only made their collective armor thicker and stronger. We surely have, Sirius agreed, and they walked on. They hiked for hours. Although the valley had looked only about a mile or two away from atop the crest of the hill, they realized now that they wouldn't even make it to the valley floor before nightfall. The deeper they hiked, the more palpable the magic. It tingled and hummed like the air before a storm, vibrating around every leaf and rock. It thrummed up their feet and legs and tingled across their skin. Soon, they approached a ravine, and although the sun was already dipping low over the rim of the valley, they decided to cross it before setting up camp for the night and hiking the rest of the way in the morning. The ravine was narrow but deep and plunged straight down into inky blackness that seemed to go on forever. 
Sirius reminded himself that it probably did, perhaps reaching straight into the river Styx itself or some other well of ancient magic. They tried apparating across first, but of course, it did not work. Let me try something, Remus said. He stood at the very edge of the cliff, drew his arm back, and scooped his hand upward through the air. A groaning crack shuddered around them, and the ground trembled beneath their feet as thick. Ropey vines broke through the earth on one side of the ravine and grew straight across the gaping chasm, twisting and nodding onto themselves until they formed a sturdy bridge that reached the other side. The vines burrowed deep into the rocky cliff's opposite edge, anchoring themselves into the ground. Remus waved his hand again, and a railing braided itself slowly upward from the bridge floor. It too was made out of the same thick, green vines. Sirius held his breath as Remus grasped each side of the vine railing and placed one tentative foot onto the bridge he just created, pressing down a few times to determine its strength. The bridge wobbled, swinging back and forth over the dark ravine, but held fast to the cliff edge. Remus, let me test it, Sirius said in a choked voice, but Remus only shook his head silently without looking back at him and stepped fully onto the bridge before Sirius could say another word. It swayed in a wide arc, back and forth, and Sirius's heart dropped into his stomach as Remus took another step. Remus stopped, bracing his feet and arms wide as he tried to steady the swinging bridge, and Sirius could see his legs shaking underneath him. When the bridge's movement slowed, Remus took another step, then another, then more, until he reached the other side. He hopped up onto the opposite edge, kicking dirt and a few loose rocks out from under his feet as he did. They fell and swirled silently downward, disappearing into the black gash in the earth. It's strong, Remus called to the other three as he turned around. But the knots make it an uneven surface to walk on, and it's wobbly, so be careful. James turned to Regulus and motioned for him to go next, but Regulus only crossed his arms over his chest and shook his head. No fucking way, James, he said flatly, leaving no room for argument. But I want to make sure. James started, but Regulus cut in. So do I. He snapped. You go first, or I don't go at all. That goes for you too, Lord Black. James and Regulus stared at each other, but Sirius knew his brother well enough to know that James had already lost. You can't do this the whole time, Reg. Drown yourself to save everyone around you. James told him quietly, leaned forward and kissed him then turned and crossed the wobbling, swaying bridge easily and quickly. You next, go. Regulus told Sirius sharply, but Sirius only arched an eyebrow and tilted his head. Don't look at me like that, Regulus said. You know you'd do the same thing. I was only going to tell you to be careful, Sirius said. I will, but I'm not worried. I know it's strong. Remus made it, Regulus said, as though this alone was explanation enough for his confidence. But before Sirius could say anything else, Regulus was snapping at him again. Go. I'm tired, I'm starving, and I'm freezing my ass off. I want to build a fire, have supper, and fuck my husband without any silencing charms to get revenge on you for this morning. Hurry up. Love you too, Reg, Sirius said, and stepped onto the bridge. Remus was right. It was strong, but wobbly. The thick, knobby knots felt strange and unsettling under his feet, and the bridge swayed back and forth like a cork being tossed in the ocean. He gripped the railing tightly, 
and the thick vines rough, twisting fibers burned slightly under his hands. He looked down into the black belly of the ravine and saw nothing, no bottom, no light, and his stomach twisted at the idea of falling into its depths. And yet, for all the bridge's wild swaying and the ravine's fathomless hunger, he and James had found themselves in much tighter scrapes over the years than crossing a shaky bridge. The key to getting through moments like these, he recalled, was confidence, false or not. He looked up and saw two of the people he loved most on earth waiting for him on the other side, and any remaining nerves evaporated as he strode quickly toward them. James and Remus stepped back as Sirius reached them, giving him room to step off the narrow bridge and onto the rocky ground. Remus launched himself at Sirius and wrapped his arms around his waist. Sirius could feel Remus's heart pounding against his own chest, and Sirius leaned down to kiss the top of his head. Was it all right? Remus whispered to him as they clasped their hands together. Easy, Sirius said. It was brilliant. Come on, Reg, James called, and although he tried to be nonchalant, Sirius could see James's knuckles turning white in his clenched fists as they all turned to watch Regulus come across at last. Relax. Regulus called to James with a laugh, but he had no sooner set foot onto the bridge when a sound like rolling thunder and cracking lightning rumbled upward from deep inside the ravine, shaking the ground so violently that they nearly lost their footing under a cascade of swiftly crumbling rocks. What the hell is that? James cried, looking around wildly. But before any of them could answer, the sky blackened, and a massive, twisting wave of water, shining like liquid obsidian, rose up out of the ravine and crashed over the bridge, soaking Regulus and slamming him off his feet. His body skidded backward across the swinging bridge, and his legs slipped under the railing, dangling over the dark chasm for several heart-stopping moments before he scrambled back to his feet. Reg! James screamed and ran toward him, but Regulus stopped him with his arms in the air, knocking James onto his arse with forceful, accidental magic. His black hair was plastered to his head and he blinked against the water spraying in his eyes that rose and roared up around him again like a thundering, gravity-defying waterfall. No. Regulus yelled through the rushing, crashing tumult. Wave after wave rammed up around his legs, trying to knock him over again. This is my obstacle. Don't come any closer. Regulus opened his mouth to say something else but was knocked backwards by another violently lashing wall of water that twisted and whipped through the air like a thick, powerful lasso. James scrambled back to his feet and tried to run toward the bridge again, but Sirius grabbed him by the arm. The water churned in front of them, soaking their hair and faces and nearly blinding them. Wait! Sirius yelled over the drenching turmoil. He'll get sent back alone. Let him try. Sirius, James and Remus gripped each other against the violent wind and needle-like spray, struggling to stay upright. Regulus got back to his feet again and waved his wand in a complicated crescent pattern, yelling something they couldn't hear against the wall of roaring water that roiled and rose above his head like angry thunderclouds. The bridge swung and twisted wildly, and the vines began to fray and uncoil under Regulus's feet. Regulus hung on tightly with one hand and looked up with his wand raised not taking his eyes off the rushing, churning, black water that filled the entire sky. He shouted against it, but Sirius could not hear him over the thundering storm that sent thrashing, slapping jets of water all around him, 
battering his body. Regulus fought hard as he screamed spell after spell into the raging sea cloud, but it was no use. Nothing tamed the onslaught. He was so focused on the attack from above that he did not notice two more waves rising up slowly from either side of the bridge below him. Bridge, look out. Sirius yelled, but it was like whispering into a hurricane. The waves surged into the air and slammed back down with the force of a freight train, knocking against Regulus's chest like heavy punching fists and sending him flying backwards into the air in an angry, frothing frenzy. But instead of falling onto the quickly fraying bridge or plummeting into the black ravine, the roaring, fathomless black water lifted Regulus into the sky and set him aloft in a violent, spinning whirlpool that sucked and gurgled around his body. Regulus's arms flailed in the water, and Sirius watched in horror as his black head dipped below the tossing waves again and again, his face twisted in a silent cry as he gasped desperately for breath. He floundered and thrashed disappearing beneath the waves for longer and longer moments before resurfacing. His head popped up once more before being swiftly sucked back down, and James cried out. Where is he? James yelled, his eyes searching the churning water for any sign of Regulus, but he was gone. Where the hell is he? Finally, he reappeared one last time, but he looked chillingly different. He was no longer struggling no longer reaching to the sky or trying to get breath into his lungs. Instead, his eyes were closed, his mouth gaped open, and his body bobbed lifelessly atop the water. The sucking whirlpool pulled him down again like a flopping rag doll, and this time, he did not resurface. James let out a choked, inhuman howl and wrenched his arm from Sirius's grip. James, Sirius called, his throat ragged and sharp. He could not lose both of them. But James yelled back, wearing an expression as brutal as the deadly water. I don't give a fuck, he cried, his voice cracking and breaking against the harsh spray that lashed their faces and stung their eyes. I'm not going to let him drown. And he ran, hard, straight into the torrential wall of writhing water. It rolled and pushed, almost knocking him back, but James barreled through, disappearing into the frothing waves. Sirius lunged forward after him, but Remus held him back. Look, Remus cried. As soon as James's foot landed on the bridge, the sky cleared and the water above their heads quieted and stilled. The wild, bubbling, thundering whirlpool flattened into a wide, glassy pond that floated mirror-like over their heads and reflected the beautiful pink sunset like a shining prism. James fell to his knees as the lovely, placid water lowered slowly over the bridge. He watched with his head tilted up toward the heavens as the pond split into two shimmering disks to reveal Regulus floating in the sky on his back upon a gently rippling ribbon of water. His eyes were closed, and he could have been asleep. No, James cried, as the water lowered Regulus across his lap with a calm, almost loving, lick of waves against his face before retreating and disappearing silently back into the black ravine below. James sobbed, wrapping his arms around Regulus's motionless shoulders, as Sirius and Remus watched, helpless. Regulus did not move, and his body lay limply across James's lap as James folded himself over Regulus's chest and shook with silent despair. But just as Sirius felt his knees start to give out underneath him, Regulus's back arched, and his chest jerked upward in James's lap. 
He rolled to his side and expelled a bursting stream of water from his mouth as he choked and sputtered awake. Reg! Oh, Reg! James bawled. Regulus coughed and nodded slowly as James gripped him desperately. Sirius let out a cry of relief into Remus's shoulder and could feel Remus crying too. He wanted to rush toward them, but the bridge had been badly battered and Sirius wasn't sure it could take the additional burden. Instead, they watched and waited as James and Regulus sat holding each other in the middle of the softly swaying bridge. Several minutes went by before James stood, helped Regulus to his feet, and made their shaky way across the bridge, where they collapsed into the other two's waiting arms. Sirius felt Regulus's cold, trembling body being held up between himself and James. He closed his eyes and wrapped his brother up tightly. After a few minutes, Remus took a step back from Sirius, James, and Regulus, and stood very still as he watched them from outside the circle of their embrace. Sirius looked over at him questioningly and put out a beckoning hand. Remus didn't take it, but forced his face into a smile. I'll set up the camp and put some wards around the tents. You tend to these two, he told Sirius quietly. He gathered up all the discarded rucksacks and walked alone toward a small, sheltered clearing to set up camp for the night. It wasn't until much later by fire, after they'd all changed into dry clothes and eaten a hearty dinner, that it occurred to Sirius that Regulus hadn't completed his obstacle alone. Regulus was shivering and wrapped in a thick blanket while James had been glued to his side all night. But he was still there and not making his way back to Hagrid's. We're all still here, Sirius said. Why? It was at that moment that James felt something heavy drop into his pocket. What is it? Sirius asked, as James reached inside and drew out a long, wide object that covered his entire palm. He held it close to the fire and squinted into the darkness to see what it was. I think, I think it's a key, James said curiously, and Regulus gasped in understanding. That wasn't my obstacle, Jamie, Regulus said through chattering teeth. It was yours. Chapter 21 The next morning, they sat round the fire again and passed the key between them, inspecting it over their tea and porridge. A glittering frost had settled overnight, and the rising sun glinted against every leaf and blade of grass as it made its morning climb through the sky. In the light of day, they could clearly see that the key was unlike any other they'd ever seen. It was made of heavy stone, and instead of being relatively small and flat like most keys, it was long and wide, with a handle carved into a curling wave of water and sharp, almost star-shaped teeth. The key matches the obstacle, Regulus noted, running his fingers over the roughly hewn contours of the carving, which was dotted with greenish-white lichen. It not only looked ancient, but as though it had spent most of its days outside. I wonder if we'll each get a key, then, James said, as Regulus handed it back to him. James turned the key over a few more times in his hand before stowing it deep in his rucksack, then looked up at Regulus with a crease across his forehead. How are you feeling, love? The same as when you asked me ten minutes ago. Fine, Regulus said. He did his best to seem annoyed at the incessant questioning but the softness in his eyes betrayed him. He smoothed a hand over James's messy hair and gave him a kiss on the cheek. I get free reign to worry about you for the next 24 hours, James declared, 
twining their fingers together tightly. Considering you were almost drowned by a magical tsunami. I'm going to pack the tents, Remus said abruptly. He waved a hand and disappeared the rest of his barely eaten porridge before setting the bowl down by the fire and walking away silently. Sirius watched him go with an ache in the pit of his stomach. Remus had been unusually quiet since the night before and had gone to bed well before everyone else, even Regulus. Sirius slipped into bed next to him a few hours later and curved an arm around Remus's chest. But Remus didn't roll over to face him, even when Sirius kissed the back of his head and whispered, I love you, into his ear. Love you too, Remus whispered back without another word. Sirius laid awake for a very long time after that, hoping that Remus wasn't thinking what Sirius feared he was thinking. Is he all right? James asked as he followed Sirius's line of vision toward Remus's retreating back. I don't know, Sirius admitted. He watched Remus wanlessly pull the tent stakes from the ground. He's barely said anything to me since yesterday afternoon. What do you reckon? James asked. Guilt, Regulus said before Sirius could answer. He feels guilty that we're all in danger because of him. But why? James said, wide-eyed and earnest. We volunteered. I practically begged to come. And we've told him about a thousand times that we'd never let him come alone. He doesn't think he's worth it. Regulus said quietly, looking down at his hand and spinning the wedding ring on his finger. Did he say something to you? Sirius asked, remembering one of his and Remus's first meetings when Remus confessed that he didn't think he had much worth. No, but he didn't need to. I just know. Regulus said then turned to James. Because I felt the same way about you. James gave Sirius a look that was half amused, half disbelieving before turning to Regulus. What the fuck are you on about? He demanded. I always thought you were too good for me, Regulus said simply. Reg! James exclaimed indignantly, but Regulus put a quieting finger over his husband's lips. I don't think that anymore, Regulus said. But I did for a very long time when we were first courting. Courting? Sirius laughed. Is that what you call shagging all over Hogwarts Castle? Regulus tutted and raised a repressive eyebrow at his brother. I don't mean then, Regulus said. I meant after school, when it was clear that the relationship was becoming more serious and mother started asking me about my intentions. I almost broke up with you. What? James exclaimed, looking as though Regulus had punched him in the face. You were perfect, Regulus said. You were one of the cleverest wizards at school. A wealthy, pure blood heir. And yet you were still good and kind to everyone. You could have been an arrogant prick, but instead you were human fucking sunshine. And you were best mates with him. He nodded to Sirius before continuing. He was everything I wasn't. Why would you want me, when he was right there? I couldn't figure out why you'd want to chain your lot to the surly spare when you could have had the charming air. Regulus said. James started to protest with words like. Disgusting. And. My brother. But Regulus quieted him again. I know that now. Regulus said, covering James's hand with his. But back then, I thought you deserved better than the uptight brother from an insane, evil family who wouldn't even inherit a title. Reg, James said. My God. You sound like mother, Sirius said, and Regulus nodded. Exactly, he replied. I realized that every time I thought something like that about myself, it was her voice I heard in my mind. He turned to James and took one of his hands in both of his. And I heard your voice saying the good things, 
he finished. I realized that maybe I shouldn't believe all the thoughts in my head when they said you deserved better. James pulled Regulus into a hug, then looked at Sirius thoughtfully. Actually, James told Sirius, Remus did say those exact words to me, that you deserved better than him. But that was before the ball. He must think differently now. Thoughts like that are hard to shake if that's all you've ever been told about yourself, Regulus said quietly, and he and Sirius exchanged a sad, knowing look. They'd grown up in the same house and endured the same abuse. Sirius knew exactly what he meant. A few months of Sirius telling him how wonderful he is won't undo twenty years of him hearing otherwise. Sirius did not have to wonder long about whose voice Remus heard in his head when such intrusive thoughts swirled around in it. All Lyle had ever told Remus was that he was dangerous to others and that others were dangerous to him, that his very existence was a burden, that he was lucky he hadn't been abandoned in the woods and left to die. Remus had been separated from everyone, even his own father, and had become accustomed to fending for himself. I'm going to go talk to him, Sirius said. He got up and crossed the camp to where Remus was folding one of the tents. It hung in the air in front of him and slowly folded in on itself with every little flick of his fingers. Hi, Sirius said, putting his hands in his pockets and standing shoulder to shoulder with Remus, who looked over at him only briefly without stopping his work. Hi, he replied. Can we take a walk? Sirius asked. I need to finish this first, he said. James can finish it. Sirius said, but Remus shook his head. James has done enough, he replied quietly. Then we can finish it together after, Sirius said firmly, lowering Remus's hand and making the tent collapse onto the ground in a rumpled heap of canvas. Remus sighed and gave Sirius a weary look, but after a few seconds, he obeyed and followed Sirius away from the camp. They walked in silence until they reached the river where they sat side by side beneath a silver birch tree on the mossy bank. Unlike further upstream where the river frothed loudly over jagged rocks, here, the water was deeper and quieter, although Sirius could still see the powerful current rippling through its fast-flowing waters. Remus tilted his head upward, and his eyes traced the path of an osprey circling overhead. It dove into the river with a splash and retrieved a flopping fish in its powerful talons before flying away. Remus ran his fingers absently over a patch of thick moss as he gazed out over the river with unfocused eyes, looking but not really seeing. He seemed tired, as though he barely slept. Do I want to know what you've been thinking? Sirius asked, watching him carefully. Remus shook his head. Probably not, he admitted, looking at Sirius with a sad little smile. I'm trying, Sirius. I really am. I don't want to feel this way. Feel what way? Sirius asked, although he already knew. That you're all risking your lives for no reason. I've been trying to listen to you, trying to talk myself out of it. But after yesterday, seeing Regulus almost drown and what that did to James. And to you. Remus's voice trailed away, and he drew his knees up to his chest. He looked as though he was trying to become as small as he could. Sirius stared out at the river for a few minutes without saying anything only listening to the wind through the birch branches and watching the rising sun glint off the rippling water. This is my fight, Remus said in a hushed voice, and I've dragged you all into it. You couldn't do this alone, Sirius countered. No one could. Yes, I could, Sirius, 
Remus replied stubbornly. Sirius sighed and closed his eyes. I thought you trusted me, Sirius said finally. I do, Remus said, disbelief all over his face as he turned his head to face Sirius. You know I do. But maybe a part of you doesn't, Sirius replied, and he found that he could not keep the edge out of his voice. Because you don't believe me when I tell you that we all want to be here with you. That there's nowhere else we'd ever be. No, you're wrong, Remus said, shaking his head. He turned so he was kneeling, facing Sirius. I do believe you. That's the problem. I believe you when you say that you want to be here, and that you'd follow me anywhere. I just don't think you should. Remus, Sirius exclaimed. How can you say that? Don't you understand that it would kill me to leave you? Don't you understand that it would kill me to watch you die for no reason? Remus said, his voice rising. He got to his feet and stood over Sirius, looking down at him with an anguished expression. No reason, Sirius repeated, scrambling to stand too, as a breeze rustled the silver birch's bare branches over their heads. They whispered like spirits through the air. I love you, that's the reason. He reached out to grasp Remus's shoulders, but Remus jerked away. I know you do. You're already risking your life by being in love with someone who could fucking kill you once a month. Remus yelled. And now this. How much do you have to sacrifice for me? We've been over this a million times, Sirius said, feeling his frustration start to boil over. It's not a sacrifice. Well, it feels like one. Remus cried, his voice breaking. And it's not fair to you. Fine, Sirius yelled. What if it is a sacrifice? What if I choose to die for you? So fucking what? It would have been worth it just to be with you. You are worth it. No, Remus shouted, his throat shredding through angry tears. I'm not, and if you think I am, then maybe I shouldn't trust you at all. As the words left his lips, a creaking groan rumbled around them and the ground trembled beneath their feet. The silver birch was splitting open before their eyes, its bark peeling back and its trunk cracking wide. Its roots rose up out of the earth, spilling dirt and rocks around their feet. The two halves of its trunk broke apart, pulling and splintering away from each other, as though being pried open by invisible hands. A gigantic hole was forming in the void where the trunk and roots split away from each other, and Sirius and Remus dashed backward as the ground beneath their feet began to loosen and give way. But it was too late. The forest floor crumbled and collapsed under them. Remus lost his footing, fell, and tumbled straight down into the now gaping hole in the ground. His fingers clawed at the edge, searching for purchase but grasping at nothing as the dirt caked under his fingernails and fell around his face. And before Sirius could do more than reach out a hand to pull him back, the hole groaned open even wider. The dirt wall receded from Remus's desperate fingers, and the earth pulled him hungrily into its dark belly. Remus! Sirius cried, falling to his knees and scrabbling to the edge of the hole, but Remus was gone. The tree and river bank quieted and stilled, and a new horror began. The ground underneath Sirius began to slowly knit back together, first the rocks, then the dirt, and even the grass, reforming and slowly closing the gash in the earth that had just swallowed Remus whole. Oh, Merlin, no? Sirius breathed as he watched the hole get smaller and smaller before his eyes. He pointed his wand at the dirt and yelled every spell he could think of, but nothing happened. He might as well have been holding a useless stick. 
He dropped his wand onto the grass without a thought and instead used his hands, desperately digging and pulling away the earth, the skin on his fingers ripping open against the jagged rocks. But it was no use. No sooner had he cleared a space than another one filled in faster than he could dig. Remus, he cried out again, as blood and sweat mixed with the dirt that coated his fingers. Sirius, a voice called back, and Sirius's breath caught in his lungs. At the sound of Remus's voice, the ground quieted, and the hole stopped refilling. Now, it was about as wide as Sirius himself. Remus, Sirius yelled, leaning over and sticking his head into the dark hole and seeing nothing but blackness. I'm at the bottom, said Remus's voice. It sounded echoey and distant. Are you all right? Yes, he replied. But my magic doesn't work, and I can't see anything. Remus's magic not working somehow filled Sirius with more dread than anything else that had happened thus far. No matter what, they could always count upon Remus's powerful magic whenever they needed it. Until now. Sirius sat back on his heels and found his dirt-covered wand lying on the grass next to him. He didn't expect anything to happen, but pointed it into the hole anyway. Lumos, he said, and to his shock, the tip ignited, flooding the dark space with light. He could see Remus, but barely. The wand light grew fainter the further it shone into the earth and only just illuminated Remus's shadowy form. I still can't see, Remus yelled, and his voice trembled with frightened tears. Something happened on the way down. There was a flash of light behind my eyes, and everything went dark. Another ripple of fear shot through Sirius's body, but he pushed it aside. Instead, he ran his wand light up and down the sides of the hole and noticed that the birch tree's roots looked a bit like stairs as they jutted out from the dirt wall. I'm coming down, Sirius said. No, Remus shouted. Then we'll both be stuck down here. No sooner had Remus spoken than the hole started closing up again, and a realization washed over Sirius. James had to rescue Regulus, and now... Remus, what if this is my obstacle? Sirius yelled over the scraping din of shifting dirt and rock. If I don't do it, I'll be sent back alone. You'll be stuck down there and Reg and James won't know what happened to us. Remus didn't answer right away, and Sirius felt the crushing weight of the seconds ticking by as the hole shrunk rapidly in front of him. Remus, he screamed. Fine, Remus finally yelled back, his voice shot through with resignation. The moment he agreed, the ground quieted and the hole stopped its relentless filling. It even widened slightly, once again becoming the perfect width for Sirius to slide down. It was as if Gaia herself was calling to him, beckoning him into her womb. Sirius stuck his wand between his teeth and moved so he was sitting at the edge of the hole with his legs dangling inside. It was just wide enough for him to maneuver without getting stuck. He lowered himself carefully and felt his arms strain with the weight of his entire body as he pressed his foot against the wall and felt around in the near dark for one of the protruding roots. Finally, he found one, then another and slowly eased himself fully inside. It smelled damp and ancient as the cool darkness settled around him. He grasped two roots over his head and took a few deep breaths before trying to climb down. Be careful, Remus called from below, and his voice acted like a beacon. Sirius slowly released one foot from its spot on the root and bent the other leg, 
searching under him for another step down. He moved his hands one at a time, too, slowly, so slowly, feeling the wall with his feet until he found another route to stand on. A few times he missed, sending dirt and rocks cascading below him, but still, he climbed on, with his wand in his mouth and his heart in his throat. It was slow work. Step by painstaking step he climbed until finally he could hear Remus's shallow, nervous breathing. He looked down and saw that he was only a few feet from the bottom. He quickly grabbed the wand from his mouth. Stand back, I'm going to jump, Sirius said turning his head to watch Remus grope blindly for the dirt wall behind him and press himself against it. He counted to three in his head and let go. His feet had barely hit the ground when Remus launched himself into his chest. I'm sorry, he sobbed, hugging him tightly. I'm so sorry. I can't believe that could have been the last thing I ever said to you. I love you, Sirius, and I do trust you. I'm so sorry. Hush, I know. Darling, it's all right, Sirius said, feeling hot tears fall from his own eyes, too, at the feeling of Remus back in his arms after being nearly snatched away from him. But that feeling of profound relief did not last long. He looked down at Remus, inspecting his face and body for any signs of injury, and his stomach churned when he saw his eyes. They were still their usual honey color, but instead of being black in the middle, there was only blank gold, as though his pupils had completely disappeared. Sirius didn't say anything to Remus, though. Instead, he tried to calm his own pounding, terrified heart, and shakily kissed the top of Remus's head. He'd worry about Remus's sight later. He was unhurt otherwise, and they were still stuck down there. He took a step back and shone his wand all around them. They were surrounded by blank dirt walls, and to Sirius's horror, the tree roots that he'd used to climb down were slowly receding back into the earth until they were completely gone. He did not tell Remus that, either. He tried apparating them out, but it didn't work. He knew it wouldn't. He tried conjuring an enchanted rope to lift them out, but it crumbled to dust in his hands. He tried levitating them, but each time, they'd come crashing back to the ground after lifting only a few feet. He tried every spell he could think of, even conjuring broomsticks and summoning thestrals, but nothing worked. He paced back and forth in the tiny space, trying to think. I've tried everything he muttered, but Remus stilled his pacing with a soft hand on his. He could not see, but found Sirius's hand without effort anyhow. I know you can do this, Sirius, he said. I trust you. At that moment, the earth shook again, but this time, instead of creating another terrifying hole in the ground, two archways opened up on either side of the cavern. Sirius pointed his wand down each and saw long corridors extending in opposite directions. What's happening? Remus asked, his terrified voice shaking. Two corridors just opened up, Sirius said, astonished. Really? Remus said, taking a few tentative steps forward with his arms outstretched to feel along the edges of the archways with his hands. Maybe one of them will lead us out. But which one? Sirius asked, more to himself than to Remus, but Remus replied anyhow. Trust yourself, he said. I'll follow wherever you lead. I know you'll choose the right one. And if not, we'll go back and try the other. Together. A whoosh of sudden heat blazed in front of them, and they both reared back. The flames receded, 
and Sirius watched a row of lit torches surge out from along one of the corridor walls. What was that? Remus asked, backing away from where the fire burst forth. One of the corridors is lit with torches now, Sirius said. Let's go down that one. He took Remus by the hand and led him forward a few tentative steps. Are you all right? Sirius asked, turning to check on him as they stepped through the archway. As long as I'm with you, I'll be fine, Remus said as he clung, unseeing, to Sirius's hand and followed him down the narrow corridor. They walked for what felt like a very long time, a mile perhaps, but despite the wand light and the brightly flaming torches, the corridor was always dark ahead. The light seemed to only illuminate a few feet in front of them. That's why Sirius was shocked when the corridor ended abruptly in a set of crumbling, moss-covered stone steps. There are stairs, he told Remus. I'll help you climb them. Sirius turned around to face him and took both of Remus's hands in his. Don't be afraid, Sirius reassured him, walking backward up the stairs. I've got you. I know, Remus said and gave Sirius's hands a grateful squeeze. I'm not afraid. They climbed and climbed. Fifty stairs. One hundred. Two hundred. Finally they reached a wide top landing and found three weathered, wooden doors, each carved with intricate patterns in the center. Where are we now? Remus asked. We're at the top of the stairs, and there are three doors. Sirius said. I must have to choose one. You can do it, Remus said, and as he spoke, all three doors illuminated and glowed from within. A pulsing, golden light shone around the carvings, and Sirius inspected each closely until the one on the far right caught his eye. He took a step toward it and gasped as he reached a hand out to trace his fingers over the grooved wood. It was carved into the exact, intricate line pattern as one of the Tahitian tattoos on his chest. Merlin, he muttered, this is the one. As he spoke, an ancient silver doorknob slowly sprouted from the wood like a mushroom growing from a log. What is it? Remus asked. Sirius reached out a trembling hand, grasped and turned the doorknob, and pushed. Bright, radiant sunlight flooded into the cavern from the open door, along with wind, birdsong, and the crisp scent of crunchy autumn leaves. He laughed and pulled Remus by the hand stepping over the threshold and back exactly where they started by the riverbank with the silver birch tree and moss-covered ground. The door vanished behind them as they both stepped through it. Sirius turned and saw Remus blinking into the intense sunlight for a moment before shielding his eyes and looking around, his vision restored. You did it, he cried, throwing his arms around Sirius's neck and pressing a dizzying kiss to his lips. Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus's waist and lifted him off the ground, spinning them in joyous circles. And look, Remus said, an amazed laugh in his voice as he pointed up at the birch tree. It was still split in two, but instead of being broken and splintered, the trunks had reformed into two separate trees with joined roots that reached up to the sky. Its branches, instead of being bare, were covered in lush green leaves as though it were the height of summer. How did you choose the right door so fast? Remus asked, and Sirius told him about the carving. As he spoke, Remus's face became filled with more and more awe. I wouldn't have been able to see it, Remus said quietly, taking Sirius's face in his hands. I couldn't have done it without you. I couldn't have done any of it without you. 
Rima stared at him in wonder until something else caught their eye. A green birch leaf fell from a branch overhead and fluttered slowly into Remus's outstretched palm. But as soon as it touched his skin, it began to change. Uh! Remus exclaimed as the leaf widened and stretched, its green turning gray and its smooth lightness becoming heavy and rough until it had totally transformed into another key. This one had a leaf carved into the end of it. Sirius felt lightheaded as everything that happened flooded back through his memory. The hole crashed open when Remus said he didn't trust Sirius. It stopped shrinking every time Remus called for help. The corridors and torches appeared when Remus said he knew Sirius would make the right choice, and the doors appeared when Remus followed him up the stairs, only to be faced with a decision he could not have made alone. They looked at each other, astounded, as they both realized what this meant. That's your obstacle past, then, Sirius whispered, and Remus nodded with tears in his eyes. Yes, he said, barely able to speak. Thank you. They leaned into a wet, salty kiss there under the swaying silver birch boughs, where bright autumn sunshine dappled their skin and the rustling leaves whispered sonnets of love. Then they walked back to camp together hand in hand, two strong trees with the same roots, quite able to live alone, but much better together. Chapter 22 Where the hell have you two been? Why are you so filthy? Is that, is that blood? Regulus ran up to Sirius and Remus as they approached the camp with the sun high above their heads in the noontime sky. Remus looked over at Sirius and down at himself. They were, indeed, both filthy, covered in dirt and congealed blood from Remus's fall and Sirius's desperate digging. They'd been so ecstatic about passing another obstacle they barely noticed the state they were in. Yes, it's blood, Sirius said, examining their joined hands, as Remus showed Regulus the second key. He stared at it for several long moments before looking back up at them with his mouth open in shock. Which one of you? He asked, his eyes darting between them. Me, Remus said. Where's Prongs? He should hear about it, too, Sirius said looking around the empty clearing for James, but there was no sign of him. In fact, Remus noticed, the camp seemed oddly quiet. The breeze that rustled the grass and silver birch boughs above their heads had come to a halt, and the air felt heavy and still around them. He went to look for you, Regulus said with an apology in his voice. You'd been gone for hours. We agreed that I'd stay here in case you came back, and James would do a quick walk around the camp to see if he could find you. How long has he been gone? Sirius asked, and Remus felt the tension radiating through his body. About a half hour, Regulus said. Maybe a little longer. Sirius nodded and said nothing, but Remus watched his jaw clench as he looked around the empty camp again before turning back to Regulus. Hagrid said to stick together. Sirius reminded him finally. You shouldn't have let him go. You know James, he insisted, and... It doesn't matter. Sirius snapped, talking over him. I tried. You should have tried harder. Stop, Remus said sharply, and both brothers obeyed. When Hagrid said stick together, I don't think he only meant physically. We need to stick together emotionally and mentally, too. And he explained to Regulus how he and Sirius passed his obstacle together. These obstacles are meant to test more than our magical skills, Remus said. I spent years of my life thinking that I didn't need anyone for anything. 
I had to learn that I was wrong. We cannot fight amongst ourselves. He looked up at Sirius, imploring him to say something to his brother. Remus is right, Sirius said. I'm sorry, Reg. I know there's no arguing with James when he's up to his damn Gryffindor heroics. I should have hit him with a freezing charm while his back was turned, Regulus muttered, and Sirius laughed. That would have been the only way to stop him, Sirius admitted. Remus was relieved that they were no longer arguing, but the problem remained. James was gone and had been for much longer than he should have been. Do you know where he went? Remus asked, and Regulus pointed in the direction of the river. He went the same way that you two did. He said he was going to walk down to the river and thought he might run into you on the way back, Regulus said. We didn't see any sign of him, Sirius said. But he could have walked by the birch tree and not even known we were underground. I think I should head back that way. You mean we should head back that way? Regulus corrected him, but Sirius shook his head. No, you two stay here, Sirius said. You're both still tired from your obstacles, and... But Remus cut him off, pulling at his hand. We're all going together, Remus said firmly. He gently grabbed Sirius by the collar and pulled him down for a kiss before speaking again. This is not a debate that you will win. Sirius gave him a look that was part love drunk, part resigned, and leaned their foreheads together with a sigh. Unfair tactics, darling, he murmured. Yes, yes, he's positively ruthless. Regulus said, rolling his eyes. He pointed his wand at James's rucksack and shrunk it so it would fit inside his own. Let's go. And so they went, retracing their path toward the river but spreading out wide from each other so they'd cover more ground. They walked slowly, and Remus's eyes raked back and forth through the trees and down the ridge toward the valley. Here, too, the air felt heavy and oddly still, as though the earth was holding its breath. There were no birds twittering or swooping overhead, and even the clouds seemed frozen and unmoving above them. They approached the river. Sirius and Regulus headed toward its bank in the direction of the silver birch tree, but Remus walked on, searching and scanning all around for something out of the ordinary that might catch his eye. And that's when he saw it, a small cave, tucked into the shadowy side of the riverbank. Remus turned to look over his shoulder at Sirius and Regulus, who were walking upriver now. Remus jogged toward the cave's dark mouth, getting closer to the river all the time, yet he could not hear the rushing water at all. Instead, an odd whooshing and sucking sound filled his ears, like air moving swiftly through a tunnel. He followed the noise, which got louder the closer he got to the cave entrance and scrambled down the steeply sloping river bank until he felt muddy sand crunching under his feet. The sucking sound was deafening now, and he paused at the cave's low entrance before crouching down and ducking inside. Lumos, he whispered as he pulled out his wand, it was good for some things, and pointed it into the heavy darkness that nearly swallowed the wand light while the sucking wind whooshed through his ears. The top of Remus's head brushed against the low-hanging ceiling as he stood up straight and allowed his eyes to adjust to the sudden loss of sunlight. There, inside the damp, dripping cavern, a limp figure was slumped in half, upright only because it was tied to a stalagmite that grew up from the ground like one of Hades' wicked fingers. His wire-rimmed glasses were bent and falling off his nose, his chin squished awkwardly against his shoulder, and his feet splayed away from each other in odd directions.
His chest and arms were tightly bound by what looked like shiny rope, but Remus couldn't be sure. He pointed his wan light at the figure and squinted into the darkness as he crept closer. Within a few steps, though, he realized that the rope was moving, catching glints of the wan light as it slid and writhed around the figure's chest and shoulders, holding him fast to the rock. Remus's heart leapt into his throat as he realized what he was looking at. It was not a rope at all, but tightly coiling bands of slithering snakes. Remus stood frozen, staring in horror at the terrible sight, before finally coming back to his senses. James, he breathed and surged forward, but he was stopped in his tracks. The sucking wind was gathering its strength, no longer simply making sounds, but moving, too. Remus heard it rolling and crashing toward him like an oncoming wave, so strong and powerful that he could almost see its shape. It knocked him back with a heavy burst that slammed into his chest like a solid wall, knocking the breath from his lungs as it hurled him out of the cave and straight into the river. He splashed into the freezing water, which pierced his skin like jagged shards of broken glass, and felt his knees hit the river's rocky bottom. Water rushed and gurgled around his head but he kicked hard against the powerful, disorienting force, once, twice, three times, until his head broke the surface. Cold air stung his face, and he gasped for breath with his eyes shut against the bright sunlight and rushing water. Remus! Sirius's voice yelled from upstream, as Remus fought against the swift current. Sirius and Regulus dashed down the riverbank, kicking up sand and rocks as they ran while Remus swam toward the shore as hard and fast as he could. Finally, he felt rocky sand under his feet. His clothing and limbs were heavy as he stumbled out of the water, splashing toward Regulus and grabbing him by the shoulders. It's James, Remus panted, dripping and shivering while Sirius gripped him around the waist with one arm. He's tied up in that cave. Regulus started to run, but Remus held him back. Be careful. He gasped urgently, looking into Regulus's silvery blue eyes that were so like his brother's. There's something in there that doesn't want us in there with it. Regulus nodded his understanding and swallowed hard, his eyes darting to Sirius. They raised their wands in twin movements, trained duelists, the both of them, when another heavy, thundering gust rushed out of the cave and hurtled straight up into the sky, swirling violently over their heads until it was no longer simply an invisible gale. Instead, they watched it take wild, twisting shape, ripping violent chunks from the ether and weaving the shredded strands of clouds into a form so terrible that Remus buried his face in Sirius's shoulder before forcing himself to look up again. What is it? Sirius yelled over the din, staring in horror at the storming, raging monster that whipped their hair and stung their eyes. The beast's wild wind ripped the wands from both Sirius's and Remus's hands, and sent them spinning away up the riverbank as it tipped its heads to the heavens and screamed in fury. The echidna, Remus yelled back, gripping Sirius's arm. Mother of monsters. She was more fearsome and frightening than any epic poet could ever have described, but Remus would have recognized her anywhere. Her face, arms, breasts, and wildly flowing black hair were those of a beautiful woman but where there should have been legs grew the muscular body and blunt head of a wrathful green serpent. Both heads roared and hissed in the air, towering over them with enormous, sharp fangs and evil, glittering eyes. Her body undulated through the sky, solid in the middle, with gray clouds swirling around her edges, 
and both heads screamed again, baring their teeth, ready to strike. Remus squinted around him through the fierce wind, searching for Regulus, but he was already running toward the cave, still clutching his wand tightly. The echidna's head screeched with rage, and a bolt of lightning surged through her womb, expelling one of her awful children. It burst from her body and landed between Regulus and the cave entrance with a deafening roar and gnashing teeth. It was the Nemean lion with the golden fur that rendered it immune to mortal weapons. But Regulus Black was no mere mortal. He was a wizard, and a gifted one at that, and he aimed a curse right at the lion's eye as it pounced through the air toward him with its sharp claws outstretched. Regulus stumbled backward as the lion crashed onto its side in a heavy, thudding heap, dead at his feet. He pointed his wand at the beast and flung his arm upward in one flowing, powerful movement, sending it hurtling into the air, back to where it came from. It exploded into bright, blazing pinpricks of light that scattered through the swirling wind like stars dissolving in the morning sky. The echidna raged and screamed again, and with another bolt of lightning through her belly she birthed the hydra, the six-headed serpent who grew two heads for every one that was cut off. Its body coiled and stormed along the riverbank, and it reared back horrifically, its fangs dripping their noxious venom that was itself deadly to the touch and scent. Cover your face, Remus yelled to Sirius, and they both pulled their shirts up over their mouths and noses. Remus was relieved to see Regulus do the same before slashing his wand sideways through the air, searing off all six heads at once with a lethal, dark curse that left the creature twitching and smoking, dead on the ground. He pointed his wand at the corpse, and the beast sizzled into a boiling, bright silver puddle before sinking into the earth in a cloud of green smoke. There was another bolt of lightning, and in an instant the chimera, a lion with goat and snake heads protruding from its back and tail, lunged at Regulus. The lion's head opened its mouth, shooting a scorching blaze of fire from its throat before Remus even realized what was happening. But Regulus was faster. He conjured a glittering silver shield that deflected the fire and sent it back toward the monster, setting it alight until it exploded like dazzling fireworks over their heads. The echidna fumed and shrieked with fury at the loss of her malevolent children while Regulus's chest heaved, waiting for the next battle. Her coiling snake's body reared up behind her human head as she clenched her fists and tilted her head back, screaming into the heavens. Two bolts of lightning flashed through her womb and tore against each other with a thundering crash. Regulus raised his wand and drew it back, ready to strike once more against whatever new horror sprung from the creature's body. But he did not strike. Instead, he froze, his eyes wide and shocked. On the ground at his feet were two beautiful black-haired babies, with silvery blue eyes and pretty pink lips. They grew fast, as though time sped through them until the little baby brothers could stand up on their own, two darling toddlers that just reached Regulus's knee, wearing tiny knickerbockers and collarless jackets. They stood, hand in hand, and regarded Regulus carefully and coolly. The older one raised a perfectly arched eyebrow and smirked at his younger brother. He raised one small hand before turning to look at Remus with a wicked glint in his eye. Crucio, he said, and the awful words sounded strange and somehow more evil, when spoken by a child. White-hot pain, as terrible as the ripping power of the full moon, surged through Remus's body, and he crumbled to the wet, sandy ground. 
He heard Sirius's anguish yell, but only distantly as his muscles and nerves burned and jolted in agony. Suddenly the pain ceased, and Remus opened his eyes to find himself cradled on Sirius's lap. Kill them, Reg! Sirius cried over the screeching echidna and the giggling little boys. Regulus's wand was outstretched and pointed at the children, but his hand trembled and tears streamed down his face. The older boy smiled down encouragingly at his little brother. Now you try it, Reggie, he said, and Remus heard the words as clearly as though they were spoken directly into his brain. Don't you want to make mother proud? The younger boy nodded eagerly and raised his own tiny hand. Crucio, he said sweetly, and Remus's body convulsed with pain again. He did not know how long it went on. He only knew when it ended. Regulus, what the fuck are you doing? Sirius yelled into the gusting wind through furious tears as he gripped Remus's limp body. Kill them. Regulus looked down at the boys, who smiled adoringly up at him. You can't kill us, the older boy said with wide-eyed innocence. You love us, his little brother agreed, and slipped his tiny hand into Regulus's. A quiet sob racked Regulus's chest as he stared down at their beautiful little faces, and Remus's unfocused eyes saw his mouth form four words. I do love you. Regulus tore his gaze away from the boys to instead look up at the sky, raised his wand, and stared straight into the echidna's cruel and malicious eyes with a hard, determined expression. Avada Kedavra. He yelled into the raging wind, and his voice did not tremble or waver. A burst of bright green light shot through the raging air and hit the echidna right in the soft spot where her human skin met the serpent's smooth, shining scales. It struck her, perhaps, just where her heart would have been if she'd had one. She spread her arms wide, jetted her chest forward, and screamed once more, her silver eyes wild and unseeing, before exploding in a rush of lightning and torn pieces of clouds. But Regulus had eyes only for the little boys. They smiled at him before dissolving into wisps of glittering black smoke that swirled and condensed, getting smaller and smaller before shrinking into two bright stars that hovered in midair, then surged up to the heavens and disappeared into the bright blue sky. Regulus watched them go, his neck craned upward, and a strange sense of peace seemed to wash over his face. Reggie! Regulus wheeled around as James stumbled out of the cave and fell into his arms. Jamie, oh, thank God. You were amazing! James cried, gripping him around the neck as Regulus sobbed with relief into his shoulder. They pulled apart, and Regulus opened his hand to show James whatever the little boy had handed him. Remus tried to sit up but his head swam, and his entire body ached. The world tilted and spun around him, and his vision blurred. He collapsed back against Sirius's chest, and everything went dark. Remus's eyes fluttered open to the sight of a bamboo fan spinning above his head and flickering firelight that sent dancing shadows across the tense canvas ceiling. His head felt heavy as he rolled it to one side. Sirius, Regulus and James sat in front of the fireplace, talking in hushed voices and sipping glasses of brandy that flashed dark gold as they tipped up toward their lips. Hi, he said weakly, and they all looked up. There he is, James said with a smile as Sirius put his glass down and crossed the tent to sit at the edge of the bed. 
He leaned down to kiss Remus on the forehead and ran a hand over his hair. How are you feeling? He asked softly. Tired. Remus admitted with a smile, sitting up gingerly while Sirius gently gripped his arm. Are all of you all right? Better than all right, Regulus said, and even through his tiredness Remus could see that he looked freer and lighter somehow. He and James followed Sirius across the tent and sat at the foot of Remus's bed. Regulus handed Remus a heavy piece of ancient, lichen-covered stone, this one with a swirling tornado carved into the end. Another key, Remus said, and Regulus nodded. The little boy gave me a coin with the face of a Lutheria, Regulus said. The goddess of freedom, Remus finished for him, meeting his eyes in wonder, and Regulus nodded. The coin turned into this, he replied, nodding down at the key. Little baby Regulus was so cute, James said, putting an arm around his husband's shoulder. Naughty, but cute. He freed you, Remus said, amazed, but James shook his head. No, James said, looking at Regulus fondly and running a thumb across his cheek. He freed himself. Soon, Remus felt well enough to get out of bed and eat something. They decided to set out again for the valley floor the next morning, and stayed up talking a while later before James and Regulus bid them good night. Sirius and Remus settled into bed together, relaxing into each other's arms and cuddling under the heavy quilt. Remus's body felt impossibly tired, but he still needed to know how Sirius was feeling about seeing conjured versions of himself and his brother. It was frighteningly close to the truth of our childhoods. Sirius sighed softly with a bitter laugh. Except the echidna was much kinder and prettier than our mother. Oh, Sirius, Remus said, kissing him and hugging him tighter. We had no concept of right and wrong, good or evil, Sirius said quietly, his deep voice vibrating in his chest against Remus's cheek. We only knew what we were taught. But you learned the difference, Remus insisted. You're both good people, with good hearts. I try to be, Sirius said, but I'm not always sure. Sirius, Remus said, gripping his hand. Being born from a monster does not make you one. If you can believe that about your brother and me, then you have to believe it about yourself. Remus felt Sirius nod, but he didn't answer. Instead, he kissed the top of Remus's head and held him a little more tightly. Remus fell quickly into a deep, dreamless sleep. But Sirius did not. Sleep brought him nightmares of poisonous snakes slithering around his bedposts at twelve Grimwald Place, of Walburga's evil hissing abuses, the burning crack of the lash against his skin, and of house elves' heads mounted on pikes. But worst of all was the leaping, joyful feeling in his heart as the Cruciatus curse surged through his fingers and into Greyback's prone, twitching body as he laid at Sirius's feet. Sirius looked down at his own blood-covered hands and felt nothing but wicked satisfaction and vengeful, prideful power. Sirius, Remus's horrified, disappointed voice rang out behind him, and Sirius awoke with a gasp, sitting up in bed, breathing heavily and drenched in sweat. He looked around. He was in the tent. There were no snakes, no elf heads, no grayback. He sighed with relief and closed his eyes. He lay back down, reaching out an arm to sling around Remus's waist, but felt nothing but the empty bed. His eyes snapped open. Remus was gone. Chapter 23
Sirius's heart thundered in his ears, his throat, his fingertips. His hand shook as he pointed his wand at the hearth to relight the dying fire, which whooshed back to life and cast dark, dancing shadows around the clearly empty tent. Remus, he called out, and waited, the silence heavy in his ears. Remus. But there was no answer. He knew there wouldn't be. The air felt electric and strange, crackling and foreboding, and he was overwhelmed by the need to move. He hurried out of bed, got dressed, and pulled on his boots. His fingers fumbled over the canvas ties on the tent flaps. Why was it taking so long to untie these bloody knots? Finally, he opened the tent entrance and stepped outside. The night air felt biting and unforgiving, the dark sky vast and ravenous. So cruelly different from the safety of their warm tent where he and Remus had curled against each other only hours before, their tired bodies and worn hearts finding refuge in each other after the day's trials. Remus. Remus. Sirius pushed aside the acidic worry that dripped into his stomach, eating away at his soul. His dream had been only that, a dream. Remus hadn't really witnessed Sirius's jubilation at torturing Greyback, hadn't really seen the shiny, crimson blood slicking his hands. And even if he had, he'd love him anyhow. Sirius had already told Remus the truth. That he performed the Cruciatus curse on Greyback and felt no guilt. Remus did not flinch from him, did not run. Remus wouldn't leave, would he? Not when he already knew what happened. But he didn't know the entire truth. Sirius hadn't told him everything, not really. If Remus truly knew everything, if he knew Sirius's darkest secret, would he still stay? Remus hated the part of himself that became the wolf. Its darkness and wickedness were foreign usurpers in his beautiful mind and body, as foreign and unnatural as a disease. It was a malignant growth, a cancer, a parasite that sickened the rest of him. But the rest of him was fundamentally good, pure, blameless. Not so with Sirius. Sirius's darkness was inborn, as much a part of him as his silvery blue eyes or the deep timbre of his voice. It flowed through his blood, pumped through his heart and veins, permeated the furthest reaches of his body and soul, and no matter how hard he fought, it was always there, ready to bubble up and corrode everything it touched. And fight it he did. He always had, first to protect his brother, then to separate himself from his parents then to live up to James's example. Never had that fight been as crucial as it was now. He wanted, needed, to be worthy of Remus's goodness, to be the person that Remus believed him to be. If only he could siphon the evil out of himself, drain his blood and purify it. But what Sirius never wanted to admit was how good it felt when he gave in. His dreams betrayed him, and so did his instinct when faced with the likes of Fenrir Greyback. The Cruciatus curse was electrifying, warming his entire body and filling him with a dark pleasure that felt like the climactic release of sex. His skin tingled with it, his brain hummed its satisfaction. He even liked the way dark magic smelled, that sharp, metallic tang in the air. His only remorse was at his lack of remorse. So what Remus did not know was that even as Sirius fought the darkness, that terrible, destructive, secret part of him, the biggest part of him, perhaps, he also enjoyed it, and he hated himself for it. 
Sirius's breath puffed out around him like warm, damp clouds in the chilly night air as he crunched across the frosty ground to Regulus and James's tent, where a dim light flickered from inside the white canvas walls. Reg, he said, standing just outside the tent. James. No answer. He called again and again, louder each time, until fear writhed in his stomach, but still, he was met with silence. He pointed his wand at the tent entrance. The knots loosened, the flaps fell open, and he stepped inside. This tent was the same as his and Remus's, save for the selection of books. There was the same bamboo fan, the same brick hearth, the same wing chairs by the fire, the same motley piles of worn oriental rugs and steamer trunks. The same empty bed. Sirius felt bow rise in his throat. They were gone. They were all gone. He was alone. He staggered backwards and gripped the edge of one of the side tables, rattling a porcelain tea service with his shaking hand. They were all gone. His mind swirled with possibilities, each more terrible than the last. Were they snatched from their beds by some malevolent creature? Surely he would have heard something if that were the case. But he'd heard nothing. Not a single cry or spell from any of them, even from Remus, who slept right next to him and held him close. The tents weren't disturbed in any way. There was nothing missing or broken, no blood, no torn fabric or overturned furniture, nothing to indicate a struggle of any kind. It was as though all three of them had simply gotten up and walked away. It would have been easy for them to do so, and perhaps even wise. James, Remus, and Regulus had already gotten past their obstacles and, in doing so, had proven their innate goodness, their courage, trust, and love. They'd been rewarded with clear hearts and settled minds. Perhaps they knew that Sirius was not fit for such tests of character. That they'd be better off, safer, really, without him, knowing that he'd only be a liability to the greater cause. He could hardly blame them. Remus needed to discover the truth of himself and his family, and Sirius would never stand in the way of that happening. Remus knew this, too. They all did. So they left Sirius behind. Burning tears stung his eyes and leaked down his cheeks as this terrible realization washed over him. The only three people he loved, had ever loved, had finally realized that they were better off on their own. The pain burned like a red-hot sword searing through his heart. He sank to his knees, leaned forward, and threw up on the tent floor, as though his body were trying to expel the dark forces that compelled the people he loved to walk away without him into the night. He wasn't sure how long he knelt there on the floor, but his knees ached when he finally pushed himself to stand. He staggered back to his own tent and blearily pushed his way inside. He stood there by the cold and empty bed, unsure what to do next, when his eyes fell on a book that he had not noticed before. It was thick and heavy, bound in what looked like blackish-green basilisk skin. The pages were thick and stained with dark blotches that bled across the parchment along the edges. It was lying open on the table, and the page it was turned to pictured a man with his arms outstretched and his face contorted in a silent scream of pain. Inky black blood spilled across his shirt and dark tendrils of what looked like smoke shot out of a gaping wound on his chest. He held a bloody dagger in one clenched fist. Sirius's eyes traveled to the top of the page. There, written in a bold, gothic hand, was the heading, 
A Spell to Remove Darkness The spell to remove darkness eliminates the caster's access to dark magic by entirely removing the darkness within that person. This darkness drives the desire to perform dark magic and the ability to do so. Removing the darkness will also eliminate their capability to tap into it, rendering them unable to cast dark spells ever again. It must be performed between the hours of midnight and 1 a.m. on the fifth night of the waning moon. The subject must perform the spell on himself. It can be reversed by bathing in fire and re-ingesting the darkness, but only until sunup. After that, the spell is permanent. This spell should not be cast without considerable forethought, and cannot be performed on the unwilling. Sirius stared at the screaming, bleeding man on the page. Had Remus found this spell? Had he left the book open so Sirius would find it, even after they'd left him? Had he wished for Sirius to rid himself of the wicked darkness that blackened his heart? A single tear dripped from Sirius's face onto the book, smudging the words and the ink bled across the page. Adrenaline surged through his body as the clock chimed 12.15, and he realized that tonight was the fifth night of the waning moon. Sirius had promised that Remus would want for nothing, that he would give him everything until his last breath. And he would. Even this. He quickly read through the spell's instructions. He had everything he needed, right here in the tent, bloodroot, a silver dagger, a white candle. He gathered everything quickly and walked outside. The spell needed to be performed under the light of the waning moon, and there she was, silvery and beautiful in the sky, glowing like his lover's skin. He turned his face up to Selene and said a silent prayer that she protect Remus, wherever he was, before dropping to his knees. His whole body trembled as he hit the cold, rocky ground. A sharp pebble cut into his leg, but he did not flinch. Let that pain be part of his penance. He pictured Remus's beautiful lips as he chewed the bitter, poisonous bloodroot. Felt Remus's hand on his cheek as he lit the white candle. Wished for Remus's soft voice as he recited the incantation, excited Malam, again and again until his throat grew hoarse and ragged. Imagined Remus's body pressed against his chest as he pulled open his shirt and plunged the silver dagger's sharp, true blade straight into his heart. The cold metal pierced his skin, and burning pain ripped through his muscles like fire. He pushed hard, driving the dagger deeper into his flesh with all his strength until the hilt hit bone. Blood, hot, thick, and wet, drenched his hands, dripping down his wrists, and soaking through the shirt that Remus had unbuttoned for him that very evening. His bloody fingers slipped from the dagger's ivory hilt, and he heaved forward, his palms slamming into the cold ground. Dirt and grass clung to his sticky hands as he clawed at the earth, struggling to stay conscious through the agonizing pain that tore at his chest. His breath came in ragged, rattling gulps, and the walls of his heart shredded against the blade with every struggling beat. Yet he continued to chew the bloodroot, continued chanting, even as the blood pumped out of his withering body and life slowly drained out of him into the earth. Exide Malum! Exide Malum! Exide Malum! His vision blurred, and his arms and legs grew tingly and cold. His head lolled to one side, then hit the ground. His forehead slammed into the rough, blood-soaked dirt, and his eyes slipped shut. His last thought was of Remus, his bare skin glowing in the moonlight and the feeling of his lips on his.
Remus's mouth moved, and Sirius slurred his words into being. I love you, as dark emptiness began to claim him. But then, the white candle's flame exploded upward, bursting toward the sky in a fiery spire, and another jolt of pain yanked Sirius free from death's cold grip. His body went rigid and was pulled upward by the shoulders like a marionette until he arched backwards, and his arms flew upward of their own accord. The bleeding gouge on his chest ripped open, and he screamed. The dagger fell free and clattered to the ground as crackling strands of red-tinged black smoke flew from the gaping wound, coiling out of him and spinning above his head like a hurricane. His body heaved and lurched as the darkness was ripped and pulled from his heart. He felt it draining out of him, sapping him of power, but he did not care. His mind was clear, even as his body burned in blinding pain. He would be free of this evil, once and for all, and would finally be able to give Remus, and James and Regulus, too, the person they deserved. His eyes found the strands of wicked darkness that swirled like bloody smoke over his head as his body surged with the force of the spell. He watched, as though in a trance, as they spun and coiled into themselves, turning redder, rounder, and smaller. They formed into a single sphere with shiny, firm flesh that spun in the air until finally, it dropped into Sirius's outstretched hand. A fiery orange persimmon sat innocently in his palm. He looked at it curiously, his head foggy and swimming. His vision was still blurred, and the fruit faded in and out of focus, but the pain in his body was gone. He knelt there in the bloody dirt for a few more minutes, catching his breath and coming back to himself, until he gingerly pushed off the ground and stood up on shaking legs. Lumos, he whispered, his hand trembling violently. He pointed his lit wand at himself and pulled open his torn shirt to inspect his chest. He was still covered in dirt and sticky blood, but the gaping wound had stitched itself back together, leaving only a ragged, pink scar that looked like a coiled snake. He took a deep breath and a few experimental steps. He was still here. He was alive. Yet he did not feel any different. Had the spell worked? He pointed his wand at a lightning bug that flickered over his head. Avada Kedavra, he said. But nothing happened. The lightning bug serenely pulsed its phosphorescent light before floating off into the woods, and Sirius laughed in amazement. It had worked. He looked back down at the persimmon in his hand. He did not need until sunrise to make his decision. He turned away from the tents and threw the fruit as hard as he could. It sailed away, disappearing into the dark night, and he imagined it rotting on the forest floor and poisoning everything it touched. But he could not be bothered with that. He was finally rid of it. His newly freed heart flooded with excitement, optimism, and determination. He needed to find Remus, James, and Regulus. He rushed back to the tent, his skin thrumming and his mind racing. He needed to pack. He needed to hurry. They couldn't be that far ahead of him. He burst through the tent entrance, but stopped short. There, perched upon the open book, was the persimmon. No, Sirius said harshly. He grabbed it, rushed back outside, dropped it onto the ground, and smashed it under his boot where it exploded into a sticky, juicy mess. He dragged his foot across the dirt to clean away the fruit guts from the bottom of his boot before turning back into the tent. But again, the persimmon was there waiting for him, 
whole and undamaged. He picked it up again and pointed his wand at it. Reductor, he said, and nothing happened. Sirius's stomach lurched unpleasantly. Reductor was a curse. It might have been mild, but it was still a curse, still born from dark magic. Fuck. No matter. There were other spells. Evanesca, Sirius said instead, and the persimmon disappeared, but only for a moment. It popped back into Sirius's hand instantly. He tried again with the same result. Fine. He'd just have to keep the persimmon until sunrise. He'd lived with his darkness for thirty-eight years. He could manage a few more hours. He packed both tents as quickly as he could, shouldered his rucksack, holstered his wand and the pistol, slipped the persimmon into his vest pocket, and set off into the dark night. The light of the waning moon cast a silvery path in front of him, as though the goddess herself was leading him toward his love, toward the rest of his life. He was not sure how long he walked. Time seemed to be moving strangely. Sometimes it felt as though he was traveling fast, faster even than the river flowed, rushing past dark rocks and trees as though he were running or even flying. But the next moment, things changed and he felt disoriented, as though he was walking in slow, slogging circles, despite not veering from the path. All the while, the persimmon was heavy in his pocket, and he imagined that it emitted a softly pulsing heat against his body. He looked up at the stars and spotted his namesake, and Regulus's too, twinkling alongside the moon. He saw in his mind's eye four silvery creatures, a stag, a wolf, a dog, and a cat, running and leaping through the heavens free and happy. But aside from his imaginings, the woods were unnaturally silent and unmoving. Every creature, it seemed, was on its guard, holding its breath as he hiked deeper toward the valley. Sirius walked on and on. His fingers and toes grew numb with cold, his legs ached, and his weary eyes and brain longed for sleep, but still he continued. Finally he heard something for the first time in what must have been hours, a crackling and popping sound, and he smelled smoke on the cold night air. He walked through a thicket of trees and saw a faint glow in the distance, a fire whose orange flames danced between the branches and dark trunks that rose up from the ancient forest. As he approached, he realized that a shadowy figure was next to the fire in a small clearing. It did not move, but the closer he got, the more clearly Sirius could make out a head, neck, and shoulders. The fire flared bright for a moment, revealing the figure on his knees. His hands and feet were bound behind his back at the wrists and ankles, and a black blindfold covered his eyes. His silvery gold hair shone in the firelight. Sirius's breath caught in his throat, and he broke into a run. His muscles ached and burned, his lungs squeezed like an iron fist in his chest, and his heavy boots stomped and crunched across the undergrowth. Remus, he yelled, kicking up dried leaves and pine needles as he pelted through the trees. Who is it? Remus cried, turning his blindfolded face toward Sirius's running footsteps. Remus, thank Merlin, Sirius panted falling to his knees and pulling the blindfold down around Remus's neck. He cupped Remus's cheeks as gratitude and relief flooded his body. But before Sirius could kiss him, Remus reeled back and looked at him with an expression that Sirius had never seen before. Terror and disgust darkened Remus's eyes and his chest heaved. 
Don't touch me. He spat through gritted teeth. What? Sirius said, his eyes darting frantically across Remus's face. I said, Remus replied, his trembling voice rising. Don't touch me. Remus, what are you saying? I don't know who you are, or how you know my name, but get away from me. Now. Remus, it's me. Sirius said, desperate and disbelieving. It's Sirius. Angry tears choked Remus's voice as he replied. Fuck you. He sobbed, and his rage rang through the night, echoing off the canyon walls below them. How dare you say his fucking name? Remus, please, you have to believe me. Sirius begged. It's me, it's Sirius. I woke up in the tent alone, and I came to find you. But Remus just squeezed his eyes shut and shook his head. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Remus wept in a whisper, as if he could push this stranger away with the force of his angry denials. Sirius reached out again, trying to gently touch his arm, but Remus jerked away as Sirius's fingertips brushed against him. I said, don't fucking touch me. Remus screamed, his voice cracking. He struggled against his bindings, trying to back as far away from Sirius as he could and looking at him with that terrible, cold hatred and fear. Sirius's heart might have been emptied of darkness, but he could feel it breaking. Remus, you must have been bewitched, he said, tears streaming down his face. It's me. It wouldn't matter if I'd been bewitched, Remus shouted back, his trembling voice filled with equal parts assuredness and venom. I'd know my Sirius anywhere. I'd know him blind, or deaf, or dead, or in the bowels of hell. And you, are not, him and he spat in Sirius's face. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. It was just after midnight when Remus woke. The fire was dying in the hearth, the reddish coals casting a faint orange glow inside the tent. He was exhausted, and his whole body still hurt from everything that happened that day, falling into the ground beneath the silver birch tree, getting slammed into the freezing river by the echidna being racked, again and again, by the Cruciatus curse. He curled into Sirius's warm arms and was about to fall back to sleep, when Sirius's body went rigid, and he began muttering in his sleep. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Sirius. Remus whispered. Sirius. But Sirius did not wake. He only kept chanting. His muscles were stiff and shaking and a frown creased his forehead over his closed eyes. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Sirius. Remus said again, louder this time. He sat up and shook Sirius by the shoulder, slapped him on the face, and called his name, but still he kept chanting. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Exide Malum. Remus turned and pointed a finger at the fire. It flared bright and hot illuminating the tent in Sirius's face, which twisted in agony. Suddenly, his back arched up off the bed, and he screamed, a terrible, blood-curdling cry of unimaginable pain. Remus watched in horror, barely able to move, or breathe, or think, until he saw the blood. It bloomed across Sirius's white dressing gown, seeping into the sheets, and dripping down his neck. Regulus! Remus screamed his shaking fingers scrabbling across Sirius's chest, pressing down hard and trying desperately to staunch the gushing flow of blood. 
James, help. Chapter 24 Reg, James, please. Remus begged, his throat shredding as he screamed. He pressed his fumbling fingers into Sirius's bleeding chest, forcing every bit of magic he possessed into the vicious wound, but still the blood coursed out of him, coating Remus's hands and arms. He even tried the ministry spells his father taught him, yet the blood poured from Sirius's body, relentlessly draining the life out of him before Remus's very eyes. Please, Sirius, he sobbed. Please, stay with me. Remus, what? Holy shit. Holy shit, what happened? James cried, his eyes huge as they fell on Sirius's bleeding, lifeless form. He pelted across the tent with Regulus at his heels, and scrambled up onto the bed, crawling on all fours across the mattress to Sirius's side. He pressed his hands on top of Remus's and tried desperately to staunch the wound. Padfoot! James yelled in Sirius's face, which was turning gray. Sirius! He pointed his wand at Sirius's chest and screamed every healing spell that existed through his sobs, his hands shaking so badly that sparks flew out of the end of his wand, ricocheting off the furniture and tent walls. Regulus grabbed Remus roughly by the shoulders as James continued to work. What happened? Regulus yelled, swiveling Remus's body away from Sirius and toward him. When Remus didn't answer right away, Regulus shook him, hard. What happened? I don't know. He was talking in his sleep, and I couldn't wake him up, and then, and then. Remus sobbed and gasped as James ripped open Sirius's nightshirt. The wound was gaping, even bigger now somehow. Then what happened? Regulus shouted, but Remus was wrenching himself out of Regulus's grip, frantically trying to get back to Sirius's side. He needed to try his own magic again. It had to work, it had to. Remus, Regulus said, wrapping an arm around his chest and shoulders and pulling him back. He spoke right into his ear, quietly but urgently. Remus could feel Regulus's heart racing, pounding against his own shoulder. We can't help him if we don't know what happened. What happened after that? Breathe and tell me, Remus. Breathe. Remus shot one last look at James, who was still pressing his hand onto Sirius's chest and sobbing healing spells. He turned back to Regulus and pushed through his fear. He was chanting in his sleep. Excide Malam, again and again. Then his arms and legs went stiff, and he started bleeding out of his chest, Remus said, staring into Regulus's eyes. His silvery blue eyes. Sirius's eyes. Sirius, please. Remus thought desperately. Open your eyes, love. Please, open your eyes. Excide Malam, Regulus repeated, stepping back and staring at the bloody sheets, his eyes unfocused. Cut out the evil. Regulus looked at his brother, drenched in blood on the bed, and a terrible understanding washed across his face. Excide Malam, he repeated. He did this to himself. You're a liar, Remus spat. Sirius would never do such a thing. Remus winced in pain as he struggled against the tight ropes that bound his wrists and pulled his shoulders unnaturally backward. Sirius reached out, seeking, by instinct, to soothe him, but Remus jerked away. If you try to touch me again, I will hex your blood until it boils out of your skin. Remus threatened in a low voice, 
and Sirius had no doubt that he would have done it in an instant had he not been tied up. Sirius moved away, shuffling backwards on his knees with his hands in the air. I won't, Sirius said, shaking his head. I promise. I'm sorry. Remus didn't answer, only glared at him. But I did perform Exide Malum on myself, Sirius continued. You have to believe me. I don't have to do anything, Remus hissed, and Sirius felt goosebumps ripple up the back of his neck. They stared at each other for a moment, and Sirius watched pain flicker across Remus's face. Remus's jaw clenched, and his eyes watered as he struggled against his bonds. You want to prove to me who you are, Remus said, the challenge ringing in his voice. Get me out of these ropes. They're enchanted so I can't do any spells on myself. The real Sirius could free me in a second, with his fucking eyes closed. Sirius nodded, grateful for the chance to move, to prove himself. He pulled out his wand and walked behind Remus. Solvere, he said, pointing his wand at the ropes. Nothing. Demetrius, he tried again. He ran through spells, shooting every possibility he could think of at the ropes. Evanesco. Sicare. Livera. None of those spells will work. Remus snapped. These ropes are bound by dark magic. You need something stronger. Sirius would have known that. Frustration and panic threatened to overtake him, but Sirius pushed on. He conjured a silver knife and tried to cut through the rope but he might as well have tried cutting solid rock with a feather. Nothing would penetrate or damage the enchanted bindings. Who did this to you? Sirius asked. I don't know, Remus replied. I woke up here. Don't try to change the subject. You can't untie me. That's all I need to know. Sirius would have already used combustio or reducto and freed me instantly. He'd never leave me like this. I told you, Remus. I can't use curses. Sirius snapped. He shot a jet of fire into the air in frustration. There has to be another way. But Remus only laughed bitterly and shook his head. He looked over his shoulder at Sirius, who was pacing across the dark forest floor. There is no other way, Remus said. Sirius would have known that, too, and he'd do anything for me. You can't even muster the courage for a simple curse. It's not about courage, Sirius said. I didn't realize. Didn't realize, Remus scoffed. Sirius would never have done something like this without thinking about the consequences. Maybe he, I, was willing to live with the consequences, Sirius snapped. Maybe that would have been better than carrying around evil my entire life. Sirius's anger and annoyance bubbled to the surface, which in turn, made him angrier. He thought he'd rid himself of such feelings when the darkness left his body, but there he was, just as hot-headed and short-tempered as ever. You expect me to believe that Lord Sirius Black would choose magical impotence? Remus goaded, the derision thick and dripping from his voice like poisoned honey. I don't think so. There are thousands of other spells, Sirius shouted. I just have to find the right one. And waste plenty of time while you're at it, Remus shot back. Not every situation will let you fuck around and experiment for as long as you fancy. I just need practice, Sirius muttered. You need a spine, Remus yelled. Which Sirius has, and you clearly don't. 
Using dark magic does not make you brave. Sirius said angrily. No, Remus said. But having it in you and having the guts to control it and summon it when you need it does. Maybe I don't want it in me. Sirius yelled, throwing his hands in the air. Maybe I wanted to cut it out. Rid myself of it, once and for all. Remus regarded him for a long moment before he spoke again. If Sirius had cut out a piece of himself, he would have had more to lose than the ability to cast a few curses. What else could he lose? Sirius asked, doubt creeping up his spine. Remus looked at him with angry tears welling in his eyes. Me. What do you mean he did this to himself? Remus said, looking between Regulus and Sirius in horror. Excide Malum, Regulus said again, cutting out the evil, out of himself, literally. No, Remus said, shaking his head. No, he would never do that. He would never risk his life, or risk his magic. Wouldn't he? Regulus asked softly. They looked at each other, and a terrible understanding passed between them. Yes, he would. Of course he would, Remus realized, if he thought he had to in order to save something else. Surely you can think of a reason why, Regulus whispered. Oh God, Remus breathed, putting a hand over his heart and gripping the bed frame. He stared at Sirius's bloody body and tried not to faint. He did this for me. Lose you, Sirius bellowed beside himself. I did it for you. For me, Remus repeated, staring at Sirius with narrowed eyes. I would never ask Sirius to do such a thing, and he knows it. You did not have to ask me, Sirius said. I just knew. I knew that's what I had to do. You're talking nonsense, Remus said dismissively. Get out of my sight. No. Remus, I'm trying to make you understand. Sirius begged. I needed to take that piece of myself out. I needed to be the person you deserve. And I am trying to make you understand. Remus shouted, trying not to cry. I don't love Sirius in pieces. I love all of him. Remus! Reg! I think the bleeding stopped. Regulus and Remus wheeled around. James was still on his knees next to Sirius, covered up to his elbows with blood that was starting to dry around the edges on his skin. It did! James gasped. Oh, Merlin, it stopped. Is he breathing? Remus asked, crawling away from Regulus and kneeling next to Sirius. He bent over and rested his ear against Sirius's bloody chest. It felt warm and sticky against his cheek, but he didn't care. He could clearly hear Sirius's heartbeat, feel the rising and falling of his chest as he breathed in and out. Remus let out a grateful sob and wrapped his arm around Sirius's chest, his tears mixing with Sirius's blood and James's sweat. Sirius, Regulus said, gently shaking his brother's shoulder. Sirius. But still he wouldn't wake. Remus lifted his head, conjured a basin of warm water and a soft flannel, and started carefully wiping the blood from Sirius's skin. He could have used magic to clean him in an instant, but he didn't want to. He needed something to do with his hands, needed a reason to touch Sirius's body, putting as much love and reverence as he could into every stroke, as though those touches could tell Sirius how adored he was how much Remus needed every single piece of him. Sirius's face was placid and serene as Remus worked. 
Regulus and James stood next to the bed and watched him, not speaking, until James's eyes fell on Sirius's outstretched hand lying limp across the bed. He frowned and reached forward. What's this? James asked, and lifted a piece of fiery orange fruit from Sirius's open palm. I think it's a persimmon, Regulus said, taking the fruit from James and holding it in front of his face. Was it there before? Of course not. We would have seen it, James said. But where did it come from? It must be part of whatever spell he cast, Regulus said. James took it back from Regulus and turned it in his hand thoughtfully. Then maybe, James said slowly, we should destroy it. Remus's face was beautiful as it glowed in the crackling firelight. His expression softened as he turned away from the orange flames and looked up into the stars that twinkled through the thick forest canopy over their heads. Sirius was, as always, transfixed. I love every piece of him, Remus said quietly. He tilted his head to one side and closed his eyes as though lost in memory. I love his hands and his skin, his smile, the sound of his voice, the way he holds me, kisses me, makes love to me, his mind, his imagination, his bravery and cunning, his temper and strength, his sense of justice, his power and instincts. The way he makes me feel safe and cherished and understood. The way he sees into the darkest parts of me, recognizes them and loves them. But you don't have any dark parts, Sirius said, taking a step closer. Remus's eyes dropped from the stars, and he frowned at Sirius. Of course I do, he said. But the wolf, Sirius started, but Remus cut him off. You know about that, he asked, alarmed. Yes. Sirius nodded. Remus stared at him, startled and clearly disturbed. When Remus didn't reply, though, Sirius continued. The wolf is part of you, but... But someone else put it there. You weren't born with that darkness. Not like me. The wolf isn't the only dark part of me, Remus said, shaking his head. I was born with darkness, too. We all are. That's what makes us human. We need it to survive. There is no light without darkness. No life without death. As he spoke, something awoke in Sirius's memory. He stared at Remus, whose skin looked even more iridescent than usual. It sparkled, pearly and radiant, casting a burnished silver halo around his whole body. No bloom without rot. Remus continued, his voice musical, serene. No creation. Without destruction. Sirius finished for him. Balance. And Remus smiled, a stunning, celestial, glowing thing that radiated out of him like shimmering moonlight. His darling star, Remus said, tilting his head and looking at Sirius fondly. I knew you'd get there eventually. Your love was foretold, after all. Now, on to the next. I believe you have something in your pocket, my dear. Destroy it, Remus asked, alarmed. He scrambled off the bed and snatched the persimmon out of James's hand. No, we have no idea what it is or where it came from. Exactly. He's been bleeding out for an hour, Remus, and now this. What if it's some kind of poison? James asked, grabbing it back. What if this is the reason he won't wake up? But what if it's not? Remus exclaimed. What if it's the way we get him back? Regulus stepped between them taking the fruit from James and returning it to Sirius's open palm. What if, 
Regulus said, grabbing them each by an arm and dragging them back. It has nothing to do with us. Sirius's eyes widened as the ropes around Remus's wrists and ankles fell away and disappeared in a glittering wisp of smoke. Remus stood and stretched his willowy limbs, arching in a graceful movement, and shook his head. As he did, long, silvery white hair fell around his shoulders and tumbled down his back. He sighed and tilted his lovely face to the sky, and a long, gossamer white gown materialized around his arms and legs. It floated across his body, hugging the curves of his hips and breasts that bloomed forth beneath the sheer fabric. His face softened and his honey-colored eyes turned bright silver. The goddess strode toward Sirius, her bare feet silent as they crossed the forest floor, until they were face to face. She raised her long, slender fingers, cupped his cheeks in her hands, and pressed a gentle kiss to his forehead. My brother is painting the horizon now, Sirius, she said. You know what you must do. Make haste, my dear. The minutes ticked by. Remus's eyes burned with the need for sleep, but he could not close them. His gaze was glued to Sirius, to the reassuring sight of his chest rising and falling. He gripped Sirius's hand, whispering in his ear, promising that he loved all of him, wanted him whole and unchanged. And meanwhile, they waited. For what, they were not sure. But they all kept vigil, their jaws set, their muscles tense while they watched him sleep, praying silently for him to wake. The sky was brightening into a deep, dusky blue when Remus felt a twitch in his grasp. He looked down at Sirius's hand. His fingers were moving, slowly but surely. Reg, James, Remus whispered, afraid to speak too loudly. I think he's waking up. Sirius's chest heaved a deep breath, and his eyes fluttered open. He looked around wearily at the three faces staring at him. They were all still covered in blood, but Sirius seemed to pay no notice. Instead, his head rolled toward the window, struggling to focus, before looking back at Remus. Am I too late? Sirius asked, his voice raspy and tired, but imbued with an undercurrent of electric urgency. No, Remus said, not knowing what Sirius was talking about, but so grateful he was awake that he would have agreed to anything. No, Sirius, you're not too late. Sirius lifted the hand holding the persimmon in front of his face and quickly pushed himself up to sitting. Then, he swung his legs off the bed and stood up. Remus, Regulus, and James stared at each other in shock. I have to go, Sirius said. He was shaky on his feet, but started toward the tent opening with his bloody shirt hanging open around his chest and a determined furrow to his brow. Sirius, Regulus said, rushing toward him and grabbing his shoulder. Lay back down, you've lost so much blood. You've been unconscious for hours. Reg, I have to do this. I don't have much time. The sun's almost up. Sirius insisted, shaking off his brother and pushing past them out into the dim light. Without a word, Remus, Regulus, and James followed him and watched Sirius look upward, his eyes finding the waning moon that hung low over the horizon and was quickly fading in the early morning sky. He pulled out his wand and pointed it at a bare spot on the ground. Insedia, Sirius said, and a tower of fire shot out and toward the heavens. He shook his hand so the flaming pillar disconnected from the wand tip and floated in midair in front of him. 
Then, he bit into the persimmon and stepped into the flames. Sirius! They all shouted, terrified, but within seconds their horror turned to wonder. The fruit in his hand coiled outward in glittering black ribbons that rose up into the flames and wrapped themselves around Sirius's body. He looked up, and his face broke into a smile as he gazed at the moon. Thank you. He whispered to the sky as the crackling flames and dancing black ribbons swirled around him while the edge of the horizon glowed a fiery, orangey pink. The flames caressed his skin and seeped into his body until they were gone. He turned to look at Remus with his arms outstretched. Remus rushed toward him and threw himself into Sirius's embrace. I'm sorry I scared you, Sirius whispered, but Remus only shook his head. You're here now, that's all that matters, Remus replied, confused but grateful. There would be time for questions later. Remus took a step back so he could get a good look at Sirius's face and body. He needed to see for himself that he was healthy and whole. And he was. The color was coming back into his cheeks, and his arms and legs were strong and sure. The only sign that something had been wrong was the dried blood on his shirt and a coiling pink scar across his chest. Oh, my love, Remus whispered. He leaned forward to kiss the scar, and Sirius's skin warmed under his lips. Remus pulled away and gasped when he looked at the spot again. There, instead of a scar, was a crescent moon that shimmered around the edges like a finely sketched tattoo drawn in golden ink. Remus ran his fingers across it, and it glowed under his touch. Sirius, look, Remus said, and Sirius looked down just as the edge of the sun crested the horizon, sending a bright beam of light straight across Sirius's hand. They squinted away from it, and when it was gone, it was replaced by an ancient stone key with a flame carved into one end. You did it. Remus said, looking up at Sirius, his voice filled with wonder. How? Sirius leaned down and kissed him as he never kissed him before. From the darkness, Sirius said, putting a hand to Remus's cheek, comes light. Chapter 25 Sleep should have claimed them, but instead, they claimed each other. They came together as though commanded by a force greater than themselves. Sirius's hands, large, strong, certain, cupped Remus's face, curved around the back of his neck, threaded through his hair as they stood together in the entrance of the quiet tent. Remus thought he might faint with desire. He swayed on his feet when Sirius wrapped his arms around his back and drew him into his broad chest. He felt his knees weaken as their lips met, felt his legs shake beneath him as he struggled to stay upright. You're trembling, darling, Sirius murmured, placing a wide palm gently against his cheek, but Remus could only nod weakly and whimper his agreement, his eyes fluttering closed as Sirius kissed his forehead. I want you so badly, Remus choked out and plunged upward for another kiss. He was overcome, possessed with desire. Their lips slid together, their mouths opened, and Remus gasped and panted into Sirius, utterly unable to control his breathing his thundering heartbeat, the desperate longing that stormed through his veins. To think, he'd almost lost him. Sirius lifted him up, and Remus moaned with relief as Sirius's hands gripped his arse and pulled their hips flush, grinding together. Remus wrapped his arms and legs around Sirius's strong body, kissing across his jaw, his neck, 
his bare chest where the golden moon glowed and pulsed under Remus's lips. Sirius lowered him onto the bed atop the still bloody sheets, kneeling over him, while Remus pushed Sirius's torn and blood-stained nightshirt off his shoulders and tossed it away. He ran his hands over Sirius's bare back until they found his trousers and pushed them down over his hips and thighs, freeing his stiff cock, which sprung forth, eager and ready. Remus felt seized by the glorious sight of him. He pushed Sirius upright and sat forward, pulling off his own dressing gown and throwing it across the tent before leaning over and taking Sirius down his throat in one, long swallow. Sirius fell back, and they moaned in unison. Remus splayed his hands across Sirius's inner thighs and pushed his legs apart as he licked and sucked, swirling his tongue over the head and pushing his lips tightly down around the shaft, trying and failing to take Sirius's entire length. It was a hopeless endeavor but one that Remus relished. He could spend his entire life between Sirius's legs, he thought hazily. He gulped him down once more, then again and again until he felt drunk with the musky scent of blood and sweat and the slick glide of Sirius's cock down his throat. Sirius thrust upward, tilted his hips forward, and out of nowhere, Remus's fingers were slick and dripping, as though his magic was reacting to Sirius's desires before he even voiced them. And though he'd never done it before, Remus knew instinctively what to do next. He ran his slippery hand over Sirius's perineum and circled his entrance opening him up and pushing slowly inside, one finger, then another, and then a third, driving them in and out in time with the slow, purposeful sucking of Sirius's cock. Remus acted unconsciously, driven partly by memories of the way Sirius took him apart, and partly by a raw, bubbling knowledge deep in his gut that understood exactly how to bring his lover to the furthest reaches of pleasure. Sirius's thighs tightened and tensed. He gripped the blood-covered sheets and tipped his head back against the pillows. Remus felt Sirius's orgasm cresting and his own with it, though Sirius had not even yet touched him. Remus curved his hand upward, and the pads of his fingers grazed the soft, smooth spot inside Sirius that made him gasp and whine and arch up off the bed. Remus pressed and rubbed inside him until tears leaked down Sirius's temples, until he scraped his fingernails against Remus's scalp. And just when Sirius couldn't take it a second longer, Remus drew his fingers out of Sirius's body and licked slowly up his cock once more before stretching forward and whispering in his ear. Can I? Remus asked, his voice ragged and thick with want. Sirius nodded desperately, his eyes squeezed shut, his arms flung over his head. He gripped the headboard with white knuckles, his biceps and stomach flexing and rippling as he breathed and begged. Yes. Yes. He panted. Please. And in one slow, slick motion, Remus plunged into him. It was like nothing he'd ever felt before, like nothing he could have imagined. Sirius was tight and hot, his body gripping his cock and tugging him deeper with every inch that Remus pushed inside. It was magnificent, intense, agonizingly wonderful, and Sirius moaned and pulled him closer grabbing his arse so their hips were flush and Remus was fully sheathed within him. Remus took a moment to steady himself. If he moved even a centimeter, he'd be emptying into Sirius before he'd even had a chance to fuck him properly. Instead, Remus leaned down and kissed him messily, running a tender thumb across his sharp cheekbone. Sirius was precious, perfect, 
more deserving of love and care than anyone he'd ever known. He poured every bit of himself into protecting Remus, into pampering and spoiling him, wrapping him up gently in cotton wool to shield him from the horrors of the world. Yet didn't Sirius deserve that, too? Shouldn't he feel what it was like to be filled and consumed, held safe and steady? Remus drew his hips slowly back, feeling the slick glide of Sirius's tight body around him, then plunged back in, firm and unhurried. He imagined that his body was a rolling ocean wave that pulled in and out as he rolled his hips forward and back, thrusting in and out of Sirius and driving choked moans from his throat. It felt transcendent, being inside him, his body gripping him tightly, feeling Sirius's thick cock rubbing between their stomachs. With every thrust, Remus kissed him deeper, and sparkling magic crackled between them, filling the air with love, electric energy, and glowing pinpricks of light. Again, they hurtled to the edge of climax, but Remus did not let it come. Instead, he pulled out slowly at the very last moment with an intense, knowing kiss which Sirius returned. They did not speak. They did not need to. Their eyes met, and Remus felt glowing magic zap down his spine as he lay back onto the bed. His legs fell open and Sirius climbed forward and knelt between his knees. He leaned down to kiss the insides of his thighs, to lick his skin and worship his body. Remus felt his own entrance tingle and drip with slippery slickness, and he opened his legs wider, ready, kneading, and Sirius pushed his cock inside, swift and sure, splitting him wide and filling him perfectly. Oh, yes, Sirius, yes. Remus cried out as Sirius fucked him, hard, exactly how he always wanted it. Sirius propped himself up on his elbows and punched in and out until Remus was breathless and moaning. Being inside Sirius was wonderful, but this. This was what Remus needed. This was what fed the wild, craving creature in his chest. He wanted Sirius to own him, to ravage and destroy him. He tilted his head back, exposing his throat, eager to be claimed again and again and again. He belonged to Sirius forever. A wanton moan from Remus's throat vibrated against Sirius's lips as he mouthed at Remus's neck and sucked the tender skin. Remus was lightheaded, floating above his own body eager begging. Sirius scraped his teeth across Remus's skin, teasing and taunting, until finally his tongue swirled and he bit down into Remus's flesh. The world exploded, white and gold, as Remus's orgasm rocked his body. Sirius emptied into him simultaneously pulsing hard and filling him deeply with every powerful thrust. Remus's hot, salty tears rolled down his cheeks and soaked his hair. Sweat, spit, and cum mixed on their skin, slick and wet between them. It dripped off their stomachs and chests onto the blood-stained bed while they shuddered together and gripped each other, trying to catch their breath. Remus moaned a satisfied sigh, and Sirius kissed him again, their bodies sliding against each other and slackening into an exhausted, Love, worn heap of limbs and kiss, swollen skin. And there they stayed. They couldn't untangle themselves even if they wanted to. They breathed life into each other's lungs, their heartbeats aligned, and the goddess dusted sleep across their eyes. They slept a full day and night after that. When next Sirius and Remus woke, another new dawn was cresting the horizon. They were rested and healthy. Their skin was clean and dry. And where blood, tears, and salty sweat once soaked the bed, 
There now bloomed bright red anemones with lovely black centers that turned their faces to the rising sun. The flowers had sprung from the very sheets, sending the air with their delicate perfume. Themis warned me that Selim would try to trick us, Remus said after Sirius recounted everything that happened in his dream, but I did not realize that her trickery would be helpful. They lay facing each other, holding hands in bed amongst the blossoms. They were so close that Remus could have kissed the tip of Sirius's nose with barely a movement. Sirius nodded thoughtfully, looking with unfocused eyes over Remus's bare shoulder before meeting his gaze again. There was something else, too, Sirius said. He spoke almost shyly, kissing the star on Remus's neck and running his fingers softly over it. She said our love was foretold. Remus looked down at the gold crescent moon on Sirius's chest and gave it a kiss of his own. It glowed and shimmered under his lips, and he breathed happily as he looked back at Sirius's beautiful face. It's nice to hear, Remus whispered, pushing a stray strand of hair behind Sirius's ear. But I think I already knew that. I think I already did, too, Sirius said, and kissed Remus's forehead. He rolled onto his back and pulled Remus with him drawing him into his arms. Remus settled his head atop Sirius's bare chest and listened to his heartbeat, felt the low rumble of his voice against his cheek. Last night, yesterday morning, was wonderful. Sirius continued. I've never done that before. Done what? Remus asked, running his fingertips up and down Sirius's waist. Well, for lack of a better term, and apologies for the vulgarity, Sirius said, clearly struggling to find the right word. Been fucked. Uh. Remus wasn't sure what to say. He could not pretend that he did not sometimes wonder about Sirius's other lovers. He'd heard from countless people, his own father among them, for Merlin's sake, about Sirius's twenty-year history of betting anyone he fancied. Remus could not ignore the thick pockets of envy that sometimes clung to his insides at the thought of Sirius being intimate with someone else, with countless someone else's. In fact, he usually pushed those thoughts away as quickly as they came, not allowing himself to linger on them for too long, lest they drive him mad. But now, well, Sirius had opened this door himself. No, Remus answered in a small voice. No, Sirius replied. Why not? Remus asked, his heart thudding hard in his chest. Trust, I suppose, Sirius replied thoughtfully. Or maybe control. It's a vulnerable thing, to let yourself be taken that way. It is, Remus agreed quietly. He trusted Sirius with everything and had since the moment they met. He trusted Sirius with his body, his heart, his soul. And now he wanted to trust Sirius with something else. Can I, can I tell you something? Remus asked. Of course, Sirius assured him. Anything. Sometimes I worry, Remus admitted quietly. That I will not be able to please you. You've seen and done so, so much, and I was a virgin until you touched me. But Sirius was shaking his head before Remus even finished speaking. No, darling. When I'm with you, it's like nothing I've ever known before. It does not compare, Sirius said, stroking his cheek and looking straight into his eyes. It's as though I became a virgin again myself. And now, well, you've taken a bit of my virtue, too haven't you? Heat shimmered off of Sirius's skin as he spoke, 
and the blood-red anemone petals seemed to flutter in time with his heartbeat. You liked it, then? Remus asked breathlessly, his hand drifting between Sirius's legs, brushing against his stiffening length. I loved it, Sirius said, and they sank into another kiss, sank into each other once more on the bed of flowers that had bloomed from blood, two virgins faded by the stars. Afterwards, Remus waved a hand to clear the flowers from the bed, but nothing happened. He tried again, and still they did not disappear. He was startled and worried, but only for a moment. These flowers, he realized, had not sprung from his magic. You try, he told Sirius, who shook his head. What? He laughed. I cannot command nature or do wandless magic. Humor me, Remus told him, biting back a smile. Sirius shrugged and did as he was told, and sure enough, the flowers vanished with a simple wave of his hand. How? He asked, turning to Remus with amazement. I don't know, Remus admitted, but I think Selene works in mysterious ways. Everyone feeling refreshed? James asked cheerily when the four of them finally emerged, fully dressed and ravenously hungry, a little while later. Like Sirius and Remus, James and Regulus had also slept the entire day and night. Now, the sun hid behind misty fog and gray clouds, and the November air was chilly and damp on their skin. They built a fire and huddled close to it, clutching cups of hot tea to keep warm as they ate breakfast, recounted their long nights, and contemplated the four stone keys laying on the ground at their feet. You've noticed what the keys have in common, I trust. Regulus asked Remus, who nodded. He and Sirius had already discussed the carvings that adorned each of them. Four elements, Remus said. Water, air, fire, and earth. One for each obstacle. But there should be five elements, Regulus said, frowning down at the keys. At least, that's what we thought when we saw the five-pointed stars on your neck and on the map. There are only four of us, though, Sirius said. Maybe we were wrong about the fifth element. It isn't exactly something you can carve onto a piece of stone. Is it? I suppose not, Regulus replied. There it is quite hard to define, if that's what you consider the fifth element to be. And some scholars don't even recognize one at all. What if the fifth element isn't spirit? James asked. What if it's something different? Like what? Sirius said. Well, James said slowly, sipping his tea and staring at the keys. All the obstacles had two things in common. The elements and what else? Regulus asked. James reached across the arm of his chair to grasp Regulus's hand and smiled softly. Love, James said. Regulus smiled back and kissed James's hand. It was so simple and so right. Count on the lion-hearted James to see it. James turned his face to the sky, and as he did, the clouds shifted and the sun shone through, clear and bright. It fizzed and glistened through the thick fog and lit every dewdrop that clung to the trees like thousands of prisms, sending watery rainbows arcing up across the heavens. It was beautiful and dazzling. They were all gazing at it when Sirius cocked his head like Padfoot. Do you hear that? He asked. That buzzing. For a moment, all Remus could hear was the rushing river, but soon he heard buzzing, too. It sounds like a bee, James said but it's freezing out here. There are no bees. No sooner had the words left his mouth, though, than they saw a small, 
furry bumblebee darting amongst the rainbows. It flew close to them, hovered in front of their faces, then turned and kept flying. They watched it in silence, unmoving until it doubled back, flew in front of them again, and darted a few feet ahead. Once again, it turned back toward them and stopped, as though it was waiting for something. I think it wants us to follow it, Regulus said. Should we? Definitely, Remus replied, remembering the fuzzy edges of the dream he'd had the night after the full moon with Greyback. They packed up the camp as quickly as they could and set off, following the bee that waited patiently for them until they were ready. It flew in zooming zigzags as they walked, flitting ahead, then coming back to them and circling their heads like an excited puppy. The further they walked, the warmer the air became, and the sun grew brighter until finally, they reached a clearing. The trees thinned and gave way to a rolling hill blanketed in soft purple heather. The bee plunged down a steep embankment, and they scrambled down behind it, kicking up rocks and dirt, until they reached a small, dark cave. The bee darted inside and disappeared. We've gone this far, Remus shrugged as they looked at each other, and followed the bee into the cave. It was dark and damp, with the thick, acrid smell of animal droppings, probably from bats, Remus realized. They squinted around in the dim light, but before their eyes could even fully adjust, the bee reappeared and started to glow. It grew brighter and brighter, until finally it disappeared and became a glowing orb that hung over their heads and cast a shimmering, silvery light that danced off the cave walls, revealing primitive paintings of the moon and stars. Merlin, would you look at that? Sirius said, his voice full of wonder. For illuminated in front of them were four carvings, a flame, a wave, a funnel cloud, and a leaf, each with a corresponding keyhole. This is it, Remus whispered. His heart pounded and his fingers trembled as they each pulled their key out of their rucksacks. They fit them into the holes where they scraped loudly, rock on rock, and pushed them inside, one by one, first James, then Remus, then Regulus. Finally, it was Sirius's turn. He grasped Remus's hand and held it tightly as he pushed the final key inside. They held their breath, waiting, waiting, until finally, they heard a small click. The ground rumbled under their feet and dust fell around their heads from the low ceiling, sparkling as it caught the silvery light, and the cave wall began to slide sideways. It scratched and scraped as it moved, until a small sliver of bright, gold light appeared at the edge. It grew larger and larger as the cave wall opened to reveal the most beautiful place Remus had ever seen. They were in the very heart of the lush, green, verdant valley that they'd seen days ago from high atop the rim of the canyon. Warm air, perfumed with jasmine and gardenia, strawberry and rose, settled around them, and the sound of a rushing waterfall filled their ears. Jewel-bright hummingbirds and butterflies flitted around pink and yellow flowers, and the sky shone a cheerful, vibrant blue. They looked around, awestruck, as the cave wall slid shut behind them and the still-glowing bumblebee darted outside into the bright sunlight. It hovered before them but didn't fly away. Instead, it grew and changed. It sprouted legs and feet, arms and hands. Its fuzzy stripes melted into opalescent skin, and its antennae shimmered and fell into long, silvery-gold hair. You're here, a beautiful young woman said, dashing toward Remus and throwing her arms around his neck. I knew you'd return. Chapter 26
Sirius had seen some incredible sights in his life. The mystical temples of Cambodia, the charmed rivers of Tahiti, the cursed tombs of ancient Egypt, the golden city of El Dorado in Brazil, but little compared with the daughters of Celine's enchanted glen. And there to describe it all was their beautiful and talkative guide, who narrated every rock, leaf, and twig they passed. Follow me, the bee-turned woman said, and turned away, walking through the colorful forest with long, fast strides that swished her gossamer gown around her bare feet. She talked and pointed as she walked. That's the entrance to the Lunar Moth Sanctuary, she said fast and excited. Don't go in there unless you want to be put to sleep. Literally. This is the spot where Celine gave birth to her firstborn daughter. See the moonflowers there. They're always in bloom, year-round, day or night. This is the Diana Waterfall. It's nice, but the really nice one is the Phoebe Waterfall over on the other side of the glen. It's admittedly kind of a pain in the ass to get to, but the water is a lot warmer, and there's not as much seaweed on the bottom. Yeah, I know, seaweed is pretty to look at, and it's good for fertility and all that, but I hate the feeling of it on my feet, you know. Besides, I don't want to be a mother yet anyway. Or maybe ever. A tinkly little laugh bubbled out of her mouth, and she carried on talking. Now that rock over there. I'm sorry. Remus said, jogging to catch up to her. This is all very beautiful, and we do want to hear everything about it. But, who are you? Oh my, she said, stopping short to look at Remus with her hands pressed to her forehead. I never introduced myself, did I? I'm Faith. Your cousin. My cousin, Remus asked, wide-eyed, and Sirius realized Faith was the first member of his family aside from his father that Remus had ever met. Faith must have realized this, too. Her expression softened, and she took Remus's hand. Yes, she said. Your cousin. Our mothers were sisters. You and I were born two months apart. We could have been best friends if, if you hadn't left. Oh, was all Remus could manage, but Faith had no trouble filling the silence. Of course, I know all of you, Faith said. She continued walking but didn't let go of Remus's hand. Instead, she swung it back and forth as she talked. You're all so handsome and brave. Especially you. She gazed adoringly over her shoulder at James, who exchanged a laughing look with Sirius after she turned away. The way you ran into that storm on the bridge. She sighed dreamily at the memory. You're a lucky man, Regulus. And so are you, Remus. Sirius is absolutely gorgeous. He makes my knees weak. Were you watching us the whole time? Remus asked, looking pink-cheeked, and Sirius knew he was thinking about their time in bed together. Not watching you. Watching over you. Faith corrected. Just to make sure you got through your obstacles and to poof you back if you failed. And don't worry, I only watched the stuff outside. I wasn't peeping into your tents or anything. Although I did hear some things. Good gods, remind me to teach you some stronger silencing charms than the drivel they taught you at that ridiculous pigwarts or whatever it's called. James snorted a laugh behind his hand. Hogwarts, Remus corrected her. Oh, right, Faith said. Well, it's gross either way. Honestly, who names a school after a skin condition? Anyway, here we are. They all looked around, but didn't see anything special. 
Instead, they'd stop seemingly in the middle of the forest. Okay, now listen, Faith said. She turned to Remus again, took his other hand, too, and looked at him very seriously. There are a lot of us, she said. And it can be kind of overwhelming for outsiders. But there are only two people that you really need to remember right away. Well, three if you count me, and of course you'll count me. There's my mother, Penelope. She's the best seer in the family, and the reason, well, you'll find out soon enough. And then there's our grandmother, Daphne. She's the matriarch of the daughters of Celine. Kind of like a queen, but not so stuffy. You don't have to bow to her or anything, but you should be kind of extra respectful. Then she threw her arms around Remus's neck again and squealed with delight. I can't believe you're finally here, she exclaimed. Everyone is so excited to see you. All right, ready. She turned toward an empty spot between two trees, raised one delicate hand, and moved it in a graceful crescent moon shape through the air, which sapped and sparked before their eyes. The air itself seemed to take shape and become solid. It formed into a towering gate of creamy white marble that grew from either side into a huge wall and extended as far as the eye could see in both directions. It was intricately carved with reliefs of the moon, stars, constellations, gods, and Selene herself, flying her chariot through the sky. Faith reached out to touch a tiny flower carved above a crescent moon, and part of the wall dissolved into a highly polished ebony doorway with a silver knob. Let's go, Faith said and opened the door to a beautiful stone courtyard. But they didn't have time to look around. Instead, they were immediately hit by a wall of sound. Dozens of excited voices descended on them, and a whirlwind of arms pulled Remus into tearful hugs amidst the hanging vines, fragrant flowers, fat fruit, and tinkling fountains. Oh, he's so handsome. He looks just like Hope. Ah, thanks Selim, he's back. And look, there's the star on his neck. Just as it was foretold. Amazing. That must be his lover. Look, he has the moon mark. Incredible. And before he knew it, Sirius was being pulled into the family tumult, too, getting his cheeks cupped and pinched reverently by old women and being passed around for kisses and hugs. James and Regulus stood on the sidelines watching, but not for long. Where are the other two? Someone demanded. Right here, Faith said proudly, and soon the crowd had descended on James and Regulus, too. No one's ever gotten past our obstacles before. I better not ever hear you saying you don't believe in divination again, Helena. How are they all so cute? The chatter was overwhelming, and Sirius's head swam with it, until one voice rang through the commotion, clear and loud, like a sharply struck bell. All right, all right, you're going to suffocate them. At the sound of her words, the crowd fell silent and parted, leaving Remus, Sirius, Regulus, and James in a little clump in the center. They turned to see a tiny, old woman gliding toward them. She had the same shimmering hair as Faith and Remus, but it was more silver than gold. Her face was just as beautiful, and lined with deep, wise wrinkles, like starbursts around her eyes and mouth, and craters of the moon across her forehead and cheeks. Her eyes shone a striking, warm honeyed gold, just like Remus's. My beautiful grandson, she said with a quiver in her voice and she extended her arms toward Remus. I'd know you anywhere, my dear, 
You've lived in my heart these long 25 years. Daphne pulled Remus into a hug, and Sirius watched his shoulders relax in her embrace. She pulled away and kissed him twice on each cheek, then ran her fingers gently over the glowing star on his neck. She looked up, her eyes found Sirius, and she extended a hand, keeping one arm around Remus's shoulder as Sirius obeyed her beckoning. Look at you, she said to Sirius, her smile as sweet and bright as Remus's. He didn't need a prophecy to fall in love with you, did he? I hope not, ma'am, Sirius replied, and Daphne pulled him down into a kiss, too. Thank you for welcoming us, Remus said. We're so grateful. It's me who's grateful, love. I'm very sorry we had to put you through all that. More than one dark creature has tried to hoodwink its way in here disguised as you, she said. Sirius found Remus's hand and gave it a little squeeze. He knew that Remus considered himself a dark creature, too. But thanks, Aline, you found your way. And all four of you. It's remarkable. She looked around at them all and beamed with pride. Daphne, Remus started, but Daphne interrupted him. Please, love, she said. Call me Gran. All right, Gran, Remus replied, and Sirius could feel his fingers trembling in his. This is my Sirius, of course, and his brother, Regulus, and Regulus's husband, James. The moon, the sun, and their two stars, she replied. A better family I couldn't imagine. And she kissed each of them on the forehead. Come, she said, gesturing regally. You must be starving. Inside a white castle with shimmering gold spires, they sat for dinner in a huge banquet hall. It was a feast of venison, pheasant, cheese, bread and honey, wine, and more fruit than Sirius had ever seen in his life. He looked out over a sea of beautiful faces, men and women, young and old, laughing and talking while musicians and jesters moved through the crowd. A small group of people got up to dance, and it didn't take long before two pretty young women, who must have been more of Remus's cousins, pulled Regulus and James out to dance, too. James slugged back the rest of his wine and went happily, while Regulus reluctantly followed. It looked like the party of a lifetime, and Sirius supposed it was. We don't always do this. Daphne said, leaning over to talk into Sirius's ear, as though reading his mind. We're usually a very modest people, but we had to celebrate Aramis's return. It's wonderful, Sirius said. Thank you for having us. Daphne patted his hand and poured him another measure of jewel-red wine. Where's your mother? Sirius heard Remus ask Faith. Oh, she doesn't like crowds too much. Faith answered through a mouthful of strawberries and cream. But I'll take you to see her later. She's really eager to talk to you. She is, Remus asked. Aha. Uh -huh. Faith nodded, taking another bite of her dessert. She figured you'd have lots of questions. You can wait until the morning if you're tired, but she stays up all night anyway, and she'd love to see you. Does she want me to come alone? Remus asked. I don't want to intrude. Intrude. Faith yelped. Remus. You've been gone for 25 years. She's thrilled. Besides, I've been going on and on about you and your dishy boys for days. She'll think I've been making you all up. You'd better bring them. By the way, just a warning. She's going to go spare when she sees you're serious. She always did go for the tall, dark, and dangerous type. And so did Auntie Hope. <laughs>
From what I heard, Uncle Lyle was quite the looker back in the day. Nothing like a sailor to wet the bottom of your boat, if you know what I mean, right? I guess, Remus replied, his cheeks scarlet, and he looked down the table at Sirius with wide, horrified eyes while Sirius struggled not to laugh. They danced, laughed, and drank for hours until the crowd quieted and thinned. Soon, Regulus and James were dancing alone to the music of a single lute player, while Remus rested his head sleepily on Sirius's shoulder. Faith pulled up a chair next to Sirius and rested her head on his other shoulder. You are comfy, she said with a giggle, then leaned forward to look at Remus. Wanna go see my mum? They followed Faith through the airy, high-ceiling corridors of the darkened castle and up a spiral staircase to the tallest parapet where they found a huge, open-air bedroom filled with flowers and snaking vines, and enchanted with a magical barrier to keep out the weather, animals, and insects. A fire blazed in the hearth and gauzy lace curtains fluttered over the four-poster bed underneath a dark canvas of twinkling stars and the waning crescent moon. Sirius was reminded of that first night that he and Remus made love, when a garden had broken through Sirius's bedroom window and Remus waved a delicate hand to keep the room snugly warm. Mother! Faith called into the strange space. Over here, darling. A gauzy voice answered. They approached the far side of the room and saw a breathtaking woman laying magnificently across a softly glowing whitish gold poof on the ground. She was surrounded by piles of gold and silver pillows and cushions. A glowing orb hanging lazily over her head cast a gentle light over her perfect, opaline features and silvery gold hair that cascaded around her shoulders. She sat up when she heard them approaching, and regarded them with a knowing smile. Remus, she breathed. Come here, dear. Let me look at you. Remus let go of Sirius's hand and knelt on a pillow beside his Aunt Penelope. You're my sister all over, aren't you? She breathed, running a hand down his cheek while her eyes darted across his face, as though she longed to look at every part of him, all at once. Welcome home, sweetheart. Thank you, Remus said. Faith said you wanted to talk to me. Of course, Penelope said. But first, can I just hug you? I never thought the last time I held you would be the last time I held you. And she started to cry. Remus nodded and wrapped his arms around his aunt, who sobbed into his shoulder and gripped him tightly, her hands fisting the back of his shirt as she pulled him close. Oh, Hope, she wept. How I wish you could see him. She pulled back and put her hands on his cheeks, her tear-stained face glistening like stars in the firelight. You're more beautiful than I ever imagined you'd be, she said, and marked with your love. She gazed at him and smiled proudly. Where is he? She asked, and Remus turned around. Their eyes landed on Sirius, who felt a warmth ripple across his skin under their adoring gaze. My, would you look at him? Penelope gushed before looking back at her nephew. You did pretty well for yourself there, laddie. I'd like to think I have something to do with that, of course. She sat back with a cheekily smug smile as she looked at Sirius. James, and Regulus and gestured for them to join her on the cushions. You too, Faith darling, Penelope said patting the spot next to her. Faith curled up next to her mother and drew her feet underneath her as she settled under Penelope's arm. 
They talked for a while longer, until finally, Penelope took Remus's hand. Are you ready, dear? She asked him. I'd like to tell you what happened here, and why you left. He nodded, and Penelope waved a hand, conjuring six cups of steaming hot tea. It's Jasmine with Star Anise and Yarrow. She said. Four. For divination and opening the third eye. Remus finished, and Penelope gave him an impressed nod. That's right, Remus. My sister would be very proud of you. She replied, handing a cup to each of them. I want you all to drink, and after you do, you'll be able to clearly visualize everything I say, as though you were watching it happen right within your own mind. My visions and memories will be yours. She turned to Remus again. Are you sure you want to do this? She asked. Some of it might be upsetting for you. But Remus nodded, his jaw set. Sirius was in awe of him. He was so delicate, but so strong. Sirius gave him a kiss on the cheek and a bracing smile, and they all drank. The tea was sweet and spicy. Sirius could taste a strong flower flavor mixed with licorice and a bitterness that he supposed was the arrow. He also tasted the sharp, metallic tang of magic at the back of his throat. When they were all finished, Penelope began to speak, and as soon as she did, it was as though a vivid dream started playing in Sirius's mind's eye. I had a vision, Penelope began, and immediately Sirius could picture a much younger Penelope, whose belly was round and heavily pregnant. You were with child, Regulus asked, gazing blankly into the distance, and Sirius knew that his brother was seeing the same thing as he was. James and Remus were, too. That's right, she answered. I was a few months away from giving birth to Faith. Hope was also with child. She was carrying Remus, of course. And Sirius pictured the two sisters standing side by side, barefoot in a green meadow dotted with purple flowers, their white gowns billowing around their legs. Penelope was lovely, but Hope took Sirius's breath away with her beauty. She was angelic and glowed with the life growing within her. One night there was a storm. Penelope continued. Lightning hit the beech tree on the lakeshore, and as it did, I was struck with a vision within a dream. The vision said that on the night when the full moon aligned with Sirius and Alpha Libri, a child would be born, destined to fight evil and restore the balance to nature. The child would find a foretold love that would mark them both by the star and the moon. But the price of that destiny was a terrible curse. I woke up in a panic before I could see what the curse was. I consulted every star chart I could find, terrified that my baby was the one in the prophecy. Sirius pictured Penelope waking from the dream, sweaty and disoriented, tearing through the castle to the library and summoning every astrological book in the place. And then I found it, she said. The full moon, Sirius, and Alpha Libri would be aligned on March 10th, and I breathed easily again. I knew the prophecy did not speak of my child. I was relieved, but only for a moment. Because March 10th meant that the prophecy was about Hope's baby. When I told her and Lyle, he panicked. Drank himself stupid and disappeared into the night. Hope found him the next morning at a wizarding pub by the sea and dragged him home. Sirius pictured that clearly, too, not only by Penelope's description, but by Hagrid's memory of the scene in his own pub. Hope's waters broke on the 8th of March. Penelope continued. It was a long labor, 
and a painful one. Hope and Lyle were desperate. They tried every spell, every herb, every magical salve to speed along the birth. But it was no use. The boy was stubborn and stayed cosseted in his mother's womb until just after midnight on March 10th. Suddenly Sirius's mind was filled with a crying infant, swaddled in glowing light and cradled in his mother's arms. Remus. Sirius breathed to himself. He watched Hope and Lyle crying and hugging their new son, torn between joy and terrible fear as they embraced in the bloody bedsheets. My mother and I swore we'd do anything to protect Remus, Penelope said. We even talked Hope out of fleeing the glen. Hope believed that if she got far away from this place, then maybe the magic of the prophecy wouldn't find them. Lyle was on our side and begged her to stay, too. He thought that Remus's best hope of protection would be here, amongst all of this powerful magic. I thought that we'd convinced her. But I was wrong. The night my waters broke, Hope took advantage of the fact that my guard was down. She fled, and I never saw her again. Now Penelope was crying, not only in Sirius's mind's eye, but there before him, too, weeping for her lost sister and nephew. I had another vision, five years later she said. But it wasn't a prophecy. It was of Hope's last moments. And Sirius clearly saw Hope Lupin walking barefoot through a meadow just before dawn under the glowing full moon. The air was hushed and still. Her skin glowed pearlescent in the moonlight, and she held her little boy's hand tightly as she whispered the secrets of their magic. They were so beautiful there together, so peaceful, and the love they felt for each other seemed to shine softly all around them. Sirius saw the werewolf coming long before Hope did. It bounded straight toward her from the trees, as though the attack had been planned. It bared its bloody teeth, it must have already killed another that night, and its eyes glowed a wicked, sulfuric yellow. Hope's quiet magic was powerful, but was no match for the beast. Yet she did not run. She did not scream. Instead, she bent over her son, spreading her arms wide across his body. Hope closed her eyes, pressed one final kiss to Remus's forehead, and whispered her last words. I love you. The creature pounced, and everything in Sirius's imagination went dark. He was jolted sharply back to reality, and to Remus now, whose face was white with shock. He turned to Sirius, crawled across the pillows to him, and collapsed into his arms. Sirius, Remus sobbed, his whole body shaking. I know who that was. I know who killed her. Chapter 27 For twenty years, two hundred and forty-seven full moons, Remus remembered nothing of his transformations but pain. There was the bone-ripping agony of the moments before moonrise and the terrible ache and exhaustion of the morning after, but in between, there was empty blackness, like a dream forgotten. But now, Upon seeing Fenrir Greyback's yellow eyes, bloody fangs, and sharp, ripping claws moments before he killed Hope and cursed Remus's life forever, the memories of his last full moon came flooding back like a tsunami through his psyche. Sirius held Remus tightly as the images coursed through him. They played clearly in his mind's eye, and he willed himself to breathe and focus on what he saw. There was Greyback, newly transformed in front of him, with his dangerous, unfamiliar scent that Remus's wolf immediately recognized as an enemy. Greyback's wolf was enormous, but to Remus's surprise, his own was bigger, 
and his muscular body flexed as he reared back and growled warningly. They circled each other, snarling and snapping, raising their hackles and baring their teeth until Greyback lunged without warning. Remus gasped in shock watching the memory of Greyback's heavy body thudding on top of him, knocking the wind out of his lungs as powerful jaws clamped down around his neck. Remus's wolf whined and fought as Greyback mounted him, trying to force himself upon him, but Remus's wolf surged with power and flung Greyback away. Greyback hit the wall with a sickening crunch and slid to the floor, panting and disoriented. In his moment of weakness, Remus's wolf lunged upon him, biting and slashing with his teeth and claws, ripping the wiry gray fur away from his flesh with unhinged fury. Greyback whined and yelled, but was powerless against Remus's mighty anger and feral strength. Remus felt Greyback's skin break open in his mouth, tasted hot blood coating his muzzle and claws, heard the ripping and tearing of muscle and sinew from bone, and still he did not relent. He bit and slashed at Greyback until he was nearly torn to ribbons, unmoving except for his shallow, rattling breaths. It was only then that Remus released Greyback from his jaws, stepped back, lifted his head, and howled in triumph and fury. It was a wild, untamed sound, and Remus felt a tear through his throat and chest as the scene ripped across his memory. Remus's wolf paced the safe house for a long time, unalert, with shrewd, amber eyes trained upon Greyback's unmoving body, watching carefully for any signs of his adversary waking. Eventually, though, he seemed satisfied that Greyback was defeated for the night, and curled up on the bed to sleep the moon away until sunrise. The memories ebbed toward darkness as the wolf fell into sleep, but Remus's body still quaked in Sirius's arms, surging with hot, sharp adrenaline. Remus buried his face in Sirius's chest as he tried to steady his breathing. He could feel everyone's eyes upon him now, hear their soft, concerned murmuring, but he couldn't muster the energy to feel self-conscious. Instead, he focused on Sirius's strong arms holding him safe and sure as the awful vision faded from his mind, listened to Sirius's steady heartbeat and the rising and falling of his chest as he held him close. Sirius pressed a kiss to Remus's temple and pushed the sweaty hair out of his eyes. I'm here, Sirius whispered. I'm right here. The sound of Sirius's voice acted as a strengthening bomb for Remus's heart. He gathered himself and sat up as much as he could while everyone around him fell silent, watching and waiting. It was Greyback, Remus said, finding his voice at last, shaking though it was. That's who killed my mother and bit me. Greyback. At Remus's words, a dangerous, deadly look crossed Sirius's face and darkened his eyes. His jaw clenched and his fingers curled into angry fists against Remus's back. He nodded once but said nothing, and Remus could feel the burning rage rippling off his skin like heat waves in the desert. Remus turned to his aunt and spoke again. I'm a werewolf, he said, trying to tamp down the fear and shame in his voice, as I'm sure you've realized. Penelope nodded, her beautiful face painted with sadness and grief. I know, she said quietly. Remus opened his mouth to speak, wondering whether anyone else in the glen knew of his lycanthropy, but found he couldn't summon his voice. Thankfully, Regulus found it for him. Does anyone else know? Regulus asked, and Remus smiled at him gratefully. Regulus gave him a small, 
knowing smile of his own before turning his attention back to Penelope. Yes, she said. We all do. She was answering Regulus but looking at Remus. And you did not turn me away. Penelope's forehead creased in confusion. Why would we turn you away? Because. Remus's mind swam with twenty years of his father's voice ringing in his memory. He was dangerous. Diseased. Deadly. A blight on wizard kind. Lucky that Lyle hadn't abandoned him in the forest, or smothered him under a pillow in his sleep to put him out of his misery and safeguard the rest of the world from his curse. He was someone who would never know love or friendship. A shameful secret, kept hidden for his own protection and the protection of others. Because, Remus started again, but the explanation died in his throat at the tender look on his aunt's face. We love you, Remus, she said. You're part of us, our son. Even though? No, not even though, Penelope said vehemently. Love does not come with caveats or excuses. What you are is who you are. And we love who you are. Remus was stunned. He did not know what to say. Thank you, he managed finally. You were born to be loved. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, Penelope said. You do not need to thank me for it. Remus nodded and wiped a tear from his cheek. You had a vision just now, didn't you? Penelope asked, watching her nephew with careful concern. Yes, Remus nodded, and he told them what his vision revealed. As he spoke he felt angry heat rising from Sirius's body, as though flames blazed under his skin. He tried to mate you, Sirius said when Remus finished, and his voice and limbs shook with fury. He bit your neck and tried to force you to. An ear-splitting crack shook the quiet night, and they all jumped in alarm. The logs in the hearth were breaking apart and exploding into fragments, sending fiery embers shooting into the air before raining down on the ground all around them. From each burning, crackling cinder, green shoots and leaves sprung forth, growing into bright orange fruits. Remus turned to Sirius, who watched in shock as the shrubs surged and twisted all around them. Penelope stood from her pillows and strode across the floor to the nearest plant, her gown swishing around her feet as she moved. She gazed up appraisingly at the orange fruits before turning her attention to Sirius. Has your rage always done that? Penelope asked, eyeing the fruit once more and giving Sirius a look that was both questioning and impressed. No, Sirius replied, staring back and forth between Penelope and the plants he'd just created. Never. Interesting, she said, a smile playing on her lovely lips as the newly formed branches rustled in the soft breeze over her head. You've conjured Strychnos Nux Vomica. Faith gasped. Wow, Faith whispered, staring at Sirius in awe. What's that? Sirius asked. One of the world's most poisonous plants. Penelope answered, arching a perfect eyebrow. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Sirius stammered. I, I don't know how. But Penelope only laughed prettily. There's no need to apologize, my dear. You love Celine's rarest flower and share a destiny with him. It seems she gave you a gift to celebrate your coupling. Still, you're obviously a very powerful wizard, serious, to have conjured that. And with a healthy measure of the dark arts within you too. 
It's good to see that Remus has chosen a worthy match. Penelope said with respectful inclination of her head. Remus threaded an arm around Sirius's waist and gazed at him with reverence and pride. He looked so strong and handsome there in the glittering night, plucked straight from the heavens and shining powerfully, like his namesake star. Would you mind vanishing it, though? Penelope continued, looking up at the poisonous plants again. It is quite deadly. Remus nodded encouragingly at Sirius, who waved a hand and vanished the trees as quickly as they'd sprouted. Merlin, Padfoot, James said, gaping at him. How do you learn that? I suppose Remus taught me, Sirius replied, but Remus shook his head. Perhaps I showed you what to do, but it started after you got this, Remus replied, brushing his fingers over the gold moon on Sirius's chest. It brightened and shimmered under his touch. Just as I thought. Marked by love and rewarded by Selene, Penelope said. Now, the prophecy. She settled back onto her poof, her shimmering hair rippling around her, and waved her own, slender hand to conjure a pink crystal hookah with delicate white feathers adorning the gold-tipped pipe. The smoke smelled of rich tobacco and sweet cherry, and she closed her eyes and leaned back onto the pillows as she took a long, languid drag. She held her breath for a moment, her full breasts rising beneath her sheer gown as her lungs filled with smoke. Then she opened her beautiful mouth and exhaled, forming her lips into a plush circle and releasing the smoke in delicate ribbons above her head. It curled and undulated until it took shape, forming into two wolves fighting in a vicious dance across the starry sky. She watched the scene until it dissolved in the breeze. This grayback person, Penelope said thoughtfully. She passed the pipe to Faith, but her eyes did not leave the sky. He must be the evil you're meant to fight, Remus. Another werewolf. Yes, Remus said, the shame in his voice thick and heavy at what he was. What he and Greyback both were. Penelope pulled her gaze from the inky heavens and shook her head with a small, sympathetic smile. You misunderstand me, dear, she said. I did not mean to imply that all werewolves are evil. They're not. You are living proof of that. Werewolves are creatures like any other, governed by instinct. Instinct is not evil, just as the destructive powers of nature are not evil. Nature does not choose. It simply is. Humans are different, though. We decide how to use our power. Well, Greyback is certainly evil, Remus said. I already knew that, but now I also know that he attacked my mother and me intentionally. His voice trailed away in shock and disgust. For twenty years, Remus and his father had done everything in their power to ensure that Remus would never be near any other human being during the full moon. Merely the thought of hurting anyone, of inflicting the kind of pain and agony that tore his body apart every month, turned Remus's stomach. And to think that Greyback did it on purpose. On purpose? Serious, Remus said slowly a realization forming in his mind. Why did you first seek to meet with Greyback? Because a werewolf had been attacking children in what looked like. Sirius started, and as he spoke, his eyes widened. Calculated attacks. He finished. He and Remus looked at each other and saw the understanding blossoming on the other's face. Oh, for Merlin's sake, Sirius said. It was him. The morning after the full moon, Remus remembered 
the truth surging like electricity under his skin. Greyback mentioned his empire. I was so overwhelmed and didn't know what he was talking about but what if? What if he's been attacking children to build a werewolf kingdom from the ground up? Regulus finished for him, looking just as shocked as Remus felt as the revelation washed over him. It makes sense, James chimed in. In the last attack, a mother was killed and her child was bitten. And there was no attack during the last full moon because... Because he was with me, Remus said. The four of them looked around at each other as the truth settled upon them. Holy shit, Regulus said. Indeed. Penelope agreed with a smirk toward Regulus who looked slightly abashed at his turn of phrase. It was an expression Remus had never seen on him before. If Greyback is, in fact, doing what you believe he's doing, Penelope continued, then he's intentionally disturbing the balance, deciding people's fates, tipping the scales toward chaos. And worst of all, he's acting as a god, which has surely earned Selene's wrath. That is why you are the perfect person to fight this, Remus. The only person. Why? Remus asked. The question fell easily from his lips. He had been wondering why for twenty years. Why him? Why had his mother's life been ripped away so violently? Why did he have to lose his father to fear and grief? Why had he been cursed to have his body broken and twisted into that of a monster, month after month? And now, he asked why yet again. Why had he been chosen to fight such a terrifying foe? You are a child of the moon who is chained to the moon. There has never been another like you. Penelope replied, her bright eyes glistening in the light of the glowing silvery orb that hung above their heads. You hold within you the powers of creation and destruction. You are the living embodiment of nature's balance. They all sat in stunned silence until James leaned over and wrapped an arm around Remus's shoulders. No pressure, mate, James said, patting him on the arm. And Remus laughed even as he wiped away a stray tear. He couldn't help it. As ever, it was hard to be frightened with James Potter cracking jokes next to him. Sirius turned to James. I'm sorry, Prongs, he said. You said from the beginning that working with Greyback was a bad idea, and you were right. I should have listened. Maybe, James said. But if you had, we wouldn't have the pendant. And we never would have come here. What pendant? Penelope asked. This one. Sirius said, pulling the moonstone pendant from his pocket. It swung from his fingers, catching the light and iridescent rainbows. Penelope's hand flew to her throat and her face paled. Where did you get this? Penelope whispered as tears pooled in her bright amber eyes. She reached forward and grazed her fingertips along the shimmering moonstone, transfixed. Greyback brought it to me, Remus said. It was his. Penelope's eyes flashed with anger, and suddenly, Remus heard whispering movement as Devil's Snare began to slowly snake across the floor, moving with creeping menace all around them. It was not his, Penelope said. Her voice rumbled low in her chest, and she flicked an irritated hand at the Devil's Snare without looking away from the pendant. The wicked plant disappeared, and her eyes met Remus's. It was your mother's. Remus was exhausted by the time Faith finally led them to their guest chambers. They bade goodnight to James and Regulus, but Faith hesitated in front of Remus's and Sirius's bedroom. Well, goodnight, then, 
Faith said, but did not walk away. Instead, she looked up at Remus, suddenly shy. Why don't I leave you two alone for a minute? Sirius said softly, bending down to kiss Remus's cheek. Good night, Faith. Good night, Sirius, she replied. She watched him disappear into the bedroom but still didn't say anything, even after he clicked the door closed. Are you alright? Remus asked. Faith searched his face with wide, pretty eyes before finally speaking again. I was hoping that tomorrow morning I could. I could show you around the glen a little. She asked in a small voice. I'd love that, Remus said easily. Really? Really? Oh, I could show you everywhere. Faith gushed, her relief and joy bursting out of her. All of my favorite places. I always imagined that you would like them, too. I know it's silly but it's been lonely without you, and I've missed you somehow, even though we never knew each other. I always thought that we could be great friends if, if we had the chance. Now it was Remus's turn to take Faith's hand. We have the chance now, he said. We do, don't we? Faith said. Her smile was radiant, like the brightest sunshine. I'll bring us breakfast. We can have a picnic at the lakeshore. And Sirius is welcome too, of course, but... How about just me and you? Remus said, and Faith's expression grew even happier. So we can get to know each other properly. And once again, Faith squealed with happiness, threw her arms around Remus's neck, and kissed him on the cheek. I'll see you then. I can't wait. Me either. Good night, Faith. Good night, dear cousin. And she floated off. Remus watched her disappear down the corridor before going into his bedchamber. His eyes were shut in a yawn as he stepped through the door, but when he opened them, he couldn't believe what he saw. The room looked like an enchanted fairy's den, with soft green moss carpeting the floor and decadent flowers and snaking green vines covering the walls. The greenery emitted a soft, golden glow, and Remus realized there were sleeping fairies perched upon the leaves and petals. A stream surrounded by smooth gray rocks babbled gently along one edge of the room, and instead of a ceiling, there was the sparkling night sky. Remus gazed upward, and a calm breeze sighed across his face. Nice place, isn't it? Sirius asked. He was lying in an enormous white cloud of a bed in the very center of the room. He looked like a dream within a dream, and Remus eagerly got out of his clothes and climbed in with him, sinking into the soft mattress and Sirius's waiting embrace. Faith wants to have a breakfast picnic at the lake, Remus said, melting into Sirius, as always. There was no comfort like the comfort of Sirius's body against his. That sounds nice, Sirius murmured as they sank into the fluffy pillows and blankets together. He kissed Remus's hair, his cheek, his temple, his ear as Remus spoke. I told her it could be just the two of us, Remus said, sighing happily and letting his eyes drift closed as Sirius kissed his jaw and neck. Very sweet of you, darling, Sirius said, letting his kisses get slower, warmer, slipperier. He kissed down the soft dip of Remus's shoulder across his collarbone. She wants to be your friend. Yes, Remus said, his voice slipping into a moan as he tilted his head to one side and let Sirius work the flesh behind his ear between his lips and tongue. He breathed heavily, barely able to think anymore, let alone speak, lost in the feeling of Sirius's wet mouth sliding against his neck.
Sirius grazed his teeth along the golden star, and Remus's whole body shivered with want. He turned his head and captured Sirius's lips in a kiss. He supposed they should talk about everything they'd seen and learned that day, but the simple relief of their touches was too much to resist. They moved against each other with long, languid strokes, and Sirius entered Remus the same way. He pressed into him deeply with thrusts that punched in hard and slow and dragged pleasure out of him like exquisitely wrought torment. He grasped Remus's wrists over his head, pinning him to the bed with one hand. The other hand was tucked under Remus's back and splayed wide across his narrow shoulder blades. Remus felt engulfed, consumed, and utterly owned as Sirius held him down and pressed their bodies together. It was a relief to let go like this to let his mind go blank with nothing but sparking pleasure and Sirius's solid, reassuring weight covering and pressing on every inch of him. Remus's cock dragged between them, slick and hard, and Sirius buried his face in the crook of Remus's neck, still working the skin relentlessly between his teeth. Mate me, Remus thought wildly, and suddenly, as if in feral answer, Sirius bit down, hard, the pain rocketing instantly into bliss as Remus came and came and came wet and hot against their skin. It did not take long for Sirius to follow, pumping Remus full and sending his mind sinking into cottony oblivion. Sirius was peppering his neck with soothing kisses and running his fingers through Remus's hair when he came back to himself again. There you are, Sirius said, kissing the tip of Remus's nose. He'd already cleaned them up, and was holding Remus as though he was the most precious thing on earth. Are you ready for sleep? I think you need it. But Remus only hummed half a reply. He was already drifting off. Sirius kissed his forehead, and soon, they both floated into a soft, dreamless sleep in their woodland bedroom with the bubbling brook and gently rippling breeze lulling them sweetly along the way. The days passed blissfully after that, with them ensconced in the loving attention of Remus's family. Remus began each morning with faith. They passed hours together picnicking, walking, and talking as they explored the glen, and Remus had a clear image of what growing up with her might have been like, magically skipping stones over the glassy lake, climbing up and down rocky cliffs, picking berries and finding fairies in hollow trees, and even jumping into the waterfall together in fits of gleeful laughter. He learned all about Faith's education as the future matriarch of the daughters of Selene, after Daphne and Penelope, and how she was honing her craft as a seer, herbologist, and healer. Yet for all the beauty and love she was surrounded by, Faith still had a wandering heart and soul and longed to see the world beyond the glen. My mother says I remind her of Auntie Hope, always dreaming of the horizon, Faith said. So Remus told her of his travels across the continent with Lyle, modest though they were, and Faith rested her hand dreamily on her chin as she listened. If you really want to hear about adventures, talk to Sirius. Remus said one day as they ate the sweet little tea cakes that Daphne's cook had made for them. They sat atop a large, flat boulder overlooking a copse of trees where thousands of monarch butterflies clung to the branches like fluttering, orange and black leaves. Name a place and he's not only been there but made friends, been arrested, gotten cursed, or voted mayor. Faith laughed, but it was a bittersweet thing. You'll be off on adventures like that when all this is over, won't you? She asked. I hope so, Remus said, although I'd be happy anywhere with Sirius, as long as we're together. But he knows you, Faith said.
He knows you want to see the world. Yes, Remus said fondly. He wants to show me everything. You're so lucky, Faye said, laying back onto the rock and folding her arms behind her head. To have found love like that. Remus watched her as she stared up at the shifting clouds. No one had ever called him lucky before. If anything, Lyle spent his whole life reminding him how unlucky he was. But now that he knew about the prophecy and his fated union was serious, Remus realized that everything in his life had led him exactly to where he was now. Had his mother not fled, he never would have been bitten, and his father would not have hidden him away, confining him to the village and driving him straight into Sirius's arms. It still feels like a dream, Remus said laying back next to her. Sirius is, he's the most remarkable person I know. Do you think I'll ever find that? I saw the way Jason was looking at you last night, Remus offered, remembering the handsome young man who watched Faith all through dinner. He has a lazy eye, he looks at everyone like that, Faith sighed. Remus laughed, and Faith kicked him a little. Oh, well, there are lots of lovely people here in the Glen. What about Grace? She's pretty. She chews with her mouth open. Delia. Too quiet. Xander. Too short. Remus fell silent as Faith rolled her head sideways toward him. Does James have a brother? She asked hopefully. Remus shook his head, and Faith sighed again. Worth asking. She laughed, and leaned her head onto Remus's shoulder. Sirius spent his mornings with Daphne, who had taken to him quickly and was eager to teach him about his new powers. And every day when Remus returned from his walks with Faith, Sirius was waiting for him in front of some new potion he'd brewed or plant he'd conjured with his mind. Watch this, Sirius said proudly when Remus found him in the kitchens one afternoon. He waved his hand, and a teacup and saucer flew over to them shakily, rattling through the air until it fell with a clatter of broken china onto the floor. So close, he said, and Daphne patted him on the back. She flicked a finger, and the shattered pieces flew back together. You get it, dear, Daphne said. I did it when no one was looking, Sirius insisted, and Remus pulled him into a laughing kiss. I believe you, he said. Where are James and Reg? With Penelope, Sirius said. She's teaching them about herbs to aid legitimacy. Like Reg needs to be any nosier. Remus laughed again as Daphne put a hand on Sirius's shoulder. Don't forget the other thing I showed you, Daphne said, and Sirius's eyes lit up. Right, he said, and rushed over to a cauldron that bubbled on the slate countertop. He stirred it in figure eights while Daphne nodded approvingly. What is it? Remus asked, peering into its depths. Wolfsbane potion, Sirius said excitedly. Made with monkshood. If you take it right before the full moon, it eases the pain of transformation and allows you to keep your human mind. Monkshood, Remus said, remembering the poisonous plant that burst out of the botany book in their tent. Otherwise known as wolfsbane, Daphne said. We tried to show you, but I'm afraid we just scared you. I'm so sorry about the deer. This is amazing, Remus said. Did you develop this? Faith did, Daphne said. She hoped to be able to give it to you one day. And now I know how to make it, too, Sirius said, and Daphne smiled up at him proudly. My star student, she said, and patted him on the cheek.
It was like living in a happy, joyful dream. But as the full moon approached, Remus realized they needed to go home. It would have been easy to pretend their life was there in the glen, and settle into a happy routine of spending time with Faith, learning from Daphne, and hearing stories about his mother from Penelope. But Remus could feel his looming transformation clawing at his bones, and the dark specter of Fenrir Greyback lingering like poison around the edges of Remus's mind. Remus knew he couldn't hide there forever and had to face his destiny. It had, after all, found him wherever he went. They all ate supper together in one of the courtyard gardens, surrounded by glittering fairies and tinkling fountains. They talked and laughed all evening until Penelope leaned across the table and put a soft hand on Remus's cheek. Have you two had a hand fasting yet? She asked, looking between Remus and Sirius. No, Remus said. I never considered it. Would you consider it? Sirius asked him quietly, finding Remus's hand and threading their fingers together. Sirius was looking at him with a soft sincerity that took his breath away. Yes, Remus whispered, the happiness bursting from his chest as Sirius drew him into a joyful kiss. And so, the next night, the whole family gathered to watch Remus, and Sirius pledged themselves to each other. They wore robes of flowing white and stood beneath a flowering cherry tree as Penelope recited their sex's ancient vows of fidelity. May your souls find solace in each other. May the sun warm your faces. May the stars gently guide you. May the mother, Selene, defend you. May love give you strength for all eternity. Do you vow to protect and defend one another, to care for each other in sickness, to look upon each other with forgiveness, to find joy and passion in each other's touch, and seek to understand each other's hearts? We shall. They promised together, and as they did, a vine of dark green ivy darted up between them. Its leaves shimmered gold around the edges as the vine wrapped and twisted around their joined hands, securing their wrists together in a warm embrace of love, affection, and devotion. I declare you bonded for life, Penelope said through a radiant smile. May the goddess smile upon your union, always. Yuncta vitae. The crowd cheered back, raising glasses of elderberry wine, as Remus and Sirius kissed, sending exploding starbursts and riots of blossoming flowers into the air all around them. They ate, drank, and danced the night away. And Remus didn't think he'd ever been so happy in his whole life, until James sidled up to him and whispered in his ear. I hear the Phoebe waterfall is nice this time of night, he said with a wink before Regulus pulled him into a spinning dance. Should we? Remus whispered excitedly, grasping Sirius's hands in front of his chest. Definitely, Sirius said, and they stole away to the far side of the glen, where the most beautiful waterfall they'd ever seen beckoned them into its warm crystalline waters. They eagerly stripped off their robes and left them on the grass as they splashed into the water, falling into each other and kissing joyfully. Remus wrapped his legs around Sirius's waist and Sirius slid into him easily, as though the water itself was aiding in their union. Sirius held Remus as he pushed into him again and again, and Remus tipped his head back into the waterfall's dancing cascade. The water was warm and licked over their chests as they chased each other's mouths and skin, until finally they ascended into climax together. They cried out their ecstasy as the water jumped and frolicked around them in glittering droplets that reflected the stars above. I love you, 
Remus said as they clung to each other in the leaping, rushing water, unwilling to let each other go just yet. I love you, my darling, Sirius replied, and they closed their eyes and kissed again under the light of the nearly full moon. The next morning was a bittersweet one as they all said their goodbyes. I can't believe I just found you, Faith sniffed, and you're already being taken from me again. She grasped Remus's hand and looked upon him with wide, hurt eyes that broke his heart. I'll be back, he said. Nothing could keep me away. Do you promise? She asked. I promise, he replied, and hugged her tightly. My darling nephew, Penelope said, and his darling star. She put a hand to both Remus and Sirius's cheeks, and kissed them on the forehead, just as Celine had done in Sirius's dream. And you too, she said, turning to Regulus and James. Keep an eye on them, won't you? Of course, Regulus promised, and he and James drew Penelope into hugs of their own. The next time you visit, you can operate straight into the glen, my dear, Daphne said, laughing through her own tears as she hugged her grandson tightly. We won't try to kill you ever again. That's a relief, Remus replied with a laugh of his own. And you, Daphne said, looking at Sirius. Keep practicing, and send me a patronus if you have any questions. Anytime, day or night, dear, you could have been my prized pupil, Sirius. Your magic is extraordinary, even without the gift from Celine. Thank you, Daphne, Sirius said and kissed her on the cheek. You can operate straight home, my dear. Daphne told Remus. The Glen recognizes you now as family, all four of you. Simply walk outside the gates, and you'll be able to leave. Remus nodded and wiped a tear from his eye as a lump rose in his throat. Now, there's no need to cry, my dear, Daphne said. We'll see each other again, sooner rather than later, I expect. I hope so, Gran, Remus said, and gave her one more hug. Good luck, Remus, Penelope said, holding his face in her hands. Remember, Celine and Destiny are on your side. Thank you, Remus said tearfully, looking around at them one more time. For everything, I love you all. And we love you, Penelope said. Always. And the four of them walked to the marble gates, crossed through the ebony door, joined hands, and apparated back to Black Manor. Remus sighed as they walked into the house, feeling suddenly exhausted and overwhelmed with all that had happened over the past few weeks. Home sweet home, Regulus said, as they all dropped their rucksacks onto the foyer floor with the same tired sighs. Sirius took Remus's hand, about to walk into the back garden. They already missed the glen's wild and riotous plants and flowers, when a figure appeared on the stairs. The star and the moon. Lyle said with bloodless resignation. His face was pale as he stared at the golden marks on Remus and Sirius's bodies. So the prophecy is nearly complete, then. Forgive me, Hope. I have failed you after all. Chapter 28 Part 4 Handfasted, too, I see. Lyle said coldly, staring at the silver and moonstone wedding bands, gifts from Daphne that adorned Sirius's and Remus's fingers. James and Regulus exchanged a look and quietly left the room, leaving the three of them alone. Lyle still appeared tired and gaunt, but unlike when they left him a month ago, he was stronger and steadier on his feet. 
He strode down the steps without a struggle, stopping a few stairs above the landing so he could look down upon Sirius. Yes, father, Remus said, trying to smile, and Sirius noticed the sad, pleading tone in his voice. Remus, with his good heart, still wished to make peace with Lyle, even after everything he had put him through. We're very happy. But Lyle ignored him. Instead, he fixed Sirius with a disgusted, spite-filled stare. It did not occur to you to ask for my permission, did it, Lord Black? Lyle said, his voice dripping with disdain. Sirius pulled Remus closer, again feeling that fierce surge of protectiveness rise up in his chest. I shouldn't be surprised, given this den of depravity you've left me in for the past month. Remus does not need your permission to do anything, Sirius said, trying to keep his voice calm. He is my son, Lyle said, his eyes flashing with anger. And he is my husband, Sirius shot back. But more importantly, he is his own person. His life is his own. His life is not his own, Lyle scoffed. It belongs to Celine. She decided his fate before he was even born, and I have spent my life trying to prevent that from happening. Sirius opened his mouth to answer, but Remus beat him to it. You spent your life lying to me, Remus shouted, keeping me from my family, keeping me from knowing anything about who I am or where I come from. You made me ashamed of everything about myself. You made me ashamed of my magic, ashamed of what I looked like, ashamed of an illness that is not my fault. I have finally found people who love me for who I am and don't want to change me or hide me or punish me for it. You made me feel guilty for even being alive. Do you know how worthless I believed myself to be? Do you know how many times I thought the world would be a better place if I wasn't in it? I was trying to protect you, Lyle said, his voice shaking with emotion. You were trying to kill my soul, Remus said, looking his father straight in the eye. Unlike Lyle, his voice was steady and sure. I met the daughters of Selene. I met my grandmother and my aunt, and they told me the truth. I cannot believe you knew about the prophecy, and you kept it from me my entire life. Lyle should have blanched or shown an ounce of shame, but he did not back down. Did your precious family tell you they were proud of the prophecy? Lyle yelled. Your mother ran from the place, and for good reason. Penelope said you wanted to stay. I was wrong. Lyle screamed. I saw that once you were born, they were happy to offer you up as a sacrificial lamb, willing to accept a curse in exchange for being Selena's chosen one. Would you have let that happen to your child? Would you have let him fall prey to this terrible fate? Terrible fate. Remus shouted back. This is my life, father. And the only person who has made it terrible was you. You lied to me, and you made me feel worthless. And I'd do it all over again. Lyle bellowed. Especially knowing that he, of all people, was involved. He jabbed a finger into the air toward Sirius, and looked at him as though he was the vilest thing he'd ever seen. You were trying to prevent the rest of the prophecy, Remus said. You tried to lock me away to make sure I'd never find Sirius. I wish I could lock you away still. His darkness is palpable, Remus. How can you not see that? Lyle said. Unless you've become so much of a dark creature yourself, you don't even care anymore. A choked sob tore through Remus's throat, and he curled into Sirius, burying his face against his chest. Sirius wrapped his arms around Remus just as Bellatrix's shrill voice rang out from the upper landing. There you are, old man. Bellatrix chided Lyle, storming down the stairs. 
Didn't I tell you not to wander off again? She stopped halfway down when she spotted Sirius and Remus, who both turned to look at her. Oh, thank fucking Merlin, you're back. She huffed. You owe me, Sirius, it's been nearly a fucking month. Lyle shot her a dirty look, but Bellatrix pointed her wand at his throat. I'll fucking say fuck as much as I fucking want to, she said, jabbing him in the side of the neck with the tip of her wand and twisting it against his skin. Do you fucking understand? Lyle turned his head away from her and did not reply. And Remus, darling, she simpered. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, but your father is a liar. He's not ill. Look at him. He's fine. I noticed. Remus sniffed quietly, looking his father up and down. Now if you don't mind, cousin, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Bellatrix told Sirius. She waved her wand, and her trunk flew toward them, knocking four heavy silver candelabras off the wall as it barreled down the stairs. On any other day, Sirius would have hexed Bellatrix straight onto her arse for that, but he just took a deep breath and ignored it for Remus's sake. Thank you, Bella, Sirius said, trying to be polite, but Bellatrix shot a fiery spark at Sirius's head. He ducked, and the jinx set the curtains behind him alight with flames. Go fuck yourself, Sirius. She spat, extinguishing the fire, then shot Lyle a wicked glare. You can go fuck yourself, too. But you. She said, cocking her head toward Remus. She strode up to him, pulled him toward her, and pressed her body against his, rolling her hips obscenely. You can fuck me anytime. She hissed, their lips inches apart. Then she waved her wand, slammed open the door, and strode out into the dusky night. That distasteful whore was right about one thing, Lyle said, and Sirius's jaw clenched at the insult toward his cousin. I feel miraculously better. Obviously my sudden illness was part of Solana's manipulative plan to make sure you were able to sneak around with him. He jerked his head towards Sirius with a wicked sneer. And thank Merlin she did, Remus said. Sirius has finally showed me what it means to be loved. But has he really? Lyle asked softly taking another step down the stairs toward him. Selene is deceptive. How do you know he truly loves you at all? How do you know he hasn't only been hoodwinked by the goddess in service of her grand plans? Remus inhaled sharply, and his mouth fell open. He looked as though Lyle had slapped him. Shut up, Lyle, Sirius said, but Lyle paid him no mind. How do you know that he will not abandon you the second the prophecy is fulfilled and Selene has lifted her enchantments? Lyle cruelly pressed on. He's Lord Black, Remus. Why would he choose to chain his fate to a werewolf if he was in his right mind? Fuck you, Remus sobbed. He wrenched himself out of Sirius's grasp and strode angrily toward the door, which flew open without him even having to touch it. Sirius turned to follow him, but a thick wall of sharp, thorny branches shot out of the floor, completely covering the open doorway. Sirius rounded on Lyle and in an instant, was on him slamming him against the wall with one strong hand against his throat. Lyle choked against the pressure of Sirius's fingers flexing around his neck as Sirius lifted him onto his toes. You are the luckiest man on the face of this earth right now, Lyle Lupin. Because if you were anyone besides Remus's father, I would have fucking killed you already. Sirius snarled. Sirius felt his wand in his pocket, but he did not need it. Do not think yourself safe, though because I still might. 
He threw Lyle onto the floor where he landed with a crash against a heavy wooden sideboard. Sirius strode to the door, slashed his hand through the air, and blasted the thorny barricade apart, sending sharp twigs and sparks ricocheting off the walls. He felt angry darkness surging through his veins, and for the first time in his life, he was grateful for it. He stepped out into the cold November evening and looked around, but Remus was nowhere to be seen. Sirius crossed the wide veranda into the front garden and was just about to walk into the grounds behind the house when he heard a series of explosions, shouts, and screams coming from somewhere down the long, tree-lined driveway. His heart jumped into his throat, and he took off at a run, kicking up gravel behind him as his boots pounded furiously against the ground. He ran until he hit the wards at the end of the driveway and ran through those, too, looking up and down the main road. What he saw made his blood run cold. Avada Kedavra, Fenrir Greyback shouted, pointing his wand at Bellatrix, who crumpled to the ground in a lifeless heap. But Greyback was not alone. Flung, unconscious, over his shoulder was a slender figure whose skin and hair seemed to emit a silvery glow under the faint light of the fat, rising, almost full moon. Remus, Sirius screamed, yet it was too late. Greyback gave Sirius a wide, evil smile and apparated away with a sharp crack, leaving Bellatrix's dead body on the ground and taking Remus with him. Remus's whole body ached and throbbed as he slowly awakened. His eyes were closed, but he could feel that he was somewhere soft and warm, a bed perhaps. Maybe his and Sirius's bed. But no, that wasn't right. It couldn't be their bed. Sirius wasn't with him, and the smell was wrong. Remus slowly opened his eyes. He was, indeed, in a large, luxurious feather bed, with green velvet hangings and a sumptuous green blanket woven from the finest silk and gold filigree. He looked around some more, but everything far away was blurred. Even though Remus squinted around the room, he could see only colors and shapes. His head swam and pounded, and he closed his eyes again moving in slow motion to lay his shaking hand across his face. Every inch of his body hurt. Ah, darling, you're awake. A harsh voice growled, and Remus's sore muscles tensed even more. He willed his eyes open again and could just make out the shape of a tall, imposing figure moving toward him. It grew closer and clearer, until finally, the man's face swam into view. Fenrir Greyback dropped a tender kiss onto Remus's forehead and ran a hand down his cheek. How I've longed to see you in my bed, Remus, he said. Vomit rose in Remus's throat as he fought the urge to be sick. He jerked away from Greyback's stroking fingers and forced himself to sit up, swaying as he did. His heart raced, slamming into his ribs in terror. He was in Greyback Castle. Alone. Do not be afraid, Greyback said. I won't hurt you, darling. Remus raised his arm, gritting his teeth through the sharp, agonizing pain, and slashed his hand sideways through the air, but instead of sending Greyback flying across the room, nothing happened. Greyback laughed harshly. Did you really think I'd bring you into my castle without binding your powers first? He scoffed. I thought you were smarter than that. How did you bind my powers? Remus asked his voice trembling uncontrollably. Now he was even more frightened than he was a few minutes ago. 
A blend of herbs and ancient magic that I have no intention of explaining to you. Greyback laughed. Let's just say you're not the first werewolf I've needed to subdue. Remus's memory traveled back to the pale, dead-eyed boy called Sava who accompanied Greyback to the ball at Black Manor. He shivered and pulled the bedclothes around himself, as though that could do anything to protect him. I told you already that you need not be afraid, Greyback said, watching the defensive gesture with his shrewd black eyes. I merely mean to show you what you could have with me. We could be mated and bonded and start a brand new world for our kind. We could rule together, Remus. Your powers are extraordinary and should not be wasted. You could do so much. You could be the benevolent leader that they need. Please let me go, Remus said, fighting back tears. Sirius and I are handfasted now. You're too late. As though the rituals of some backwards pagan tribe mattered to me, Greyback scoffed. I have wanted you since the moment I laid eyes on you, and you have haunted my dreams for longer. I will win you away from that unworthy fool one way or another. If not by your own accord, then by mine. Under the light of the full moon, as I tried to do already. I have learned from my mistakes, Remus, and will not commit them twice. I will die before that happens. Remus bellowed, but Greyback only smiled at him. It was a terrible, leering thing that made the hairs on the back of Remus's neck prickle, as though his inner wolf was raising its hackles against an enemy. Perhaps. Greyback replied, flexing his fingers as though he were itching to slap him. But know that it will bring me no pleasure to kill you. I want you by my side, Remus. When Remus did not reply, Greyback continued. You are expected at dinner at ten o'clock, Greyback said. Do not be late, wear that. Remus could make out the outline of him pointing at something but could not tell what it was. I can't see a thing, my vision is blurred, Remus said his voice shaking uncontrollably. Ah, forgive me for that, Greyback said. He leaned down to press a kiss to each of his eyelids. He smelled like dirt, sweat, and the heavy scent of iron-rich blood, and Remus choked back vomit once again. But when Greyback pulled away, Remus's vision was restored. He looked to where Greyback had been pointing and saw a flowing, black, floor-length gown hanging from the wardrobe. It was light, gauzy, and completely sheer. I am not fucking wearing that, Remus spat. Greyback's fingers curled tightly around Remus's wrist, digging his sharp, filthy fingernails into the soft skin. He jerked his arm sharply, drawing Remus toward him until their noses brushed together. His hot breath panted against Remus's face, and the smell of dirt and blood was even stronger than before. You'll wear it, Remus, he growled. Unless you want me to kill your darling Sirius on sight the second he approaches the gates of Greyback Castle when he comes to rescue you, as we both know he will. He flung Remus back onto the pillows with a harsh shove before striding toward the door once more. Ten o'clock. Until then, my pet, Greyback said, bowing in a grotesque pantomime of courtly manners. He walked out the door, slammed it shut, and locked it with a series of metallic clicks behind him. Remus bent over the side of the bed vomited onto the floor, and the room went dark. Chapter 29 Fenrir always liked it when they fought back, and to his delight, Remus fought back the hardest of all. He expected nothing less of the boy, who'd been scrappy and defiant since the night Fenrir first sunk his teeth into his neck and tasted the flesh he'd spend the next twenty years craving. Fenrir had dreamt of him ever since, his flashing amber eyes, his punching, flailing fists. Now, this perfect, 
powerful creature was finally at his mercy. To have also snatched him feet from the gates of Black Manor with Black looking on was a sweeter victory than Fenrir could have imagined. Fenrir should not have been surprised, then, when Remus strode into the formal dining room at Greyback Castle with his chin in the air and his defiant streak firmly in place. Remus was wearing the sheer black gown as commanded, wearing it over his own clothing. You weren't specific, Remus said, with an innocent lilt in his voice. If Remus had been anyone else, he would have been face down on the floor already at such a display of insolence, with a hard slap in the mouth and a remorseless hand at the back of his neck, holding him fast until Fenrir was finished with him. But he knew that such brute force would not break Remus the way it had broken others. Besides, Fenrir needed him strong for their bonding. Remus, he had already decided, should be wooed. Such restraint did not come naturally to him, though, and he could not let the boy's indolence stand. With a flick of Fenrir's wand, the clothing underneath the sheer gown vanished. Remus did not flinch or betray any emotion, as though he was expecting it. Instead, he stood just as still and defiant as he had a moment ago, and Fenrir wanted him all the more for it. Fenrir drank in the glorious sight of him, bold and naked beneath the light of the silvery, almost full moon. His body was godlike in its beauty, and Fenrir's cock fattened as he looked upon his shimmering, golden skin, lively rippling muscles, and gorgeous cock that hung between his delicious thighs. He'd never seen anything like him. He was beyond Fenrir's wildest imaginings. But then, Fenrir's eyes narrowed, and he pushed out of his seat. He crossed the room until he and Remus were inches apart, and ran a thumb across a curious golden star shimmering on the side of the boy's neck. His skin was soft, like rose petals, and it took every ounce of strength he had not to close his fingers around the boy's throat and shove his cock into that divine mouth. What is this? he demanded. He felt Remus swallow beneath his fingers, but otherwise his expression did not change. It's a tattoo, Remus said easily. A tattoo is. I know what a tattoo is. Fenrir snapped. Where did you get it? London. Why is it gold? Enchanted ink. I've never seen such a thing. Maybe you should get out more. Oh, this boy. Fenrir's jaw clenched, and hot, angry heat crept up the back of his neck. But still, he did not lash out. It's lovely, he said instead. It suits you. For the first time that evening, a flicker of surprise crossed Remus's face. Thank you, he said quietly as Fenrir took a step back from him. Won't you join me? Fenrir asked, bowing and gesturing to the long, ebony dining table. Remus stared at him a second longer before walking toward it. Fenrir pulled out a seat for him with a small inclination of his head. He would never forget the courtly manners that had been drilled into him by his parents and governess before taking his own seat at the other end of the table. How are you finding your quarters? He asked, taking a sip of wine. Remus did not answer immediately, only watched Fenris shrewdly. In the flickering candlelight from the grand chandelier above their heads, Remus looked even more otherworldly. Very nice, Remus replied. But not quite as elegant as my quarters at Black Manor, I'm afraid. Once again, Rage rippled across Fenrir's skin, and his palm itched with the urge to slap the impudence right out of the boy's mouth. 
Is that so? It is, Remus said airily, serving himself a spoonful of roasted potatoes and not looking at Fenrir. I'll move you, then, Fenrir offered, to our most sumptuous guest suite. It has a large, heated soaking tub and overlooks the gardens. At this, Remus looked up. Gardens? he asked. Of course, Fenrir replied. Greyback Castle is at the center of a small village. We have gardens everywhere. The ones outside your new suite are rose and herb gardens. Extensive ones. They're charmed so they grow year-round, no matter the weather. Remus took a sip of his wine, and his expression softened. I love gardens, Remus said quietly. Oh, Fenrir asked, and in reply, Remus gave him a look of such wide-eyed sweetness that it took Fenrir's breath away. He felt an odd wave of something more than primal desire for the boy. It was so powerful and disarming that it seemed to fog his brain a bit. Yes, very much, Remus replied. A small smile appeared on his stunning face, and Greyback felt a pleasant warmth ripple across his skin at the sight of it. Plants and flowers and herbs make me happier than anything. But as quickly as the smile appeared, it faded. I haven't had a chance to be amongst them very much lately, though, he said sadly. Are there no gardens at Black Manor? Fenrir asked. Remus looked down at his plate for a moment longer before speaking again. Yes, but, they are not as I expected them to be, Remus confessed. I was very disappointed when I saw them, actually. They were sparse and poorly cared for. It broke my heart to look upon them. I wanted to make them beautiful, treat them the way they should have been treated, but Lord Black doesn't think. He stopped himself mid-sentence, catching himself in surprise, and looked at his plate again. Never mind, he mumbled. Lord Black doesn't think what? Fenrir pressed, eager to hear of a crack in Sirius Black's perfect veneer. I shouldn't speak ill of him, Remus said, shaking his head and worrying his bottom lip between his teeth. Your secret is safe with me. Fenrir promised, and Remus looked up at him with a hesitant expression. Really? Remus said, and Fenrir nodded his assurances. Of course, he replied, trying not to appear too impatient. Well, Remus began. He swallowed and looked up at Fenrir again, as though uncertain whether he should continue. Go on, Fenrir replied, as gently as he could. He had never exercised this much patience in his entire life. He was used to getting exactly what he wanted when he wanted it. But for Remus, he was willing to wait. I, I suppose you were right about him. Lord Black, I mean, Remus said. He is a bit possessive. He doesn't like to let me out of his sight very much. And he also doesn't think that I should lower myself to working in the gardens. I told him how happy it made me and how heartbroken I would be to live my life without nature. But he said I was part of the noble and most ancient house of Black now, and I should learn my place. To Fenrir's surprise, Remus began to cry. And to his even greater surprise, the sight of it tugged at his heart. Tears usually infuriated him. He hated weakness in all of its forms, and crying was messy and ugly. But the tears painting Remus's cheeks were lovely, like sparkling diamonds in the firelight. The only rage he felt was towards Sirius Black. How dare he cage such a magnificent creature? It's just as I told you, Fenrir ventured, trying to keep the indignation out of his voice. He'll never understand you. His kind seeks to keep us down and subdue our true natures. I would never do that to you. 
Do you mean? Remus started, looking at him with a wondering crease in his brow. That you would let me see the gardens. He sounded incredulous, like it was too much to hope for, and Fenner found himself absolutely lost in Remus's gaze, found himself promising things before he even had the chance to consider them. You can see the gardens, spend time in them, work in them, Fenner said. Anything you like. Remus smiled, and it was a stunning thing, as radiant as the brightest sun. Fenrir had never seen anything to match it before. It took his breath away, and again, his mind fuzzed curiously. But in an instant that beautiful smile was gone, replaced by a look of distrust. Remus's eyes narrowed, and he stared at Fenrir appraisingly. I thought I was your captive, Remus said. The boy was clever and sharp, Fenrir knew this, and he wondered whether Remus was planning his escape. But he also knew that he could not confine Remus to his chambers if he was to convince him that he never caged him the way Black had done. You may explore the castle, gardens, grounds, and villages you like, Fenrir said. But know that we are surrounded by granite walls, and there are guards on every parapet. You would not make it 500 feet if you tried to run beyond the gates. And it's carefully warded, so no one can apparate in or out. So another cage, then, Remus said, the defeat ringing in his voice. Just a bigger one. If we were to be bonded, you would not be caged at all, Fenrir said. The whole world would be yours. Remus nodded but did not reply. Instead, he dropped his head and ate in silence. Fenrir watched him hungrily. Watched the way the sweet red wine clung to his full, pink lips. The bobbing of his Adam's apple as he swallowed. The muscles in his neck and shoulders flexing with every movement. He wanted him, needed him. But he did not act, not even after dinner when he walked Remus through the dark castle to his new chambers, watching the way his naked body moved with long, lean strides under the torchlight. Is this more suitable? Fenrir asked, opening the door to the massive and opulently appointed suite. It's beautiful, thank you, Remus said, looking up at him through thick black lashes. Once again, Fenrir felt entranced and bewitched looking upon his beauty. Good night, darling, Fenrir said, kissing the top of Remus's hand in his best imitation of a gentleman. Remus's skin was soft and warm beneath his lips, and Fenrir had to force himself to release his hand. But release him he did. Thank you for dinner, Remus replied. Good night. He gave Fenrir a small, hesitant smile, disappeared into the room, and closed the door behind him. The door clicked shut and Fenrir growled in frustration. Rage and lust coursed through his body like hot, biting electricity, fighting against his bones to escape. He wheeled around and thrust his wand hard into the air. Bombarda! He cried through gritted teeth, blasting apart a marble bus sitting on a small table at the end of the corridor in a cascade of smoke and rock shards. But still, that pent-up, teeth-gnashing wand clawed at his ribs. He stormed away in a red haze, descended into the dungeons, and kicked open one of the doors. Sava! He barked harshly at the pale, skinny boy laying on the cot. Get upstairs, now! Fenrir fucked him mercilessly, pressing his face down onto the bed, the better to pretend that it was the golden god underneath him, and when he came, it was with the image of that gilded throat in his mind's eye and a ragged shout of Remus's name into the night.
Remus pressed his ear to the bedchamber door and listened as hard as he could with wide eyes and his heart throbbing in his throat. He heard Fenrir's frustrated growl, a shouted blasting spell, and a deafening explosion. He jumped as the sound of heavy pieces of whatever Fenrir had blown up crashed against the walls and ceiling. Then, there was a pause and the sound of heavy footsteps walking away. Remus waited a full minute after he could no longer hear anything before walking away from the door. He ripped off the sheer gown in disgust, balled it up, and threw it onto the floor. His own clothes were hanging in the wardrobe, and he hurriedly put them on, before finally doing the thing he'd been thinking about for hours. Creature, he called as loudly as he dared. Creature. He had no idea whether calling the house elf would work. Sirius was his master, and Creature answered to him. Yet Remus and Sirius were handfasted now, and Black Manor and Grimald Place were Remus's home, too. He hoped that meant what he thought it did. He waited, and was just about to try calling him once more, when there was a loud crack, and the gnarled old house elf appeared at Remus's feet. Oh, thank Merlin. Remus breathed, dropping to his knees and pulling the small elf into a grateful hug. Master Remus, Preacher said. Where are we? Greyback Castle, Remus said quickly. I'm safe for now. Tell Sirius to stay away and not to call my family, either. No one can apparate in or out, and Greyback has guards on every parapet around the castle and grounds. He's already threatened to kill Sirius on sight if he approaches the gates. Tell him not to come as Padfoot. He's too big. The villagers would notice a stray dog right away. Greyback bound my powers, but I think I can get them back myself. I have a plan. Preacher nodded along with wide eyes as Remus spoke. Be sure to tell Sirius everything, Remus said. Do you need me to write it down? No, Creature assured him. I'll remember. All right, Remus said. Do not come back unless I call you. It's too risky. Yes, Master Remus, Creature croaked. He bowed low, hesitated, and gave Remus a tentative hug around the neck. Godspeed, sir. Thank you, creature, Remus said, and the elf vanished with a crack. Remus paced the room for a long time before going to bed, and when he finally did, Greyback's words rang through his mind again and again. You're not the first werewolf who I've needed to subdue. No. Remus thought savagely, he may not be the first werewolf whose powers Greyback had bound, or even the first wizard. But he was the first child of the moon and he would never let Greyback forget it. The next morning, Remus woke to a note slid under his door that read, Please join me for breakfast at nine o'clock on the veranda. Remus flipped the note over, expecting something more, some demand that he wear another demeaning frock. But there was nothing, so Remus washed, dressed, and steeled himself for another meal with Greyback. The thought of flattering Greyback while disparaging Sirius made Remus's stomach churn but he had to get into those gardens. The full moon was tomorrow night. He could not allow Greyback to mate and bond with him while he was transformed. He needed to escape, and for that, he needed his powers back. Good morning, Remus, Greyback said. He stood as Remus walked out onto the veranda and rounded the table to pull out a chair for him. I thought we could take breakfast out here, amongst the gardens. How very thoughtful of you, Remus said, taking his seat. The gardens were, indeed, lush and extensive. 
With just a quick look around, Remus spotted Vervain, Poppy, Oleander, Rosemary, Mandrick, Belladonna, Evening Primrose, Hemlock, and Feverfew. Did you sleep well, darling? Greyback asked, tearing Remus's attention from the gardens. How did you find your suite? I slept beautifully, thank you, Remus said. The room is marvelous, and the view is, indeed, splendid. I'm so happy you liked it, Greyback replied, and his voice sounded like jagged, scraping rock, so at odds with his pretty words. I worried over it after I left you last night. You destroyed the corridor in a blind rage after you left me last night, Remus thought, but smiled anyhow. That's very kind of you, Remus said, and took a bite of thick toast with jam. The jam is wonderful, Remus continued. Are the berries from here at Greyback Castle? They are, indeed, Greyback said. Remus made an exaggerated show of surprise. Surely the berries don't grow year-round, Remus said, his voice dripping with amazement. They're far too delicate. No one's magic is that powerful. Although I suppose if anyone could do it, it would be you. Your command over this place is astounding. Remus wondered whether he was laying it on too thick. The charm to keep gardens growing year-round was tricky but relatively common. Most wizarding families in the European countryside used it. Remus saw it all the time in the small villages that he visited with his father on buying trips. Yet the flattery washed easily across Greyback's face. Indeed, the berries, too, he said boastfully. I'm committed to keeping the village self-reliant, which means a year-round harvest. Ingenious, Remus said, shaking his head in wonder. I cannot wait to get my hands into that dirt. As soon as we have finished with breakfast, the gardens are yours, Greyback said. Remus gave Greyback a radiant smile and watched the effect that had on him, too. Like last night at dinner, Greyback's eyes seemed to go slightly unfocused, and for the first time, Remus truly understood what it meant to be descended from a goddess. Fenrir sipped his tea as he watched Remus out the window of his study. He'd been monitoring the boy's work for hours, weeding, trimming away unruly stems and branches, pulling dried flower heads off the plants. And unlike some of Fenrir's more incompetent servants, Remus did not simply leave the cuttings all over the flower and herb beds. Instead, he collected them neatly in a large basket as he worked. He was an astonishing sight, radiant in the clear autumn sunlight. He was on his knees, his nimble fingers wrapping around stems and roots, his shoulder muscles shifting alluringly beneath his shirt, his sweaty hair clinging to the back of his slender neck. Fenrir imagined his teeth closing around that beautiful flesh, imagined his tongue lapping at the salt that dripped off his shimmering skin. Remus sat back on his heels and stretched his lovely limbs toward the sky. He turned, tilting his beautiful face upward, and their eyes met through the mullioned window. Remus gave him a shy smile and a small wave, and Fenrir's mind swam with it. The edges of the garden glowed and blurred a burnished rose gold with Remus at its center. He felt lightheaded and out of his body. His vision rippled. Sir. Sir. Fenrir startled at the sound of Salva's voice behind him as he came crashing back to himself. What? Fenrir snapped, furious that this simpleton had pulled him out of his glowing reverie. You. You summoned me, sir. Salva stammered, and Fenrir glared at him with disgust. After looking upon Remus, Salva appeared hideous 
as dull and harsh-faced as the roughly hewn gray granite that ringed Greyback Castle. Fenrir strode toward him and delivered a stinging slap across his face. Get out of my fucking sight, he hissed. Salva's eyes swam with tears, and his pasty skin blotched with ugly emotion, which only infuriated Fenrir further. He raised his hand to strike him again, but Salva turned and ran sobbing down the corridor. Fenrir rushed back to the window, desperate to see Remus again and cleanse his mind of that beast, Salva, but the boy was gone. He tipped his head against the windowpane and closed his eyes, trying to steady his breathing, when there was a soft knock at the door. Fenrir turned and had to grip the windowsill to prevent his knees from buckling, such was the sight before him. Hello, Remus said. He looked like the heavens-given human shape, with glowing, rosy cheeks and a basket of overflowing herbs hanging off the crook of his arm. I brought you something. The golden god crossed the room, took one of Fenrir's hands in his, and turned it over so his palm was facing upward. He placed into it a small bouquet of flowers, tied with a pretty ribbon. I wanted to thank you, Remus said, and his voice sounded like the loveliest music. For letting me spend time in the garden. My heart feels very full. It was truly my pleasure, Fenrir said, and the words felt inadequate. They looked at each other a moment longer before Remus gently inclined his head. Good day, Fenrir, Remus said, and floated from the room. It had been twenty-three hours. Twenty-three hours since Remus was taken from him, snatched away while Sirius looked on helplessly, powerless to do anything. He tried following them by apparating straight to Greyback Castle, but he was knocked backward as though he'd run headfirst into a brick wall. James and Regulus had come running when they heard the screams and explosions and met Sirius halfway up the driveway as he sprinted toward them. It's Greyback. Sirius shouted through terrified tears. He's taken Remus and killed Bella. I have to go. Sirius turned away, about to try operating again, when Regulus grabbed him by the shoulders, digging his fingers into the muscle and shouting in his face. Sirius, wait. Regulus yelled. This is exactly what he wants you to do. I don't care. Sirius cried. I'm going to find him. He wrenched himself from Regulus's grip but James pulled him back by the arm. Padfoot, James said, and his voice was steady, his brown eyes calm and familiar. Greyback isn't going to hurt him. At least not right away. He wants him too badly. Come back into the house, and we'll think of a plan. Together. And so, by the light of the fire and Sirius's study, they devised a plan. They would enter the castle grounds as anime guy. James would keep watch as a stag, while Regulus searched the castle as a cat and Padfoot searched the grounds as a dog. It was risky, yes, and they didn't even know for sure where Remus was. But they had to try. We should go now, Sirius said impatiently. They'd already wasted so much precious time. James and Regulus looked at each other before nodding their agreement. Yes, all right, James agreed. They stood about to walk into the foyer, when a sharp crack sounded at their feet. Lord Black, sir, Creature said, rushing up to him breathlessly. I spoke to Master Remus. He is safe. Oh, Lord, Sirius said, his voice cracking. He pressed a hand to his heart and fell to his knees in front of the elf. Where is he? 
He's at Greyback Castle, Preacher said. He said to tell you to stay away. His family, too. Stay away, Sirius exclaimed. No, I can't. Just listen to him, Sirius, Regulus implored before turning to the elf. Go on, Creature. Master Remus said that no one can apparate in or out of the castle, and that Greyback has guards on every parapet. He's already threatened to kill you the second you approach the gates. Sirius caught his brother's eye, and they exchanged dark looks before Sirius turned back to Creature. Anything else? Sirius asked. Master Remus said not to come as Padfoot, either. He's too big and the villagers would take notice, Preacher said. Greyback bound Master Remus's powers, but he has a plan to get them back. A leaden dread sank into Sirius's chest. Remus had no powers. So I'm supposed to just wait here, doing nothing, Sirius cried, feeling madness overcoming him. Go back to him. Tell him that I... I'm sorry, sir, Creature interrupted him. He told me not to come back unless I was called. He said it's too dangerous. Sirius stood up and looked down upon the elf with gritted teeth. If Remus had said that, it must have been for a reason. Still, Sirius needed to do something. You're not to leave my sight, creature, until he calls you again, Sirius commanded. Sirius? James started wearily, but Sirius rounded on him. He can sleep here in the study, Sirius snapped. He waved a hand and Creature's nest appeared on the hearthrug next to the fire. James and Regulus exchanged worried looks, but said nothing. Hours passed. James and Regulus had long since fallen asleep on the settee, fully clothed and slumped against each other's shoulders. But Sirius stayed alert. He stared at Creature all night, watching for any signs of him stirring, startling every time he sniffed or snored in his sleep, but the elf was not summoned. The sun crested the horizon. James and Regulus woke up, stiff and sore. Creature fetched them a breakfast that Sirius did not eat, then lunch, and soon, twenty-three hours had gone by since Remus was taken from him. Sleep finally found Sirius after dinner that night. He closed his eyes without meaning to, and when he woke it was with a small, gnarled hand on his knee. Sirius looked blearily out the window at the sun coming up for another new day. Master Remus is summoning me again, Lord Black, Creature said. Go. Now. Sirius ordered, and Creature apparated away with a sharp crack. The minutes crawled by. Sirius could not speak. He could barely breathe. He sat on the edge of his chair with his elbows on his knees and his head in his hands. But James kept a reassuring hand on his back while Regulus busied himself searching for power-binding counterspells. Finally Creature returned, and Sirius ran to him, falling to his knees once more. Is he alright? Sirius choked out. He says he's running out of time, Creature said, and Sirius thought he felt his soul leave his body. Tell me what he needs, Creature, Sirius begged, gripping the old elf's hands. He needs you, Creature said, to make him the wolfsbane potion. Chapter 30 Remus's palms were slick with nervous sweat and his heart raced as he approached Greyback's study. He knew Greyback had been watching him constantly from the window as he worked in the garden. Even when Remus's back was turned, he could feel the heavy weight of Greyback's eyes on him, 
and Remus worried that he'd wonder about the herbs and flowers he was collecting. He needed to do something to lower any suspicions and pull Greyback back into his web. Remus had just crested the top stair when someone knocked into him at a run, making him stumble backward and drop the basket of herbs and flowers he was carrying. It was the pale, dead-eyed boy, Sava. He was in tears, with a split lip and a small trickle of blood dripping down his chin. I'm so sorry, sir. Sava sobbed, dropping to the ground and scrambling to pick up the cuttings that littered the floor and stairs. Fear blazed in his eyes, as though he was terrified that Remus would tell Greyback about their run-in. Do not think on it, Remus said, kneeling to join him on the floor. He placed a gentle finger under Sava's chin and lifted his face. The boy not only had a split lip, but older wounds too. A yellowed black eye and angry, finger-shaped bruises on his neck. Are you all right? Remus asked. Fine, sir. He mumbled, not meeting Remus's eye. He quickly gathered the rest of what had spilled and stood up. I need to be going. Wait, Remus said. He picked through the basket and found calendula, comfrey, dandelion, yarrow, and plantain. He handed the herb bundle to Sava. Crush these together into a paste and speak the words yanium sanitatum, Remus told him. Then apply it to your wound. It will help speed healing, keep away infection, and alleviate pain. Sava stared at the offered herbs for a moment before taking them. Thank you, sir, he said quietly. Remus was not sure whether Sava believed that the herbs would work, or even that the kindness was genuine, but he hoped he did. You're welcome, Remus replied, and Sava slumped down the stairs. Remus watched him go. If he was nervous before running into Sava, it was nothing to how he felt now. Greyback was an evil, wicked brute, and Remus knew it was only a matter of time before he turned his rage fully upon him. He took a deep breath, made his way down the corridor, and knocked on Greyback's open door. Hello, Remus said, trying to keep his voice from trembling. Greyback faced away from him, leaning his forehead against the windowpane. His back rose and fell heavily, as though he was out of breath. Beating your sex slaves probably takes a lot out of you. Remus thought angrily, and he repressed a shiver of terror and disgust. Greyback turned at the sound of Remus's voice, and in an instant, his angry expression melted into one of bewitched affection. Greyback watched him, slack-jawed and hazy-eyed, as Remus crossed the room. I wanted to thank you, Remus said, placing a small bouquet of flowers into Greyback's hand. He made sure to touch him gently, letting his fingertips stroke across his palm. As he did so, he watched Greyback's eyelids flutter close for a moment. For letting me spend time in the garden. My heart feels very full. It was truly my pleasure, Fenris said, and he sounded as though he was in a trance. Remus gave him a soft smile and felt a taste of what Selene must feel when she pulled the tides to her will. Good day, Fenrir, Remus said. He turned and left, eager to escape to his chambers and start working on his plan to get his powers back, but it was only a few minutes before he heard footsteps behind him. He turned to see Greyback hurrying toward him. Remus, he called. Won't you join me for a turn about the grounds before dinner? Damn it. Remus thought, staring into Greyback's cold black eyes. I'm very tired, Remus told him. I'd like to lay down until dinner. Would you mind if I did that instead? 
Grayback was clearly not accustomed to being told no. A muscle in his jaw clenched, and his eyes darkened. He took a menacing step toward Remus, and huffed a heavy breath through his nostrils. Yes, I would mind, he growled. Remus tried not to betray the fear that surged through his body as Grayback loomed over him. He kept his gaze steady and his expression neutral. May I at least freshen up a bit first? He asked, showing Grayback his dirty hands. Grayback seemed to be fighting some internal battle with himself. The ropey muscles in his neck twitched, and his hands balled into fists. Fine, he said at last. He spoke in a low, gravelly voice that came from the depths of his chest. Be on the veranda in fifteen minutes and not a second later. Of course, Remus said. Thank you. Grayback kept him occupied for the rest of the entire day and evening. Remus could see now that he never had any intention of letting him explore without being watched. First, they went for a turn about the grounds. Next, Grayback insisted on giving Remus a tour of his libraries. Then, he suggested a walk through the apple orchards. Well, this could be useful at least, Remus thought. He reached up when Grayback wasn't looking, plucked one of the fruits off a low branch, and stashed it in his pocket. Shall we clean up for dinner? Remus asked as the sun hung low in the sky, casting a rosy, golden glow through the leaves. I have one more thing I'd like to show you, Grayback said. He offered Remus his arm, and Remus took it, curving his small hand around Grayback's thick bicep. It felt so different from being with Sirius. Sirius's arms were just as strong, but made Remus feel safe when they were wrapped around him. Grayback's arm felt like a brutal weapon, a reminder of how quickly and easily he could overpower Remus if he chose to. Remus tried to push away that feeling, lest his fearful, shaking hand betray him. What would you like to show me? Remus asked. He frowned in surprise as they walked down a gently rolling hill, away from the orchard, and onto a dirt road that led into the main village, where tired-faced people bustled amongst the thatched-roofed cottages and open-stalled storefronts. I'd like to show you where we're going to transform tomorrow night, Grayback said, and Remus's skin prickled with danger. Uh, Remus asked, the sound nearly choking him in his throat. It should be a nice change from that tiny shack behind your cottage, Grayback said, leading them away from the village, through the castle's granite gates, and into the wild countryside. Remus's heart thudded wildly against his ribs, thrumming blood in his ears so loudly he scarcely believed Greyback could not hear it. He had just twenty-six hours before the full moon claimed him. He still could not access his powers. And now, he was at Greyback's mercy as they left the relative safety of the village and walked into the dark forest alone. We are transforming out here, Remus asked. Yes, but it is not warded. At this, Greyback actually laughed. It was an ugly sound. Vile, poisoned, and wretched. Indeed, it is not, Greyback said, his harsh voice dancing with malevolent mirth. It matters not to me whether a human crosses my path. In fact, I always hope they do. I did not have a chance to tell you during the last full moon, but the reason you are so often unwell after your transformations is because you are caged. When a werewolf answers its instinct to attack, it enjoys good health and increased strength. You attacked me savagely, and it was a thing of beauty. I still think of it often. Your strength and power were awesome to experience, and your body rewarded you for it. You remember everything? Remus asked, 
amazed and terrified in equal measure. I do, Greyback said. It took me many years and much work, but I remember every transformation now. I can teach you how to, as well. They arrived at the foot of a small hill where the pine and oak trees began to thicken. They climbed for several minutes until they reached a flat clearing where the trees thinned. It overlooked the village and castle, and Remus saw just how far away they were from anyone else. This is Coidwig Blade, Greyback said, looking around the shadowy clearing. The sky had faded into a deep indigo as the sun sank below the horizon, and Remus felt a creeping dread at the idea of being up here alone with Greyback after nightfall. This is the spot where I was first bitten. Greyback continued with a nostalgic tinge to his words. He walked several feet away from Remus and gazed out over the castle. It was the most important night of my life. I've longed to come back here with you. Remus's eyes darted between Greyback and the castle far in the distance, and the wolf within him clawed closer to the surface. It felt the danger he was in, and his entire body screamed at him to run. Primal instinct and churning fear scratched at his gut and surged through his limbs. His muscles twitched and shuddered, begging him to move, desperate to release the jolt of power and strength that would propel him down the hill and through the trees, scrabbling over the rocky ground as far away from this menacing threat as possible. Yet he stayed perfectly still. He had no powers, and Greyback could easily hunt him down and drag him back in an instant with a lazy flick of his wand. It's lovely, Remus said, imagining that must be close to what Greyback wanted to hear. Greyback gave him a leering smile. It is, isn't it? Greyback asked, taking a menacing step toward him, then another until they were face to face. Remus could once again smell the sickening funk of dirt, sweat, and blood that clung to Greyback like a disease. I cannot wait to be with you here under the full moon in all of your fantastic glory. Greyback ran his fingers across Remus's jaw. You were beautiful then, and you are beautiful now, he said. You've been beautiful since you were a child, Remus. The long, ragged fingernails, the same ones that killed his mother scratched painfully against his skin, and at their savage touch, Remus thought desperately of Sirius. Hot tears threatened to overwhelm him as he imagined Sirius's hands, his arms, his steadily beating heart pressed against him. He needed Sirius. He needed him now. He could not breathe for it. He wanted to shred his throat with screams of Sirius's name into the night, to beg the moon and stars to bring them together again. Thank you for showing me. Remus forced himself to say. His voice quivered, and he cursed himself for revealing his weakness. You are overcome, Greyback said, misreading the moment entirely. I can see why. Our whole future is here. But we need not wait until tomorrow night to mate and bond, you know. At these words, a single tear escaped and rolled down Remus's cheek. Oh, Sirius. Remus thought as he stared into Greyback's cruel face. I love you. No matter what happens, I will love you forever. And if I die up here, I will love you then, too. Without warning, Greyback's thick fingers closed around Remus's wrist, and he yanked him forward, hard. Remus gasped in fear and pain. Greyback's other hand curved tightly around the back of Remus's neck, his nails digging roughly into his skin. Greyback's breath was hot and putrid. His lips and teeth were inches from Remus's face and Remus choked on a sob as he closed his eyes. He could not watch this. But then, out of nowhere, 
Greyback released him and cocked his head curiously, like an alert animal whose ears pricked at a foreign sound. Remus heard it, too. It was a low rumbling, like quickly rolling thunder, approaching from far in the distance. It grew louder and louder with unnatural speed until it was deafening. Finally, Remus saw where the sound was coming from. His eyes widened at the sight of a huge, undulating, green cloud speeding over the hilltops and streaking across the glowing face of the fat, almost full moon. The churning cloud descended upon the hillside and hung for a moment over their heads, blowing their hair and nearly knocking them off their feet with the force of the wind that it expelled. What is this? Greyback cried over the tumult, craning his neck at the terrible, foreboding sight. As though in a furious answer, the clouds swooped down violently, and they were engulfed by millions of jade-green luna moths. They flapped and fluttered all around them, crowding into Greyback's face. They inundated his eyes, crammed themselves into his open, screaming mouth, and even tried to push into his ears. He yelped in shock waving his arms madly around his head as the moths assaulted him from all sides. It was loud, roaring chaos. They were so thick, Remus could barely see Greyback at all anymore. They descended upon the forest, too, and Remus's ears filled with the sound of crunching and grinding as the moths chewed the trees over their heads, making branches drop out of the sky all around them. Yet they did not attack Remus. Instead, he stood in a small, empty space as though he were surrounded by a force field that the moths could not or would not penetrate. Run, Greyback commanded with his eyes squeezed shut, spitting out the moths that tried to fly into his mouth. He grabbed Remus by the arm and tore across the clearing, back into the thick woods, and down the hill, yet the moths pursued them, fluttering around their heads unceasingly, until they passed through the gates of Greyback Castle. The cloud of moths stopped at the open entrance clearly unable to come through. Greyback and Remus stood, breathless and shocked, inside the little village and watched the moths hover like a thick, pulsing, green wall, as though warning them not to exit again. Greyback pulled his wand from his pocket and blasted a roaring jet of fire at them, but they flew apart in an instant, letting the flames shoot through the open space before reforming their wall again. Greyback's madness and rage tore out of him, and he shot blast after blast of flames at the moths, to no avail. Finally, he rounded on Remus. He looked sweaty and deranged. His chest heaved and his teeth gnashed. Remus took an involuntary step backward and knew that fear must have been painted all over his face. At this, Greyback stilled, apparently realizing how out of control he appeared. My apologies, he said harshly breathing heavily and clearly trying to save face in the wake of such embarrassment. I was taken by surprise. Remus only nodded, such was his terror at Greyback's fury. He looked at the moths again over Greyback's shoulder, when a glint of bright gold amidst the dense cloud caught his eye. There, on the largest moth, a golden star and moon shone brightly on each of its wings. Perhaps Remus was not as alone as he thought he was. Maybe. Remus said, finding his strength. Maybe we should get to bed. It's been a taxing evening, and we must rest before the full moon. No, Greyback spat. You are to join me for dinner. Come along. He offered his arm once again with gritted teeth, as though acting like a gentleman was the most taxing thing he had done all day. Remus glanced over his shoulder 
and saw the glint of gold once more before it disappeared amongst the other wings. He schooled his face into a gentle smile and looked up at Greyback sweetly. It will be my pleasure, Remus said, taking Greyback's arm and accompanying him back to the castle. Dinner was torturously long, but Greyback had gathered himself and was back to his polite, courtly demeanor. Remus responded in kind, flirting and flattering, and once again, Greyback fell under his bewitching spell. Remus suspected it was the only thing that had kept him alive this long. Finally, Greyback walked Remus to his bedchamber, clearly unwilling to let Remus out of his sight for any longer than necessary. He kissed Remus's hand, but did not relinquish it right away. Instead, he watched him greedily, and Remus knew exactly what he was thinking. Perhaps I could join, Greyback began, his ravenous eyes darting to the bed over Remus's shoulder, but Remus cut him off. I need sleep, Remus said. He ran his other hand down Greyback's arm and raised a suggestive eyebrow. And so do you, for tomorrow. He looked straight into Greyback's eyes, pulling power from the moon goddess. Greyback nodded with a dumbfounded expression. Yes, Greyback breathed. I suppose you're right. Until tomorrow. Good night, Fenrir, Remus whispered. He disappeared behind his bedchamber door before Greyback could fully realize what happened and locked it behind him. Again, Remus listened at the door until he heard Greyback walk away. It was nearly midnight, and Remus was exhausted, but he could not sleep. He had work to do. For hours, Remus sat on the floor of his bedchamber, surrounded by scattered petals, stems, roots, and leaves. He tried everything. Every combination of magical herbs, flowers, fruits, and incantations he could think of that might restore his powers, but nothing worked. Tiredness prickled at his eyes, and his head swam, but still he pressed on, trying again and again to find some solution. Remus's body buzzed with fatigue and the coming full moon, and he stood up, stretched, and walked to the window. The sky outside had already begun to lighten. Greyback would be summoning him to breakfast soon. He leaned his forehead against the cool glass of the windowpane and shut his eyes. Why wasn't anything working? Remus suspected that the evil of this place was too powerful for simple herbal folk magic to overcome. Yet he did not want to call Creature again. He wanted to do this alone, without pulling Sirius or anyone else into danger. But then, the memory of his enchanted obstacle on their journey to see the daughters of Selene swam into his mind, and he remembered what happened underground. What if that obstacle was more than an obstacle? What if it was also a lesson to prepare him for this very moment, reminding him that he could not succeed alone? Remus racked his brain, thinking hard. During his task, only Sirius could decipher the markings on the underground door that led to their freedom. But what about now? What did Sirius know that he didn't? And suddenly, the realization crashed over him. Creature, Remus called, and after a minute, the old elf appeared in the middle of his room. Master Remus, Creature said hurriedly, Lord Black is beside himself with worry. I'm sorry, I've been trying to restore my powers all night, but it's not working, and I'm running out of time. I need Sirius's help. What is it? Sir, I need Sirius to brew me the Wolfsbane potion, Remus said. I can't escape without my powers, but maybe if I have my human mind, I can try to run away during the full moon. 
We are transforming atop a hill called Coidwig Blathe. It's unwarded and outside the northern castle gates. Preacher nodded along in understanding as Remus spoke. I need you to meet me back here thirty minutes before sunset tonight, Remus said. I'll keep trying to restore my powers for as long as I can. But Greyback barely lets me out of his sight, so I don't have much time. What if you cannot get away before sunset? Preacher asked, voicing the exact fear that Remus had already considered. I cannot think about that now. But if I don't arrive on time, do not come looking for me. Remus implored him. It is too dangerous. But sir. Please, Creature, promise me. That's, that's an order. Remus said. Preacher sighed heavily and gave him a resigned nod. Yes, sir. Thank you. Remus said quietly. Now go, before Greyback or one of his servants hears us. And Creature. Yes, sir. Tell Sirius I love him. I will, sir. Remus watched his only link to Sirius disappear and wondered if it was for the last time. He stared for a long moment at the empty spot where Creature had been, then walked back to the window. The line over the horizon was glowing now. It was almost sunup, and within a few hours, he'd be back under Greyback's constant surveillance. He turned and looked at the herbs on the floor. They were cut, crushed, steeped, mashed into pastes. It did not matter. Nothing worked. He sighed in defeat and exhaustion, his eyelids heavy. Maybe he should try to get some sleep, he thought, when something out the window caught his eye. It glinted gold in the firelight that shone through the glass from Remus's room. He leaned closer and saw that it was the Luna moth with the moon and star symbols on its wings. It fluttered frantically near the window, as though seeking to come inside. Remus pushed the window open and the moth flew straight to the piles of herbs, but instead of landing, it hovered slowly over them, moving in an intentional pattern that it repeated again and again. The five-pointed star, Remus whispered to himself, and as he did, the moth began to glow, emitting an almost solid-looking, effervescent light that fell from its wings in a fine mist, like glowing pollen, over the herbs and flowers. It kept moving in that slow star pattern, dusting the herbs with its magic, until they, too, glowed bright gold. Then, the moth alighted on the windowsill for a moment more and flew away, leaving strands of streaking gold against the dim morning sky in its wake. Remus was stunned, but dashed to the herbs, unsure where to begin. He grabbed the apple and took a bite, drank the tea, rubbed the paste on his skin, anything that might do something. He waited, trying to see if he felt any difference in his body, but he did not notice a change. Instead, he tried summoning one of the shirts that hung in the wardrobe. He waved a hand. Nothing. He tried again. Still nothing. He wondered whether his magic was fighting back against Greyback's powerful binding curse. He got to his feet, squared his shoulders, and concentrated as hard as he could. He waved his arm and... The shirt moved. It jerked a little around the collar, and Remus's heart soared. True, it did not fly off the hook into Remus's hand like it was supposed to, but still, it was something. He kept trying, and as the minutes passed his magic grew stronger. The shirt moved with increasing force with each try, until finally, it flew off the hook and straight up into the air, landing in a heap onto the wardrobe floor. Well, that wasn't exactly right either, Remus thought, 
but it was a start. He was about to try once more when he heard footsteps coming down the corridor. He froze. His entire room was a mess, littered everywhere with magical herbs. He waved a hand to try to clear them away, but only a handful of them rolled a few inches toward the basket. Remus huffed in frustration, before kneeling on the floor to clean as quickly as he could. As he did, a note slid under his door with the same message as the day before. Please join me for breakfast at nine o'clock on the veranda. He looked at the clock. It was 7.40. He had just over an hour to clean up and keep practicing. Like the day before, Greyback kept Remus occupied and carefully watched all day. Even when Remus was reading in the library or planting bulbs in the garden, Greyback's black eyes stayed trained on him. In fact, he kept a tighter watch over Remus than he had the day before even accompanying him to the water closet and waiting outside the door until he was finished. But unlike the day before, Remus could feel his magic slowly tingling back to life in his body. He practiced small, clandestine spells any time Greyback's back was turned, and by that afternoon, Remus was able to cast a weak warming charm onto his cold feet. It only lasted about a half hour and didn't get very warm, but it worked. Soon, Moonrise approached, and Remus knew that his weak magic was the only chance he had of getting back to his room in time to meet Creature. We'll have an early dinner this evening, darling, Greyback said as they walked arm in arm through the village. A group of children walked past them in a straight line down the dirt-packed street, carrying huge, heavy baskets of just-harvested vegetables. They couldn't have been more than five years old, yet they were dirty and tired-looking, wearier than any child should look. When one of them stumbled and fell out of line, a harsh-faced matron whipped the back of his calves with a birch switch. Get back into line, Edward, she barked. Remus caught Edward's gaze as silent tears welled in the little boy's eyes. Are those schoolchildren? Remus asked. No, Greyback said. They're troublemakers whom their parents did not want. I took them in and gave them a home and a second chance. I see, Remus said quietly realizing that these must be some of the children that Greyback orphaned intentionally. How kind of you. Indeed, Greyback agreed. Shall we head to the dining room, or would you rather have dinner on the veranda? Actually, Remus ventured, trying to keep his voice steady. I was hoping we could dine somewhere more private tonight. Perhaps your study, so we can be alone before moonrise. It's an important night, after all. He looked up at Greyback with an innocent smile and squeezed his arm affectionately. You'd like that, darling, Greyback simpered. Very much, Remus said. Then we shall, Greyback agreed, and they made their way to his study. They ate in near silence. Remus watched the clock carefully as sunset crept ever closer. He kept waving his hand under the table, trying to cast a spell that would knock out Greyback. It didn't even need to be particularly strong. Remus only needed it to last about twenty minutes. That would give him enough time to run to his room, drink the wolfsbane potion, and come back before Greyback even knew he was gone. But try as he might, nothing worked. The minutes ticked by, but all Remus had managed to do was give Greyback a dizzy spell that made him sway in his seat and grip the edge of the table for a moment. Remus needed to stand up to give himself enough power to cast the spell properly and he was losing time. He had only a few minutes before Creature was due to apparate into his room. Oh, 
Remus said, jumping up out of his seat and grabbing at the back of his leg. Ouch. What is it? Greyback asked, looking at him in alarm. I felt an insect sting me. Remus winced, making a grand show out of looking around for it over his head. I must have brought it in from the gardens. There it is. He waved at the imaginary insect in front of his face, slashing his hands sideways through the air like a powerful slap. Greyback landed face down onto the wooden table with a heavy thud. Fucking Merlin, it worked, Remus thought. He leaned over to double-check that Greyback was truly unconscious, then tore from the study as fast as he could. He had less than a minute to get to his room. He raced down the stairs and skidded around a corner, dashing past servants who wheeled around to watch him, but he ignored them. Finally, he arrived, breathless and pink-faced. He pushed the door open just in time to see Creature apparating into his room holding a steaming goblet. Remus locked the door and ran to Creature's side. Master Remus, he cried. You're here. I don't have much time, Creature, Remus said, grabbing the goblet from Creature's hand and choking down the warm, greenish-brown potion. It was thick and terribly bitter, and he shuddered as he swallowed it. But he breathed a sigh of relief as he drank the last of it down. Lord Black says, Creature began. But what Sirius wanted to tell him, Remus never found out. Instead, he heard running footsteps and angry shouts from the corridor. Remus turned to Creature and grabbed him by the shoulders. Go, Remus hissed. No, Creature cried. I cannot leave you to him. Someone kicked hard at the door, and they both jumped at the booming sound. It's an order, Creature, Remus said. But, now, Bombarda. Greyback's furious voice screamed, and the door exploded apart as Creature apparated away. Remus flung his arms over his head as huge chunks of wood rained down upon him, but the next second, he was being hauled roughly to his feet by vice-like fingers squeezing around his arm. How dare you? Greyback snarled. He raised his hand, brought it down swiftly upon Remus's face, and everything went dark. Chapter 31 one minute. Two minutes. Three minutes. Sirius could hear every mechanical crank of the clock hands as they ticked in slow motion, crawling around the ivory face. The sound was unnatural, unnerving. Where is he? Sirius choked out, gripping the wooden mantle with white knuckles. He had handed Creature the wolf-spaying potion with trembling hands, imploring him to hurry and to be careful. It had taken serious hours to make it, and although he was relieved to have something to do, he prayed that he'd gotten it right. It looked and smelled exactly as it had when he practiced it with Daphne, but still, he worried. And waited. Sirius, it's only been a few minutes. Regulus soothed. You've got to give him a chance to. But Regulus's words were broken by the sharp crack of creature apparating back into the study. He stumbled as he landed falling hard on his hands and knees with a loud groan. Sirius knew something was wrong the instant their eyes met, and he rushed toward him. What happened? Sirius asked. Greyback, Creature panted, clutching a stick in his side. A trickle of blood ran down his ancient face. He knows. Cold fear flooded Sirius's body as Creature told him what happened, 
and he was on his feet before Creature even finished describing how Greyback blasted Remus's bedchamber door to bits. That's it. I'm going, Sirius said. His whole body vibrated with rage and terror. He was finished waiting. He strode past his brother and James and grabbed his wand off the desk without slowing down. He only had fifteen minutes until sunset and not another second to waste. Sirius, Regulus demanded, racing to catch up and darting in front of him to slow down his progress. He grabbed Sirius by the arm and pulled him back when he tried to shrug him off. You're walking straight into a trap. Good, Sirius said, the black family madness burning in his veins. I want to be the last thing that bastard ever sees. He wrenched his arm free and stormed to the foyer. The door flew open on its own, like it had done for Remus, without Sirius touching it or raising his wand. He ran into the front garden to apparate away when James's voice rang out desperately behind him. Fucking Merlin! Padfoot! Wait for us! James yelled, running toward him with Regulus on his heels. James! Sirius began, shaking his head. You're wasting time, mate! James said. We're coming no matter what. Fine. Sirius sighed. He didn't have time to argue. He thrust his hand out for the others to grab, and they apparated away, landing at the base of Coedwig Blade. Greyback Castle loomed like a towering black tombstone in the distance, its pointed spires and foreboding fortifications rising over the thick treetops. Sirius thought of his sweet, gentle Remus being trapped in that terrible place, and sickening fear threatened to overwhelm him. But he fought it away. Remus had been so brave, so clever. He could not let him down now. They looked around, struggling to get their bearings. The last of the sun's rays painted the sky and trees a fiery ochre. They still had time. Sirius turned, about to lead them up the hill, when a searing pain pierced his chest, like a hot iron pressed to his skin. He groaned in agony and doubled over, but seconds later, the pain was gone. Regulus and James spun around at the sound of Sirius's cry, and Regulus's eyes widened. Sirius, he gasped, look at the moon on your chest. Sirius looked down. The gold mark pulsed like a racing heartbeat, one that pumped out of time with his own. Remus, Sirius said, running his fingers over the glowing mark and knowing exactly whose heartbeat he was watching. He's here. But before Sirius had time to wonder over this, a gut-wrenching scream ripped through the peaceful silence of the woods. It sounded like pain beyond imagination, and goosebumps broke across Sirius's skin at the terrible, blood-curdling noise. We need to change, James said suddenly. What? Sirius asked. They're werewolves, Sirius, James cried. It's unwarded. We need to change into animals if we have any prayer of surviving. No, Sirius said. Not yet. I have to get up there. And then what? Regulus asked. Sunset is in thirteen minutes, and you'll have a fully grown werewolf on your hands. One who hasn't taken wolfsbane potion. Another agonizing scream of pain tore through the air, filling Sirius with a single-minded resolve. What I plan on doing to Greyback will not take thirteen minutes, he snarled. He turned away from his brother and James and started to run. They were slowing him down. He had to get up there, now. They were wasting so much time. Sirius, Regulus yelled, 
and Sirius felt his brother's hand close around his wrist. You need a solid plan, you can't do it like this. Try and stop me. Sirius shouted back, wheeling around and pointing his wand at Regulus, who took a stumbling, wide-eyed step back from him. You do not have to come, but you will not stand in my way. Of course we're coming, you idiot, James said. Regulus started to protest again, but James shot him a quelling look. Reg, be quiet. We're doing it Sirius's way. Regulus looked a little shocked, but recovered quickly. Fine, he said. Sirius and James exchanged a look. Sirius didn't say anything, but he didn't need to. James only nodded and patted him once on the back. Come on, James told him. You lead the way. They sprinted up the hill. It was not easy. The twisting trees grew thickly up the side of the steep, rocky embankment, and the sun's light faded quickly as they ran. The screams kept coming, growing louder the higher they climbed and shattering the silence with their anguish. Sirius's legs and chest burned, and stinging sweat dripped into his eyes, but he did not slow his pace. He knew whose agonized voice was ripping through the air, and it pulled him forward like the tides to the moon. Finally, they crested the top of the hill under the darkening sky. James and Regulus paused at the edge of the tree line at the sight of two shadowy figures, one standing with his wand raised, the other laying crumpled at his feet, but Sirius did not break stride. He ran as hard as he could across the rocky ground. Remus's golden features slowly came into view in the dim twilight. He was apparently unconscious, his arms and legs lying in a tangled heap. Yet his face was contorted with pain, bruised and streaked with dirt and blood. Crucio, Greyback said with quiet relish, the corners of his mouth curving upward in a sadistic half-smile as Remus's lifeless body jerked up off the ground. Remus's eyes flew open in blind fear and pain, unseeing, and another scream shredded his throat. Greyback lowered his wand and Remus collapsed back onto the ground again, still as death. No. Sirius cried, still running as fast as he could, until he hit something hard and solid that knocked the air out of his lungs and sent him hurtling backwards. Greyback spun around, and wicked glee danced in his cold, black eyes as they landed on Sirius sprawled on the ground. Welcome, Lord Black, Greyback said with a little bow. So kind of you to come to our wedding. Sirius scrambled back to his feet and shot a blasting spell at Greyback who only laughed as it bounced off the wards with a deafening blast and a shower of red and gold sparks. It ricocheted into the woods and set the trees ablaze with a violent whoosh of heat. Regulus and James yelped in surprise and quickly doused the flames before running to stand shoulder to shoulder with Sirius. Now, now, Lord Black, Greyback admonished, walking in slow circles around Remus's prone body and gently sliding his wand between his fingers. Is that any way to greet a man the day he is to be mated and bonded? I thought Wahlberger would have taught you better manners than that. I swear to God, Greyback. Sirius gritted out. Let him go, or I'll. Or you'll what? Greyback spat with a barking laugh. Shoot more useless spells at me. Glare at me menacingly. You're too late. Or actually. He paused, casting his eyes toward Remus with an almost loving gaze, then smiled up at the diaphanous moon before meeting Sirius's eyes again. You're just in time, he finished. He knelt on the ground and ran his fingers down Remus's cheek and down his neck, 
brushing his thumb along the side of his throat with long, reverent strokes. He really is exquisite, serious, Greyback said in a dreamlike voice. I can see why you're fighting so hard for him. Don't fucking touch him, Sirius screamed, pounding the invisible barrier madly with his fists, while James and Regulus shot spell after spell at it. But Greyback only laughed and wrapped his vast hand around the back of Remus's neck. I'm going to do more than touch him, Greyback said, and yanked Remus into an embrace. His body arched limply upward as Greyback pressed their lips together, darting his tongue into Remus's slackly open mouth while Sirius screamed and cried in torment. Greyback pulled away and locked eyes with Sirius again, licking his lips obscenely. Delicious, he said, lowering Remus back to the ground. Better than I dreamed he would taste, and that's only the beginning. I can't wait for you to see the rest. Please, Sirius begged, burning tears streaking down his cheeks, his hands pressing flat against the invisible wall between them. I'll do anything. Please, just let him go. Greyback stood slowly and strode over to Sirius. They were so close that Sirius could have touched him if not for the wards. He could smell him, though. He smelled like blood, dirt, sweat, and... And Remus, Sirius realized, and that chilling knowledge slipped into his stomach like ice. Greyback put his hand up to the barrier, too, pressing his fingers and palm against the place where Sirius was touching on the other side. They could have been holding hands, or playing some twisted version of a clapping nursery rhyme. You do beg prettily, Sirius. I always thought you might. Greyback hissed. But there's only one thing you should do now. Greyback looked toward the sky, then waved his wand, and the wards fell with a hiss of dark magic. Run, Greyback whispered, and the moon took hold. Greyback stepped backwards with his arms outstretched. He tipped his face to the sky in pure ecstasy as the beast within him emerged. But Sirius was not watching Greyback. He could not tear his eyes away from Remus's beautiful body as it twisted and transformed under the light of the full moon. Coarse, wiry fur pierced and sprouted across his soft skin. The bones in his perfect face pulled apart and elongated into a vicious snout. His back and shoulders creaked and cracked apart splitting open and curving into powerful haunches. His delicate hands curled and twisted into paws with long, jagged claws. His teeth sharpened and grew in his mouth. The wolf blinked its amber eyes open and looked around blearily. It tried to stand, but howled and whined in pain. It staggered a few feeble steps and fell again, its maimed and exhausted legs collapsing beneath it. And suddenly, Sirius realized why Greyback had been torturing Remus. For this. To make him weak, wounded, and unable to fight back. Greyback had transformed, too, and walked in slow, stalking circles around the injured wolf. It sniffed the ground in the air, tipped its head back and howled its triumph at the moon, then cocked its head toward Sirius, reared back, and lunged at Remus. Sirius, now! James yelled, and the sound of pounding hooves and snarling hisses filled his ears. Patfoot tore across the field toward Greyback and leapt in front of Remus. He stood guard, growling and baring his teeth, but within seconds, Greyback knocked Patfoot off his feet and tried to sink his teeth into the dog's neck. Padfoot growled in a towering rage and tossed the wolf away, but only for a moment. In an instant it was back on him, biting and clawing madly. 
Padfoot writhed and fought underneath him, snapping his jaws uselessly against the enormous beast. Sirius's canine mind was vaguely aware of the stag bending its head and charging toward them with its antlers down. But even Prongs was no match for the raging werewolf, who leapt away from Padfoot to slash its cursed claws across the stag's soft underbelly and send it crumbling to its side in a bloody heap. Padfoot barked madly at the black cat that ran toward the injured stag, begging them to transform and apparate away from the danger. Then he turned and ran toward Remus again, feeling his paws scraping and scrabbling over loose dirt and pine needles. But Greyback lunged again, colliding with him from the side, and this time, the werewolf's aim was true. Greyback landed on Padfoot with a bone-crushing smack, and his mouth opened wide, revealing sharp, yellow teeth. Sirius felt the muscles in his chest shred and his ribs splinter in the creature's enormous jaws. He wailed in pain, falling sideways onto the hard, rocky ground. The last thing he saw was Remus's amber eyes shining through the darkness. His mind swam foggily as the blood rushed from his body, seeping into the cold earth, draining his life away. He whimpered once more, searching desperately for Remus in the dark, and his eyes slipped shut. The pain was always there. That, Remus remembered. But this. This was new. He opened his eyes and tried to stand, but collapsed, his legs weak and shaking underneath him. He tried again, but his muscles and bones protested every movement with dull, aching pain. His whole body felt foreign and strange. He was covered in fur, with four feet, and sharpened senses of sight, smell, and hearing. Everything was heightened. Every sound echoed loudly in his brain, every color flashed oddly in his eyes, and every odor sent his mind spiraling in a million directions. His mind, he had his mind. The last thing he remembered was Creature's terrified face, an explosion, and Greyback's hand stinging across his jaw. But that would not explain why he could not stand or why his entire body ached as though he'd been tortured. He looked around. He was no longer in his bedchamber, or even in the castle. He was outside on the ground, and the full moon shone above. Remus lifted his head and frantically took in the scene around him as he came back into full consciousness. It was after dusk, and Greyback Castle loomed terrifyingly in the distance. Strange plants with bright orange fruits were sprouting all around the edges of the hill. A stag lay bleeding on the ground nearby while a black cat cried and pawed at its wounds. And then there were the smells, dirt, pine, moss, frightened forest creatures, and the sharp, electric scent of powerful dark magic. Yet that wasn't all. He also sensed fear, terror, and danger. It was a smell that put Remus's wolf on alert, raising its hackles and setting its instincts ablaze. Yet there was another scent, too, even more powerful than the rest. It was beautiful. It meant protection, goodness, and love. Sirius was here. Remus searched for him, his eyes raking around desperately, until he saw two enormous creatures racing toward him in the shadows. Remus heard their heavy breathing, their pounding heartbeats, and their claws scratching across the ground. And he could smell their urge to kill. They barked and growled, scrabbling in the dirt, clawing and scratching at each other, ripping out chunks of fur and drawing hot, sticky blood. The smaller one, a great black dog, tried to run toward Remus, 
but only made it a few feet before the larger one, an enormous werewolf, lunged and knocked it violently to the ground with a sickening crunch. The werewolf sank its teeth into the dog's side with a tearing of flesh, a breaking of bone, and a heart-wrenching howl of pain that rang through the night air. The dog's eyes found Remus's just before they shut. They flashed bluish-gray and deeply familiar in the moonlight. No. Remus thought savagely, his keen human mind swirling and mixing with the power and instinct of an animal. Suddenly, the pain in his legs was gone, replaced with a fierce shot of adrenaline, love, and the feral, burning rage of the wolf. He surged to his feet and charged across the hilltop, feeling the strength in his muscles as he ran with his teeth bared and claws ready to fight. He knocked the werewolf off the motionless dog in a single strike and rolled him onto his back, pinning him to the ground with powerful legs and huge, wide paws. He dug his claws into the werewolf's fur and skin as it fought fruitlessly against Remus's mighty strength and fury. And without thinking, Remus reared back and sank his teeth deep into the werewolf's neck. Remus shook as hard as he could with his bloody jaws clamped around his enemy's throat, until he heard the telltale snap of the creature's neck breaking, and Greyback moved no more. Remus released him, staggered backward, and all the pain that had been blotted out by love and adrenaline flooded back into his body in an instant. His legs buckled underneath him, and he collapsed, his head dropping onto the dog's bloody chest as he fell, unconscious, once more. He opened his eyes in a familiar, dew-covered meadow under a dusty gray sky, where the full moon glowed, strong and powerful, above his head. A wisp of gray cloud passed across the moon's silvery face, and the wind whispered a forgotten melody in his ear. He'd been here before. But this time, he was not alone. Remus sat up slowly, pressing his palms in the cool, damp grass. As he did, he felt warm, strong fingers under his. Sirius, Remus cried. He had never been so relieved in his life. Sirius was here, perfect and unblemished, and they were both wearing the same pearly white robes they wore during their hand fasting. Remus, Sirius said, sitting up too. They scrambled to their feet and ran into each other's arms. Remus buried his face in Sirius's chest and sobbed with relief. They were both safe and whole. I thought I'd never see you again. Remus cried, squeezing him tighter, pulling him as close as he could. He wanted to climb under Sirius's skin. Oh, my love, Sirius said, and he was crying too. He lifted Remus off of his feet, and Remus wrapped his arms and legs around him and kissed him dizzyingly. You're all right, Sirius said breathlessly between kisses. Thank Merlin, you're all right. They clung to each other swaying in time with their breathing, until their heartbeats aligned and the golden star on Remus's neck warmed on his skin. My darling son, a soft, musical voice said, and his darling star. They looked up to see a radiant young woman with long, silvery blonde hair and bright amber eyes striding quietly toward them through the misty green grass dotted with bluebells and anemones. The delicate flowers turned their lovely faces toward her as she walked past as though paying homage to her heavenly beauty. Her gossamer blue gown moved like soft, pearly moonbeams around her legs, and she reached out her slender hands toward Remus and Sirius. Remus ran toward her, and she enveloped him in her warm, loving arms. Mother, 
Remus breathed, holding her tight as Sirius followed. Hope extended another arm and folded Sirius into her embrace, too. You've both been so brave, she whispered, and her soft voice washed over them like a peaceful lullaby. Where are we? Remus asked. A vision. We're in the glen of my memory, Hope said looking around. It's beautiful here, but I always wanted to run. I wanted to chase the horizon, and your father had seen every horizon there was to see. Remus felt his expression harden at the mention of Lyle, and Hope nodded sadly. The man you know is not the man I married, she said, as though reading his mind. My death drove him to madness, and he never recovered. He lived under the delusion that he needed to protect you from the prophecy at all costs, even if that cost was you and your happiness. She pulled back and took Remus's face in her hands. Do you forgive me? She asked, sorrow creasing her lovely face. For trying to run away from your fate. Mother, Remus said, covering her delicate hand in his. Everything you did, and even everything father did, led me here, exactly to where I'm supposed to be. He looked at Sirius and took his hand. Hope nodded, her eyes brimming with tears and she pressed her hands to the moon and star marks on their skin. Your union was foretold, but it was not fate that made it happen, Hope said. It was love and love alone. Only your devotion to each other could have marked you this way, no matter what Celine wanted for you. Remember that. Sirius took Hope's hand in his and kissed it gently, and Remus fell in love with him all over again, and again and again. I will love your son until the end of my days and longer. Sirius promised. I know you will, Sirius. Hope replied. And that's why I'm here. I want your days to be very long. She turned to Remus with a serious expression. When he wakes, he will be in great danger. She said. A werewolf cannot pass its lycanthropy to an animal. But its bite is still poisonous, and you need to counter it with something even more poisonous. Something like belladonna, water hemlock, or... Strychnos nux vomica, Sirius asked, looking sideways at Remus with a small smile. Yes, that would be perfect if you could get your hands on it. Hope nodded. Whatever you use, crush the entire thing into a paste and apply it directly to the bite as soon as possible after sunrise. The poison will draw the curse from Sirius's body. Just be sure not to touch it with your own bare skin and do not ingest it. How long will it take? Will he be awake? Can I take him home first? And what about now? Is he bleeding? Remus's mind spiraled with this new worry, but Hope shushed his fears away. Remus, darling, she said, touching her hand to his cheek. He's going to be fine. I promise. Raculus and James have already stopped the bleeding. You're both asleep. When you wake, apply the paste to the wound, bandage it, and take him home. At sunset, remove the bandage and the paste and burn it all under the moon. He'll be tired and need extra love, but he'll feel better in just a few hours. I think I can manage the extra love. Remus smiled at Sirius. He turned back to Hope and wrapped her in another hug. I love you, he said. And I miss you so much. Oh, I miss you too, my sweet boy, she said. But know that I am always with you. I know you are. Remus replied. It's almost sunrise, my darling boys. Hope said, turning her lovely face to the sky as it brightened around them. I love you both, and I am grateful that you love each other.
She kissed each of their foreheads, then turned and disappeared into the early morning mist. Sirius and Remus held hands as they watched her go. How do we get back? Remus asked, looking up at Sirius. He was especially beautiful here, Remus thought, in this wide-open meadow in the dusky early light when the newest rays of the sun had not yet touched the earth. A gentle breeze blew his hair and white robes, and his skin glowed like the moon goddess herself. I think, Sirius said, looking down at the soft and springy bed of moss under their feet. We go back to sleep. And so, under a powerful star and shifting moon that still shone brightly even as the night faded, Sirius and Remus lay down on the soft ground, in a field of wild flowers and wilder love, curved into each other's bodies, and drifted into a warm, easy slumber. Chapter 32 Epilogue I see Sirius, but what's that one? Remus nestled lower into the hammock, leaning his head against Sirius's shoulder and pulling the blanket over their chests, as he pointed up at a bluish-white star that twinkled brightly in the diamond-strewn sky. That, Sirius said, pressing a kiss to Remus's temple, is Canopus, or what the Maori people call Atutahi. It's the second brightest star in the sky. Nothing outshines Sirius, of course. Remus teased, smiling at the way the stars reflected in his husband's eyes as they gazed upward. Of course not. Sirius laughed. And that? Sirius took Remus's hand and swiveled it across the sky. His crux. Sirius finished. The Southern Cross, Remus said. That's right. Used in navigation, the way we use Polaris in the Northern Hemisphere. It's beautiful, Remus said. He rolled onto his side and threaded an arm across Sirius's waist. The wide, plush hammock swayed gently with the rocking of the ship as the waves licked against the wooden hull. It's all beautiful. They were aboard the Artemis, a ship that Sirius commissioned to celebrate their marriage. Of course, he'd taken some liberties with it once the shipbuilder brought it out of Drydock. Although it looked like a normal schooner from the outside, the inside was extravagantly expanded to include a palace's worth of space. Seven bedrooms, three sitting rooms, a library, a kitchen, cabins for the crew and governesses, and best of all, a master suite complete with its own open-air terrace. It's too much, Remus protested when Sirius pulled him around by the hand, excitedly showing him every room. Nonsense, Sirius replied with a kiss. It's for you. If anything, it's not enough. Now, come along, we have an appointment at the gallery, Vivian. I want you to choose the most decadent decor that catches your eye. And he apparated them off to Paris, where Remus tried his first cigarette, blushed in shock at the Cancan dancers, and indulged in champagne and pano chocolate every morning for breakfast. Now they were somewhere in the Pacific, nearing Fiji, where the soft southern wind caressed their faces beneath the vast, glittering night sky. Sirius snapped his fingers, and two floating clock hands appeared hanging in midair before them. He was getting so good at wandless magic, Remus thought proudly. It's after midnight, darling, Sirius whispered, vanishing the clock hands and running his fingers idly through Remus's hair. Happy birthday. Is this what you thought 26 would look like? Remus laughed and ran his fingers across Sirius's stomach, finding the soft trail of dark hair and following it downward. Not in my wildest dreams he replied. 
and it was true. Remus could scarcely believe that this life was his after twenty-one years of being desperately lonely and locked away. It did not seem real. But it was real, and he was happier every day. They woke the morning after that terrifying November full moon to find that Greyback's body had vanished. Remus later learned that Celine herself had flung it into the underworld. Although he suspected that Sirius would have liked to throw Lyle into the underworld, too, Remus could not bring himself to banish his father. Instead, Lyle returned to his cottage and the shop, and Remus was content to leave him there to himself. As for Sirius, he was no longer Lord Black. It always should have been you, Reg. Sirius had told his brother. Sirius, no, it's your birthright. Regulus exclaimed, but Sirius only laughed. It's not a right. It's a curse. It is for me, anyway. Sirius told him. I do not want it, and I never have. The people deserve a leader who wants to lead, not one who's forced to. It is not the way of things. Regulus fretted. Well, if you don't think you can handle the pressure, then... Sirius started, but Regulus cut him off abruptly. I did not say that. Regulus interjected, and James burst out laughing. Now you've done it. Pads. He'll take it, James said, grabbing Regulus by the hand and pulling him out of the study and up the stairs. Come on, Lord Black, let's go christen the new title. As his first order of business, Regulus wrested control of Greyback Castle and its village out of the hands of Greyback's aging and decrepit father. The Imperious Curse exists for a reason, James, Regulus had said. He converted it into a beautiful home and school for the orphaned children created a warded werewolf sanctuary on the surrounding grounds, and allowed the villagers to live freely. And he managed it all within two months. Being efficient and uptight finally accomplished something for you. Sirius had congratulated him. Fuck off, Sirius. Regulus had replied with a pleased and satisfied smile. Remus still laughed at the memory of it, as Sirius's hand moved from his hair to his neck on the softly swaying hammock under the stars. He ran the pad of his thumb across the golden star mark, then leaned over to kiss it. Remus's eyes slipped shut as Sirius's lips lingered there on the soft, sensitive skin. How would you like to celebrate your birthday? Sirius asked, his warm breath ghosting across Remus's neck and sending a lovely cascade of goosebumps across his body. Hmm, maybe with a good night's sleep, Remus said cheekily. He closed his eyes and yawned dramatically. Good night, he said. I'll give you a good night, you naughty thing. Sirius rasped, dragging his teeth along the star and making Remus's back arch and his hips roll almost involuntarily. He moaned with pleasure as Sirius bit down harder and swirled his tongue across the teeth marks he'd pressed into Remus's soft skin. You don't play fair, Remus panted. No, I don't, Sirius said. And I never will. His strong fingers ran up the back of Remus's neck and threaded into his hair, and their lips collided as Sirius closed his hand into a fist and pulled gently. Remus flung the blanket away and climbed onto Sirius, sliding his knees on either side of Sirius's hips. Sirius vanished their clothes with a flick of his wrist, and Remus burst out laughing, leaning their foreheads together. What? Sirius asked as Remus reached down and pulled off the only thing Sirius's wandless spell had missed. You forgot something, Remus teased, holding up one sock. You can keep your socks on, Sirius said. 
I plan on knocking them off, anyhow. Remus laughed even harder at this. That's a hell of a line, Remus said. Well, it's going to be a hell of a shag. Sirius promised. I want you to just lay back and enjoy being 26. He flipped Remus over onto his back and did exactly that. He pressed lingering, warm, open-mouthed kisses up the insides of Remus's thighs, then curved his hand underneath his legs and pushed his hips upward, licking long, wet stripes from his entrance all the way to the smooth, sensitive tip of Remus's swollen cock. He teased past Remus's begging hole and slid one finger around the rim again and again until pressing and swirling until Remus's eyes slipped shut and his breath came in ragged gasps. Sirius was driving him mad with desire. It was too much and not nearly enough, and Remus pressed himself against Sirius's hand and mouth as his body begged for more. And Sirius gave him more, but not the way he expected. Instead, he climbed up Remus's legs, keeping one hand loosely pumping his aching cock, then slid down onto him in one firm, smooth glide. Remus moaned in surprise and his eyes flew open at the sensation of his cock sheathed within Sirius's tight, perfect body. Sirius tipped his head back as he thrust, slowly dragging his hips upward and sinking back down with his fingers clenched around Remus's thighs, riding him in time with the rolling ocean waves. Remus's hands found Sirius's hips and he gripped him tightly pressing his fingers into the muscle and returning every sliding thrust with one of his own, until he was driving hard into Sirius's gorgeous arse. Sirius looked otherworldly, celestial, under the glowing crescent moon and wide expanse of stars, the gold mark on his chest as bright and shining as he was. His back and neck arched back, and his lips parted around a low moan as Remus's cock dragged against his prostate. Remus watched him in awe, and thought he'd never seen anything as perfect in all his life. Sirius filled his mind and gripped his body as Remus hurtled toward the edge. He tried to slow down and pull out, but Sirius did not let him. Instead, Sirius's hands flew to Remus's slender wrists, and in one swift, powerful motion, he pinned Remus's arms over his head and rode him even faster, driving himself up and down and tightening his body around Remus's cock. He leaned forward and let his lips brush against the shell of Remus's ear as he spoke. Come for me, Sirius breathed, and within seconds, Remus was emptying into Sirius, widening his vision and sending sparks cascading behind his eyes. A long, desperate whimper escaped Sirius's throat as Remus filled him for the very first time. Oh fuck, Remus, Sirius panted. God, that feels good but Remus barely had time to answer or even think. Because before he even realized what was happening, Sirius was lifting himself off Remus's still stiff and sensitive cock and crawling between his legs. He lifted Remus's hips straight up off the hammock and ran his tongue up his arse again, lapping the cum as it dripped down and thrusting one slippery finger inside Remus's tight entrance alongside his flicking tongue. Remus's oversensitive body twisted and bucked at the sensation and the blood rushed back to his cock without it even having a chance to soften. Sirius, Remus panted, dizzy and drunk with the man between his legs. Sirius's sliding tongue and strong fingers felt decadent and debauched, and Sirius stretched him wide as he slid in another finger, then another, working him open until his cock was stiff again and his body begged for more. Please, 
Remus heard himself whine as Sirius pulled his fingers and tongue away, leaving him unmoored and wanting there on the open sea. But in another second, Sirius was splitting him open once more with his cock, which swelled thickly against Remus from the inside and pressed him fuller than he'd ever been. Sirius felt huge, and Remus knew it was because he went untouched for so long. Sirius drew his hips back, dragging his cock almost completely out before driving it back in again. He snapped his hips again and again, setting a relentless, ferocious pace that Remus adored. He wanted to feel conquered and claimed, marked and filled in every way. Remus ran a hand up the back of Sirius's neck and pulled him down until their lips met in a messy, frantic kiss, sliding together wildly until Sirius's body shuddered with Remus's name tearing from his throat. Wet warmth filled him, and with it, Remus's second orgasm rocked through his body, spilling onto his stomach in fast, throbbing pulses. They collapsed against each other, breathless and slippery while shooting stars streaked through the sky above their heads. Remus wrapped his arms and legs around Sirius's spent body and kissed along his damp neck and chest. Sirius felt heavy and solid on top of him, like safety and comfort and love. Happy birthday, my darling. Sirius whispered. He cleaned them up with a wave of his hand, summoned the blanket, and they drifted off to sleep under the vast Pacific sky. They woke the next morning to a brightly colored parrot alighting at the foot of the swaying hammock with a note tied to its leg. Sirius pulled it off and laid back down as he read it out loud. Breakfast is ready for the birthday boy on the deck, Sirius read. He rolled over and gave Remus a gentle kiss on the cheek. I think that's you. And indeed, when they emerged, the masts were festooned with colorful satin ribbons that blew in the ocean breeze and a breakfast that was set out on a long, low table along the starboard. Remus nearly had the air knocked out of his lungs by a running hug that collided against his chest. Happy birthday, Faith cried. She kissed Remus on the cheek and took his hand, pulling him to the table and chairs she'd magicked out of the dining room and onto the deck where James and Regulus were already sitting. They both had a little boy on their knee, and Remus walked over and dropped a kiss onto each of the children's foreheads. Pa, Daddy. The smaller, sandy-haired boy said to Sirius and Remus. He put his skinny arms into the air, and Remus scooped him off Regulus's lap and wrapped him in a hug. Don't forget to say happy birthday, Teddy. The other little boy called, pushing his glasses up over the bridge of his nose. I was gonna, Teddy cried, swiveling around to frown at him. Give him a chance to breathe, Harry. James laughed, ruffling Harry's messy black hair. Teddy turned back to Remus and flung his arms around his neck. Happy birthday, Daddy, Teddy said and pressed a sweet kiss to Remus's cheek. Thank you, Teddy, Remus replied. I think it's my happiest birthday ever. Mine, too, Teddy exclaimed and Harry snorted behind him. It's not your birthday, silly, Harry said, and Teddy stuck his tongue out at him. I knew what you meant, Remus whispered into Teddy's ear before putting him down again. Remus looked at Faith and nodded out to see where the sun rose, bright and shining, over the sparkling waves. Pretty horizon today, isn't it? It's prettier every day, Faith said softly, gazing out over the water with a happy sigh. I think so, too. Remus replied, squeezing her hand. Sirius pulled out a chair for him, and they sat, 
laughing and chatting over breakfast and tea until three of the cooks came out carrying an enormous birthday cake with dozens of flaming candles. You spoil me, Remus whispered, leaning over to kiss Sirius with a laugh. Yes, I do, Sirius replied, closing his eyes and kissing him back. He ran his hand along the star on Remus's neck and kissed that too. And I plan to continue spoiling you forever. They sank into another kiss until Teddy scrambled across their laps in a fit of giggles to help Remus blow out the candles. What did you wish for, Daddy? He asked. Remus's hand found Sirius's and gazed up at him with tears in his eyes. I already have it, he whispered. I love you, Sirius. I love you too, darling, Sirius replied, and gave him another soft kiss. And from far, far above, high in the heavenly ether, Celine swung her pearly legs from where she sat in the crook of the gossamer crescent moon and gazed down upon her beautiful children. She blessed every inch of their bodies and kissed every fear from their souls, filling their hearts with love in this life and the next, and the next. Finite. Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.